Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is a husband, father, content creator, and friend. His name is Ryan King, but you may know him better on Instagram as The Wisdom of Kings. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. One of the best things about being a man is that we express our friendship with each other through playful teasing. It's often said that once a guy likes you, he'll let you know by teasing you. And if he doesn't tease you, it's safe to say he doesn't like you. Or at least he doesn't know you well enough yet. I find that's a reliable metric. I won't tease a guy I don't feel comfortable with. Neither will I tease a guy I don't like, because it might come off as provocation. But I will tease a man I do like, as will almost every man I know. There's a problem here, though, even if it's a well-meaning one. Men will often tease each other to express affection, but sometimes that can be our only move. Unfortunately, though, teasing communicates affection while creating a bit of distance. I might reach out to poke you, but you're still at arm's length. What happens far less often is something men need just as much of. Praise. Men won't ever say it because most men get so little of it, they don't even know to need it. And praise isn't exactly something you can ask for. Remember Jeb Bush? Please clap. But men are starving for praise, and not just participation trophy praise, which is a cheap substitute. I'm talking about praise that requires thought and care to give, because you have to look honestly at your brother and see him clearly. And it also requires courage and heart, because sincere praise is a gift, and a gift might be rejected, discarded, or even mocked. Though I'm not yet a father, I think that's why most sons make do with a pat on the back and a good job from their dad. He might not have the head to say anything more creative. Many certainly lack the heart. And I think that's why fathers are renowned for crying when their sons and daughters achieve something meaningful, like a sports championship or IPO, because, at least for some of them, in that moment they see their child receiving all the praise they never knew how to give or never tried. It is a tragedy that many men will wait to praise their friends, their brothers, and their sons until the world does it first, because it's safe then, right? You can be just one of the crowd. There's nothing to risk. And, I should add, in our age of feminism, it's also rare that women praise their men as well. So men who thrive on honor, which is itself fueled by praise, starve slowly to death in their hearts, unseen, unacknowledged, unpaid in the only currency that means anything to men. And I mean real men. Honor. Which is why we subsist on the scraps of teasing, of knowing looks and nods, a sincere thank you or a good job, bro. It's something, but often only just enough. But praise? Praise is meat. 
So I thought about starting this monologue with some gentle teasing of my guest this week, but instead I've decided to praise him, and it is my hope that I'll speak not just for myself, but for everyone listening, everyone who follows him, and everyone whose life he's touched. His name is Ryan King, also known as the Wisdom of Kings, and in a short time he's come into a small community and become the friend, brother, father figure, and role model many of us didn't know we needed. He expresses himself primarily through long-form essays, lessons he had planned to store up for his sons. But one day he saw a need in the world to talk about masculinity, fatherhood, and family. And like a stranger who showed up in a desert town on a hot day, bringing cold water, he found that there was more demand than he knew. His growth hasn't been meteoric, more like a diesel truck. Once it gets going, it's tough to stop. He's reached millions because his writing is real, authentic, and grounded. It's not based on theory, but experience. Not from books he's read, but defeats suffered and victories hard-earned. And unlike many of the overgrown boys who can permeate this space, Ryan's writing doesn't have wounds, but scars, which have healed, sealed, and toughened him. Because the warrior has become a king. And like any good king, he has a queen. And like any good king and queen, they have children, two sons. And Ryan brings his family forward into his content to show, all those things you guys talk about, I've done. Which is why his words land with such impressive gravity for those who have yet to do, those who want to do, and those who have never experienced what a real father is, and how a man can both walk the walk and talk the talk. Real voice, real face, real stories, nothing anonymous. See for yourself. I flew to Arkansas in May to meet Ryan, his wife Lauren, and his sons Rowan and Baron. We spent a special extended weekend together during a moment none of us would forget. It was the classic example of things not going according to plan, but everything turning out better than any of us could have imagined. And I can tell you point blank, bar none, he is the man he says he is. He lifts heavy, loves big, and invests his whole self into being the best husband and father he can. And it shows in the manner, posture, and potential of his sons and the free and easy laugh of his wife. Ryan also has countless baseball caps. Every time you blink, he's wearing a new one, as well as a booming business with a real office and employees and great taste in steak, cigars, and people. And that's rare because social media offers us all the temptation to fake it. Just a little bit, right? Fudge here, embellish there. I'm happy to say that Ryan doesn't do that and doesn't need to, because this is the best part about him. In an age where many, if not most men, say, more, 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 Ryan says, I have enough. So he gives. And if I had to guess, that's the reason why so many men and women follow him, not just as a content creator, but as a leader. In our more than four-hour conversation, Ryan and I discussed basically everything, but we focused on what it's been like for him becoming a successful content creator, the philosophy and goal of his content, his family's decision to homeschool before it was cool, the differences between coaching versus therapy, the weakness of the man and father who says, because I said so, the call for Christians with a spine, getting past bullying, the need for men's initiation, and the feeling of leaving it all on the field. Ryan and I originally talked for five hours, which, believe it or not, is three hours shy of our longest conversation, 
but sadly, after the recording finished, we ran into technical problems, and the last 30 minutes or so weren't captured. So the conversation will end a bit abruptly. I've worked with my recording platform and explored every possible avenue to recover the data, but was unsuccessful. My apologies. So it's my hope that four and a half hours between the two of us will be sufficient. If you'd like more, Ryan and I can be booked for public events. We'll happily attend your wedding, conference, or corporate gathering and talk all day. Email info at renofmen.com and I'll direct you to Ryan's publicist. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. This is a free podcast. Always has been, always will be. If you'd like to give something back, there are a couple ways to do so. First, you can share this podcast with a friend. The Renaissance isn't about me, but men and women around the world coming together to rediscover and reestablish timeless principles of masculinity and femininity. Every person you bring on board makes all of us that much stronger. So if you'd like to give back, sharing this episode or any episode with a friend, family member, or on social media is a great way to do that. Another way to give back is leaving a rating on Spotify. With just one click, you can give it five stars and make sure this podcast gets recommended alongside some of the greats. In fact, just this week, someone called me the Christian Joe Rogan, and I thought that was pretty sweet. I'll take it. So your five-star rating on Spotify helps Rent of Men be recommended alongside JRE. We've also been recommended alongside Jordan Peterson, which was a real honor. The final way you can give back is by leaving not just a rating, but also a written review on Apple Podcasts. The slight majority of you listen on Apple. So if you tap the five-star rating there and write a few words of support about what you like about the podcast or even love about it, that would go a long way towards men and women discovering us on that platform. A bit of news, my second interview with the hit international podcast Cultish just came out this week. In it, I talk about how I met Jesus at Burning Man, as well as my experience with tarot cards and Kabbalah, plus what ayahuasca really is. It's a description you won't find anywhere else. And for the Christians in the audience, it'll shock you. Also, my fifth and final episode of Rewire the West is coming very soon. I'm excited for it because it'll tie the previous four together. You can find links to both Cultish and Rewire the West in the show notes. I'm also hosting a podcast booth at ReformCon in Phoenix, Arizona, the weekend of October 28th and 29th. Speaking at the conference, we'll have Pastor Toby Sumter, Pastor Jeff Durbin, Joe Boot, Dr. Ben Merkel, James White, David Bonson, and more. I might even be conducting attendee interviews. So if you've ever wanted to be on the mic with me and the Renaissance of Men, get your tickets now. Go to reformcon.org, and I hope to see you there. And finally, I have some big news. The Renaissance of Men has crossed 100,000 total all-time downloads. That's a huge milestone, and it feels great. To know that people all over the world, from Chile to Botswana, Germany to Japan, Iceland, New Zealand, and Nicaragua, have downloaded and listened to this podcast in homes, cars, gyms, offices, and countless other places is a blessing. Thank you. Thank you to my guests, my listeners, and especially my friends for all your incredible support of me and the Renaissance. Glory to God and hallelujah. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, a husband, father, entrepreneur, writer, and friend, Ryan King from the Wisdom of Kings. Hey, what's up, dude? What's up, man? How you doing? <laughs> I'm good, Hoss. <laughs> okay, Chief. <laughs> okay, Playa. <laughs> welcome, uh, serious, welcome. Serious faces. Serious faces. Very serious. Welcome to uh, 
the Renaissance of Guys podcast uh, to Ryan Ryan uh, with the wisdom of princes. I think that's 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 what the one sheet said. Your name is. Yeah, that's close enough. My publicist didn't send over all their information again. <laughs> Gotta get a new publicist, man. That's what happens when you when you're your own publicist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Less, uh, yeah, I'll leave that. I'll leave that one alone. Okay. So <laughs> now we're gonna now we're gonna really podcast now. Okay. Um, no, I mean like I'll leave. I'll, I want to leave all that in because I, you know I was thinking about how how am I gonna do this podcast because obviously you and I have spent so much time you know having long conversations until the late hours in the morning both here and in Arkansas and I was like well you know, I could start out being formal and proper. Or I, I can just like start out and kind of show the nature of the relationship and not pretend that it's like some sort of like big formal kind of thing. And, and so I'm, I'm happy that we started out that, that way to set yeah, the stage. Bro, like, otherwise, we'd just be, be talking weird. about this. It'd be it weird would be weird. It like, it's nice to meet you, sir. It's, like, it's nice to meet you. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. My good what do you do for a living? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes. And, and try and pretend and try and pretend like it's this big formal thing. Cause I think that's one of the challenges of, of podcasting is that so many of the, so many of the relationships, they're super casual and then the, and then everything gets rolling and it's like, you have to be on. And like, there's a way that that works uh, and the way that it has to work because suddenly there's an audience, but when it's two friends talking, it, it sort of can feel a little bit like that's not how they really are. Is it? <laughs> well, uh, people are about to find out. Yes, people are people are about to find out just how unproductive our conversations could be. <laughs> Hopefully, we can rein those in before we get too far. I, I think down so. The rabbit trail. I think so. Well, you know, I listened to um, I listened to your discovering masculinity podcast that you did with John Waltz. Shout out to John yeah. Waltz, and that was a really good that was a really good episode because I think I got to hear you talk about things that um, I've never really hear, heard you talk about at length. And I, I guess that's the cool thing about podcasts is you get the chance to share things. I mean, all of us do in a way that doesn't quite fit into an Instagram post. And I, I mean, I thought it was a really enjoyable episode. Did you enjoy doing that one? I did. I did. It was really good. Um, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm finally starting to get my, get comfortable in this, in this format, you know, mm-hmm. it's a little bit different. And um, I've actually spent quite a bit of time re-listening to podcasts that I've done just to learn I have all these weird pauses and I say all these ums and, you know, I didn't realize that I talked that way, you know? So it's been, yeah. it's been interesting to go back and listen to those. And I feel like I've polished up kind of my approach a lot. And, um, you know, as far as what you said about t- talking about things that you can't really talk about on Instagram, that's why I like this format of podcasting, yeah. you know, it's because it's, it's way more, it's just way easier you know, mm-hmm. to, to just have it be conversational and you can tell a story on a podcast in you know, two or three minutes that would actually take an entire post on something like Instagram or Twitter or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just leading into the story you're trying to tell, you know, so there's, it's really hard to put in the, like a lot of personal background details and stuff in an Instagram post. That's why I think so many people can jump to the wrong conclusions, you know, no matter how detailed you write in, in, you know, a format like Instagram or Twitter, there's still background information that you would cover if you could so that it would, so that people would have more context, but you just can't, you know, and that's, what's interesting about these long form podcasts. 
And I think that's what's appealing about your Instagram profile, though, is that uh, you're really transparent about who you are, like your personality, your life, especially your life now, really, really shines through. And I know that there are a lot of anonymous creators, and 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 that's a whole that's a whole separate thing. Where the whole idea is that you don't actually know who is behind the thing, where the ideas are who they are. But I think what you're doing is so completely different. It's similar to what I'm doing, but I'm a little less transparent about my life than you are because. I don't have a wife and kids to show off. Like, congratulations, you're looking at my life right now. But you're very <laughs> forward about um, about uh, bringing your wife and and uh, bring Lauren and and Rowan and Baron into the frame. And I guess I guess the question that I kind of wanted to start off with was like, what has that been like for you over the past few months, where you just came onto Instagram to start putting your thoughts out there, and suddenly found there's all this uh, there's all this hunger for everything that you have to say and the way that you say it. And now you've kind of become a short, like your family has become like a, a semi-public family in a really short time. And what has that been like for you? And what has that been like for the family um, as well? It's really, really surreal. Hmm. Um, I don't know. It's, the, it's this strange process where for me, I'm just typing my thoughts into PowerPoint. People ask me, all the time, you know, how do you create your, your stuff? And I use PowerPoint because that's the only thing I know how to use. I'm you use really it really well PowerPoint. though. Yeah, but I, I, did, I had to learn it for business, you know? And so when I, when it came time to start writing, I just typed it, typed stuff up. And so it's kind of a weird, it's a weird thing to wrap my mind around because mm-hmm. I'm just sitting in my recliner with my feet up, making a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in my head you know, and you put it out into the world and people get this reception of, I don't know, whatever, whatever perceptions people seem to have, mm-hmm. it doesn't jive with what I, what it feels like I'm doing on my end. So it's oh, kind of a jarring, it's kind of a jarring sensation, I would say. Um, and I think, you know, when I started out, it's nothing at all like what I expected. You know, I, when I, when I first started out, I didn't expect anybody to even really care. You know, I didn't, I didn't feel like I had anything, you know, innovative necessarily to say it was just really basic stuff. Um, but it's been kind of, it's been kind of surprising how, how much that basic stuff has really landed for people. Um, I think, I think people right now are really questioning modern, modern society has, people have tried all the recommendations of modern society, Yeah, you know, and it just from when I, when I think about the feedback that I get from people on Instagram, it reminds me of a desert when it finally rains, Mm -hmm. you know, people just are so, are so thirsty for anything, anything real, anything practical, um, because they're just not getting any exposure to that. And, and, one of the things that I think I took for granted at the beginning is that I feel like in a lot of ways, you and I are about the same age. Um, I feel like in a lot of ways we are, we are the, the elders, you know, Mm -hmm. like, because, and I've had this conversation with with a couple other people, you know, but like our generation, for instance, is the first generation where everybody went to college. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. You know? And so for us, we're the, we're the oldest people that can sit and say, to these younger generations, like not everyone should go to college. It's a, it's a bad idea for some people, you know, yeah. it's especially a bad idea to go to college when you're 18 
and you have no life experience and you have no idea what your skills are, or what your interests are, and you go and spend four years partying and you change your major seven times. Like I can speak to that because that's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. But we're probably the oldest generation of people that can speak to that with experience because my parents' generation can't relate to that. No, so I think it's not the same way. Yeah. And so I think it's some really strange ways, even though I'm, you know, I'm only, I'm, I'm basically 40, I'm 38, you know, I'm not 50, I'm not 60, I'm not 70, but I think you and I are kind of as old as a person can be and still be relevant to a younger generation of social media users and still be able to speak to what their life is like, because my dad can't, can't even remotely relate yeah. to what a 22 year old kid's going through. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so I, I wasn't expecting to be treated like a quote unquote elder. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, I'm young. You know, like people, people ask me like, I need an older guy to mentor me. I'm like, okay, cool. How old are you? And they're like, I'm 35. I'm like, dude, I'm 38. What are you talking about? An older <laughs> guy? Are you kidding? Yeah. How old do you think I am? But I do, I do, I do find that that was a really strange realization to come to um, is just how I would be viewed, even though I'm, to me, I still feel like I'm a pretty young guy how it would be viewed by so many people as, you know, an, an elder sort of, sort of role. Um, and it's, it's all strange, man. It's, it's weird. And I really don't think about how visible our family is. Mm-hmm. Um, for Lauren, it's definitely been an adjustment mm-hmm. in some ways. Cause it's kind of um, separating that from, knowing the real me, you know, there's a bunch of people that she used to follow on Instagram that she viewed as like, you know, famous. And now they're resharing my stuff and I'm talking to them. And and so that's kind of strange for her. Um, and plus she knows the real me, you know, like she sees me when I'm taking a nap in the middle of the day and (laughs) all that stuff. So when she Mm -hmm. reads the comments of people saying some of the Mm -hmm. things that they say, she's just like, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. The projections. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it, it's funny because it's like people fill in the blanks yeah. with the craziest stuff. It's like, dude, I never wrote anything about how I'm like embracing the grind mindset or whatever. Like, I don't write that. I don't promote that. But people mm-hmm. message me and be like, bro, I'm sure you wake up at like 6 a.m. and hit the gym every day. I'm like, why would you think that? Aww. I've never written that. <laughs> you know, but people yeah. tend to, you know, you put like 10% of yourself out there. And what people don't understand is like, dude, you're seeing me and the stuff that I'm sharing and like the 10% of the, of life that I've really gotten figured out and I've got a good handle on. Mm-hmm. And you assume that the other 90% of life, I have that same level of, of a handle on. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just as screwed up as you are. You're just not, you don't want to see me posting, posting videos of how bad I suck at bowling or, or whatever, you know, like, I don't want to see that. Not, yeah. Nobody wants to see that. Right. So yeah. that's something that I find really ironic about kind of being on both sides of, of celebrity is people just fill in the unknowns mm-hmm. that you even, never even portray. And they assume you're, you're as talented at this one thing as you are at everything. And it's like, no, <laughs> if you took me to home Depot, you would not be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, no, that's, that's a real thing, right? It's a real thing yeah. when people find celebrities or whoever on the internet or on TV or movies or whatever. And they, they have all these, uh, uh, hidden good qualities in themselves that they don't know about. Right. Like 
the, to the ability to work really hard or achieve or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so they find someone on the internet and they project all those qualities within themselves onto the other person and think the other person embodies it. It's like, no, man, that's yeah. you. What you're seeing reflected yeah. on me is you. Yeah. But no one ever tells them that. They don't, they, how would they ever well, learn that? Yeah. Well, and that's what I try to do as much as I can is, you know, I think really as far as why I share my life and all that, why I've made it so personal. <clears throat> I think one of the things I'm trying to do is that so many of our influences aren't good influences anymore. Right. And so for me, like in my original bio that I changed, that I ended up changing is that I put in there, you know, I'm not a life coach. I'm a role model. And that's really kind of what I try to embody is just like, I like that, you know, I don't have it all figured out. I don't, you know, I haven't cured cancer. I'm not a rock star or whatever. I'm just going to live my life out loud in front of people and let the people that that helps just let it help them and just show them an alternative story. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really all I'm trying to do with my writing and things that I share is, you know, here's how, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I did. Here's the mistakes that I made. Here's how I'm living my life. Here's what I'm learning. And if, if you like the way that sounds, or if you like certain elements of my life and you want those same things, then here's how to get there, you know, and mm -hmm. that's really, I don't know anything else to really do um, other than just provide an alternative story or an, an alternative way to go about living that people aren't seeing, you know, and, and I'm really shocked at how many people seem to have latched onto that because I was expecting it to be a much smaller audience. What were you expecting? Are you expecting people to be like, oh yeah, beyond we've seen, I've seen that before or like what, what were you expecting? Yeah. I was expect. well, number one, I was expecting a lot more attacks from, you know, people on the left. Um, mm. you know, I was expecting a lot more attacks from feminists and, um, you know, the woke, the woke crowd, even though I don't really go after that. I just, rep I right. just represent like, Hey, here's my life. Here's what's worked for me. Uh, I still expected to get a lot of pushback and it's been very, very minimal to kind of put any pushback that I've gotten, because I think the feedback that I get most often is what I share is very wholesome. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I share, you know, text exchanges that me and my mom have had or stories about what my dad taught me when I was a kid, things like that. Um, and even even people that I've ended up finding out have very different political views and worldviews than I do. Seeing it play out and in the way that I show just like, here's what I've learned. Here's my life. Here's me and my boys. Here's what I believe. I've just gotten a lot of feedback that's like, you know what? That's hard to hate because yeah. it's really wholesome. Yeah. Um, and so I was expecting more pushback, but then secondly, I mean, some of the, some, some of the biggest posts that I've, that I've written, I expected people to be like, duh, uh, you know? Yeah. And they've been just absolutely mind blowing on, yeah. on how they've been received. And so I, I very much underestimated how much just basic, like fatherly guidance is available, you know, and, and just really, really basic stuff. And, and not just that, but having it explained in a way that people can really process and apply, you know, mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you look at somebody like Jordan Peterson, right? Like his stuff's really good. And I read his, you know, I read his book, but it's really high level, you know I mean? Some of those paragraphs are like, <laughs> yeah. you know, 
giant run on sentences. And it's like, I understand what you're saying and it makes sense. But as soon as I put the book down, it doesn't give me much to go take and like download and go apply in my life. Right. And so that's one of the things I think I have, you know, a reasonably good skill set at, you know, is, is taking things and ideas that are somewhat complicated and breaking them down into a way that is fairly easy to understand and relate to and apply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, that is the, that is Jordan Peterson's unique gift and also challenge is that he, you know, he's, he's such a galaxy brain, you know, yeah. like the, like the, the, the depth and quality of his thought is so, is so significant and his, his ability to articulate his thoughts as well. But then, um, but then it wasn't until he took his, you know, level of thinking and, uh, and created the 12 rules for life that actually brought it down to the level that most people are at, um, that he really became popular, that he really became yeah. successful. But even then, even then, while the rules themselves are pretty, are pretty concept comprehensible and easy to follow, even then, you know, some of the things that supported us is so, it's so high level, oh, yeah. but but by the time I get to the by the time I get to the end of the sentence, I don't remember what the beginning of the sentence was talking about. Sometimes, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's not he's not going to be the guy, you know, who's like telling you know explaining like how to get up at five thirty in the morning, you know. And sure. that's not yeah. I mean, that's not. But that's the thing is that that's that's why I have this idea of the Renaissance is that you know we get so, so many men get so caught up in cult of personalities around like masculinity is this one guy, right? Mm-hmm. Whoever it is, you know, it does like I could list a bunch of names and I don't want to spiral the conversation off to talk about them specifically. So I'll just say it, it feels like in this masculinity space, everyone latches onto the guy that represents masculinity to them, right? Yeah. Whoever it might be. Um, and then, but the notion of anyone else representing masculinity in any way doesn't apply. It's like, well, you're not as much of a man as this guy. So you're yes. not a man. And it's like, yeah. Like, when did we get so low resolution in thinking about masculinity? And that's what I, one of the things I like about Jordan Peterson is he blows all that out of the water. Yeah. You know, like I would be surprised if Jordan Peterson has ever squatted on a barbell, but I'll yeah. tell you what he, I tell you what he can do. He can think his way through problems that no one else who has, Absolutely. you know, triple his body weight can think through. Right. So is yeah. there room in masculinity for that? That's yeah. what I appreciate what he, about what he does. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no doubt. And, um, I mean, I think, I hope one of the things that happens with me is I don't want it to turn into that cult of personality. Um, I will uh, will knock you down several pegs if that happens. Well, I think it, (laughs) I think it helps that I write in the first person. Yeah. You know, in in most cases, I, I, I try to write from that first person perspective as opposed to telling others what to do. It's more of here's, here's what I've learned. Here's how I've learned to apply it. And I think that makes it easier to relate to. Um, and nobody's going to be able to accuse me of having it all figured out when I'm, but I say that, but they still think I do. I'll freely admit in my, in my posts that like, I have no idea what, what this means. You know, here's how I screwed this up. And they're like, man, you've got it all figured out. I'm like, I literally just wrote about everything I wrote about was me, not <laughs> me very vocally and publicly saying, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yep. I'm be- literally just making it up as I go along. And you're because like, Dude, you you're said so that. smart. Like, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> do not so. do not listen to anything I say. Yes, master. 
That's what it feels like sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I guess what what accounts for that? And, you know, because it's not necessarily then the content of your words. Because if you could say, I'm literally figuring this out as I go, don't take me as the Bible truth for any of this. And everyone's like, yes, we will not take you for the Bible truth. Like, no, you're not listening to me. Right? Yeah. There must be something else that you're doing or that you embody that was what people resonate with that translates through the words. Right. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think other people are probably, you know, you've, you've actually been really helpful for me in reflecting that stuff, that stuff onto me on how other people perceive me, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's like, you know, like Matt Boudreau and I were talking a few weeks ago and he, he said something about how, you know, when you're, when you're inside the jar, you can't read the label. I like that. It sounds like Matt. Right. And so what's funny about that is the things that people see in me are often completely shocking to me when they tell me that. Yeah. I'm like, really? <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> totally wouldn't have guessed that, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, I think there's, there's a level of just authenticity and just being genuine, you know, like everything I don't, everything I write is, everything I share, you know, is, is real. It's not made up, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the thing that I think people can't really can't wrap their minds around is like, they always ask me where I learned whatever I'm writing about. Where did you learn this? What books did you read? What podcasts did you listen to? And it's like, I haven't, mm-hmm. like, I literally just sit and, and process an idea and I, and I explore it through writing. And so I'll have a certain idea that I feel like needs to be talked about. So like this, my, my post that I did yesterday was about men and mothers, you know, having so a boundary between, you know, a man and a mother. And that wasn't something I read anywhere. You know, my mom taught me that lesson as a kid, you know, but mm-hmm. it was something that has come up in my personal life with people that I know, you know, locally. And then I've seen it come up a lot through comments. And so I just try to pay attention to what issues seem to be coming up a lot that Mm -hmm. need to be addressed. And then once something's on my radar, I'll just spend time thinking about it and I'll explore, I'll explore my thoughts about it in the, in the writing process. And I post it, you know, and a lot of people have trouble understanding. It just goes to show how conditioned people are to being, you know, force fed what to think. Mm -hmm. Because when I tell them like, where did, where did you get that information? I said, I just made it up. Like, what do you mean you just made it up? Like, <laughs> I just thought about it and typed it out on a PowerPoint document, man. Like, source. I am source. LOL. I, I am the source, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't even know if I'm right half the time. It's just my, it's just my guess. Like, I'm just, I'm exploring a thought out loud. <laughs> you're throwing, you're like you're in a dark room full of balloons, right? And you have these darts and just no matter which direction you throw a dart, it just pops a balloon, like pop, pop. It's amazing. Well, I mean, and you know what? It's better. I don't think it's, I don't think it's perfect. And everything I've written, certainly when I go back and read it a month or so later, I'm like, oh man, I didn't address this or I could have addressed this better. I could have been more nuanced about this, this particular thought or whatever, but it's better than nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. because the alternative that people have, there's very little substance in the marketplace and everybody it's obvious that everybody's just playing a game of views and engagement because they're all saying the same cliche lines over and over and over again, you know, like hard times create strong, strong men. It's like, dude, how many, how many dudes are going to make a reel saying that? Like 
what do you think you're accomplishing by literally just regurgitating the thing, the same things yeah. over and over and over again? But that's all anybody does because it's safe. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas with a lot of what I write, you know, I've never really felt vulnerable in my life. I've always mm-hmm. felt very in control. Um, the process of literally thinking something through out loud on a, you know, in, in my writing that I've never read anywhere that I don't know. Somebody might come out of the woodwork and completely, you know, pick that theory apart. And I haven't thought about that. You know, like it's a very vulnerable experience to create something like that and just put it out into the world and say, hey, ju- judge away, mm-hmm. you know. But I think that's why you see so much regurgitated content because it's safe. It's like, I know everybody's going to like this if I say, you know, hard times create strong men. I'm going to get 1,500 likes. You know, it's like, I'm never going to, anything cliche, I'm out. You're never going to hear me repeat those things. (laughs) Same, same. I mean, I get that there are people go to Instagram for different reasons. Some people use in in any social media, they use it as a source of motivation. So if they wake up in the morning and they're struggling to make progress in their life, that seeing the reel that says, you know, men do hard things is, is inspiration for them to pick up and, and keep fighting. And, and, you know, that's, that's, that's being generous, but there is a lot of regurgitation. There is a lot of like guys doing the basic stuff and not contributing anything to the conversation. You know, there is a lot of that. And, and it's, it's, it's actually, it's hard to see because it, it shows up time to time. It's like, you know, the, like the, the, the solar guys like Arthur Dane, Blood and Rain, Zenovial, shout out Zenovial, shout out Arthur, shout out Devin, you know, all these guys, like they have, they were talking about the stuff like years ago. Right. And so, you know, we, you see the chats mm-hmm. going on. It's like, oh yeah, no, that, that was where we were at like a year ago. But you know, to some extent, it, you the conversation has to move on. And there are sometimes people that are still just picking up the conversation. You know, yeah. for the there's first time, there's always new people coming in that haven't heard it. You know, That's so right. there's there's a place for that for sure. But for me personally, it's just like nails on a chalkboard. Not not consuming it, but the thought of me producing that type of work. Yes. Just yes. makes my skin crawl because for me, I want, I want, I want to write things and put things out there that people hopefully haven't heard anywhere, heard it everywhere else before, or at least explained in a way that they haven't heard explained. You know, for me, I think what we need more of, it's very easy to fall prey to the echo chamber mm-hmm. and telling people what they want to hear so that you get a bunch of engagement. What's, what's far more difficult is persuading people that might not okay. agree. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what my goal is, you know, is my goal is to take people that are in the middle or maybe even in disagreement mm-hmm. and explain my experience or my opinions or my worldviews or, you know, whatever, it, whatever topic I'm discussing to explain it in a way that makes them think, you know, and reconsider, Hey, maybe, I, maybe there, there is something to that that I hadn't thought of. You know, then that's really, I'm not as much trying to appeal to people that already agree with me. Mm. I'm really trying to expand the base of, of the people who share values like the ones that I have, because we need, we need more people, you know, to build the groundswell of support behind, you know, traditional values and some of these common sense, you know, ideas, whether it's masculinity or family or culture or whatever, um, there's enough, there's enough of the echo chamber stuff going on. What we need is to expand and grab people that may not agree mm-hmm. 
and explain why why our life why we believe in these things. And I think for me, I'm in a fortunate position because I can I can point to how it's worked out. You know, so when somebody says, "Oh, that's BS," it's like, "No, I've lived it. Look at right. look at the results of my life." You know, and that kind of it's hard to argue with that. Right. You know, if somebody says, "Oh, that doesn't work," it's like, mm. I mean, here's my life. I'm not hiding anything. Here's a picture of my house. Here's a picture of my family. Here's yep. me and my son. Here's me and my wife. Like we've been married for 14 years. Like this isn't theory, mm-hmm. you know. And I think. I think that's something that I just accidentally stumbled into, you know, is that it happened to be very good timing for when I launched my page because with everything that's gone on basically since COVID, I think a lot of people, I don't think I know, people are questioning the narratives of everything mm-hmm. more so than maybe in my lifetime. Yeah. So for me, I think I'm in a very fortunate position to where all the values that people are just now starting to promote. I've actually been living my entire adult life. And so I have kind of a unique snapshot to where, you know, I haven't shared it yet, but me and my mom texted last night after Mm -hmm. I wrote that post about mothers and sons Mm -hmm. and she wrote, you know, I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was basically like, you know, yeah, I remember in Genesis two 24, the Bible tells a mom to do that. And, you know, it was indescribably hard for me to let go of my son. But if we care about our what's best for our sons, then we have to do it, you know. And so, like my mom, my mom is saying that after having done it. Whereas you've got people like feminine, not feminist, and and all these women that they're promoting these values, and they're and they're the same values, right? There's there a, a new generation of women that are promoting these values like they're new. But here I am. My mom is almost seventy. And she's basically validating the same thing that, you know, feminine, not feminist is saying, but she's doing it from the perspective of, no, I've actually done it. Right. Well, I think, I think, I think for a lot of the, a lot of these girls is that they were, they were raised in, in, you know, men as well, hyper feminized environments, I mean, by feminism, hyper feminized, feminismized. Um, and, (laughs) And yeah. Right. And so, for them, these values are a discovery, sure. right? Like, like, like they are, they are for me, like they're, like they're logical. Like, yeah. like, like I, I think um, I've been reading books on these topics, you know, for like almost 10 years and it, not because like I had anything necessarily to prove, but I was really in like genuinely interested. Like I, for I, answers. I was looking for I mean, answers yeah. and I found the subject itself to be so interesting. Like, mm-hmm. like normally when someone says, oh, that's really interesting. It's a word that that's not exactly what they mean. No, like I was genuinely interested. Like, this is fascinating. Like yeah. the way that masculine and, and feminine work. So for me, you know, I've been able to look at a lot, a lot of these ideas and, and, and um, reverse engineer them. Right. Sure. And that's, and then I reversed and engineered them right into Christianity. It was like, how cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, and, but I think it's the same. I think it's the same for most people that didn't get particularly related to your post about mothers that didn't get a mother who knew that she had to let her son go. Like that was yeah. like, if you look on my podcast with spirit dream, uh, when this comes out, it'll be a couple of weeks ago. One of the women, uh, who was at that camp, you know, her name was Barb and she, she, she was Christian and she had done the same thing. Like, of course it crushes me to let my son go, but mm-hmm. I have to do it. 
And like, that was literally the first time in my life that I had ever seen that. I didn't know that that was a, yeah. And so that's the thing is a lot of people. And and when you wrote that post, it's so funny that you wrote that post the day you did, because that very day I had talked with two clients who were struggling hugely with overbearing mothers. And then I can think of two other people that I'm talking with at the same time, also in the professional context that have the same problem. Like mm-hmm. it's an enormous problem. It's huge, it's a massive problem. Yeah. Massive problem. So, so like, yes, like your mother. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Like your mom wasn't yeah. doing anything new, and Annalise isn't doing anything new. But like, it is new because that's so counter to our oh, experience. Absolutely. I, I think it's. I think it's. I'm really encouraged by you know Annalise and and you know Brendan Schmidt with Masculine Revival and all those guys. You know, they're okay. writing these. Yeah, they're <laughs> writing these things that are obviously need to be said, you know, and they're doing it in a really compelling persuasive way that's having massive influence and reach. I think for me, what's funny is that I'm in a position to where I I accidentally, I didn't know that there was a movement of that going on Mm. when I started writing. I'd never heard of Annalise. I'd never heard of any of this. Like (laughs) I didn't know there was a men's movement. I didn't know any of this was going on. Mm. Like I had no clue that this world existed. Right. And so I just showed up. And so I think part of the reason my stuff resonates is that I've actually lived with all these other people have just now discovered and are writing about. It's like, hold on, you know, I can actually share the perspective of a mo- of my mother who did this very thing that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I was born in 1983. And so to me, it's not subtracting from Annalise or anything. It's just adds, it just adds more weight to it because it's like the, I feel like I am oh, I a, a living a, a living example of like when you apply this, this is what life can be like. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to do that, but everything that people write about with whether you know because like we've been ahead of the curve on all of these things. Like we we've, we've been homeschooling people. Like oh yeah, we love homeschooling. How long we just started a couple of years ago? How long have y'all been homeschooling? Eleven years. <laughs> oh okay, you know like had, what, what did your wife ever work? Like no. I started a business in, you know, 2011 and we decided back in 2008 that she was going to stay home and raise the kids and we were going to homeschool. We were like, how Mm -hmm. did you know to do that? I just, I just, I looked at the landscape of what was going on and I said, this is the path that makes the most sense. And so all these things that are trendy now, I didn't know they were going to become trendy. I didn't know homeschooling was going to be as big as it's gotten. (laughs) I had no mm-hmm. idea. We started homeschooling in 2008, way before it was trendy, way before COVID, way, way before, you know, I'd even heard of anything going on with, you know, what they're teaching kids in schools about gender and all like, it had nothing to do with any of that. My reasons for homeschooling were completely different, but yeah, I think part of the reason what's interesting about why people gravitate towards what I write is less about what I write and it's more about like, this guy's actually done it for like a decade. Yeah. And so I have, I have a little bit more, I I can back it up with real life anecdotes. I have kids that are teenagers and, you know, uh, that have been homeschooled for a long time. And so I I feel like I just accidentally um, have been like on the cutting edge of that, riding that wave that I didn't know was there. So when I showed up, I'm kind of taken aback that all these things are now trendy that to me I've been doing for 15 years. Yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean all this stuff is cool? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, That's when a- I started it, it was not cool. When I started homeschooling, most of my most of the people that follow me were still in high school. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, but like yeah. when you were homeschooling though, like most of the parents around you probably were like, that's weird. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. My okay. Parents, everybody, our, our whole family thought we were crazy. Everybody thought we were crazy, but people said the same thing about, you know, the business that I started, mm-hmm. you know, like every step of the way in my life, everybody around me has told me that I was crazy. Yeah. You're crazy. And I, and I, and I did it anyway. And then, had, and now, and now they're like, to that. man, how did you, how did you do that? I'm like, I didn't listen to you. That was part of it. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> Mic drop, hang up the phone, walk out of the door. People in my life don't question me anymore, but right. that's because they've seen, seen the evidence. Like, okay. I mean, was, yeah. this, was this you following your intuition? Was it you following your values? Like, what was it that led you to make those, I, I don't want to call them difficult decisions, but like unpopular decisions? I'm not sure how to describe them. Like counterintuitive decisions, Whatever. I've just always, I've just always trust. So I have this process where I just look at things and I don't, and I don't really have an opinion. You know, I just, I look at it from all the angles and I'm like, what makes the most sense on how to go about doing this? And I just do it. Mm-hmm. I just kind of reverse engineer everything. And so for me, I like one of my, if I had, you know, if I had to put it into words, I would tell everybody, you know, nothing is sacred. Don't let anything ever be so sacred that you can't question it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if it's, if it's true and if it's real, it can withstand the scrutiny that you put it under. Amen. And I think yeah. far, I think far too often people go with what everyone else is doing and they never actually ask themselves if it's going to work or not. They just do it because it's safe. Is it, oh, it, it can't be that bad because everyone else is doing it. So for mm-hmm. me, like with homeschooling, you know, I remember I decided I wanted to homeschool when I was a freshman in college. Because you, didn't I, have, you have kids. No, I, I, I got to college and I went mm-hmm. to I went to a really difficult school. It's like, anyway, I went to a really difficult school and um, I remember. I took an, anthropo- an anthropology class and I'd always been able to wing it. And I made like a, and the, there were only two tests. There was a midterm and a final. There was no okay. other grades. Right. And so the night before the midterm, I was like, I have to study really hard. And I studied as hard as I knew how to study. I made flashcards. I'd stayed, I pulled an all nighter in the library. I did everything. Mm, I remember those and, I made a, and I made a nine. Out of a nine. Out of a out out hundred. Yeah. What? Did you spell your name wrong? Right? I mean. Well, and I realized that I hadn't been taught how to study. Nobody ever taught me how to learn. And so once I got got out into the real world, I looked back in hindsight and I was furious at all the adults in my life that had told me, you know, this is how you prepare for life. And it's like, I had nothing else to do for 18 years but learn. Mm -hmm. And you taught me geometry. This, I, I don't, I've never needed to know how to measure the circumference of a circle. Not mm-hmm. once. You wasted some of the best years of my life when I had nothing else to do teaching me stuff that I didn't ever need to know. And the stuff that I did, that I did get taught, it was like, if you can memorize this by tomorrow, then you'll make an A. And I spent my whole adolescence worried about chasing girls and playing sports. And I had no preparation for life whatsoever. I was raised by my peers. 
you know? And so for me, as, as a teenager, when you spend eight hours a day with your peers and then you get, you know, an hour a night, and especially when you're playing sports, right? You spend eight hours a day at school and then you're on the bus going back and forth on road trips for sports and all this stuff. How the hell is a parent's, is a parent's influence supposed to outweigh what, what that child is around for 50 or 60 hours a week? There's no yeah. amount of parenting you can do to compensate for them being around a bunch of idiots all day. And so I, I observed all that and came to that realization and spent a lot of time thinking about it. Just like my writing, where did it come from? I just spend a lot of time analyzing every angle until I feel like I've come up with this is what makes the most sense. And so I remember where I was driving. I vividly remember when I had that epiphany, like I'm going to homeschool my kids. I'm going to teach when they're adolescents, they need to be around me because I need to be the one setting their priorities because if not, they'll have the wrong priorities. Makes sense. And I, and I decided that in 2003. Now, Lauren was not about it for a long time. She didn't mm-hmm. think she could do it or whatever, you know, and when we did it, everybody was against us. But I remember make, coming to that conclusion very, very vividly at 19 when I realized that all the adults that I'd trusted in my life had pissed my childhood away and let me waste my time on shit that, it, that didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just one example of how I get to the got to those things. I just, I don't take anybody's word for anything. I test everything and I'm not scared to act on the conclusion that I come to, even if it's, even if it's unpopular, Mm -hmm. because I trust that I've thought through all the details and that this is the best plan. Mm -hmm. And if that's popular, great. And there's a lot of things I do that are really popular. Like I like the Marvel movies. A lot of people like, oh, I hate Disney and I hate Marvel. Like, oh, I nice like talking Marvel to you, movies. Ryan. Good, good chat. Thanks a lot, yeah. Ryan. That's like, Ryan, where can people find you? And I'm, just <laughs> so I'm not contrarian about everything. It's just like I, I evaluate everything independently and the things that are popular. I'm like, I don't, I don't mind being popular or cliche, but if it's unpopular, I'm going to do it anyway. Right. You know, I'm, I'm going to view it objectively and. I think that's helped me be ahead of the curve on a lot of things that now people are seeing the same things. I just saw them 10 years ago because they were obvious then too. People just didn't trust their own judgment. Right. Nothing that's gone on is shocking to anybody that's paying, that's been paying attention. Everything that's going on in life. You can ask my wife. I've been telling her this since 2005, but here's mm-hmm. what's, here's where we're going to end up. I, I didn't know the specifics, but I knew we were going to spiral out of control. Yeah. And the, the people who are going to give the government more power to feel safe. You know, as soon as I learned about taxes and the government in general, you know, in 2005, 2006, when I was dating my wife, she can tell you, I was saying all the stuff that people are saying on the internet now, I was saying it back then. It's been obvious to anybody that's paying attention. Right. And has the capacity to ask even basic questions about reality, right? Yeah. What's, fu- what's funny is that the, the childhood that you articulate is mine was exactly opposite. Like I, I never did and, and was never encouraged to do anything but learn how to learn. Like that was it. Oh, like like yeah. sports. Okay. Yeah. Congrats, you can play sports, not football. Yeah. Can't play football. You can play basketball, which I was miserable at. I was good at baseball in seventh and eighth grade, but like athletics was just not not something in the cards. Like I wanted to be better at sports, but it just wasn't there. The values of my family were entirely like my job. My job was to get A's. I was supposed to be mm-hmm. an, a, an A plus factory period, non-negotiable, mm-hmm. literally non-negotiable. 
And so, and so that's, so that's been something, yeah, I got really, really good at learning, like really good mm-hmm. at learning. And I'm very grateful, you know, in my life now, because I can still apply those skills that I've learned to whatever and yeah. just absorb information like a sponge and process it and put it together. And there's a whole lot of other stuff that I didn't get that I mm-hmm. had to go out and find on my own way later in my life. And, and I think, I think what, what I like about homeschooling is that everyone who does it, it seems to realize the same thing. Like you are able to impart value. You're not, it's, not, it's not only about the values that get excluded, like partying and all the, and all the social stuff that's taking you away from the formative years of your brain, but the values that get included, meaning like there's more to you than your mind and your ability to function as a cog in a machine, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's creativity, there's um, athletics and out outdoor stuff and self-expression and just getting out of the classroom. And and the people who homeschool recognize that to build a well-rounded person, like I got, I got really lucky providentially to have been given the opportunity to round myself out as a person later in life. And I took it and it was yeah. hugely expensive. Like yeah. in, in, very in, few in, people get that opportunity though. They once, once they hit 22, the die on their life is cast and they're, and they're stuck for a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would say probably for yeah, 22, probably for men, like 35, I would say like, like it's, it's solidifying from 22 to 35, but once you get to 35, it's really, really hard to change, especially if you have like mm-hmm. a wife and kids and family oh, and yeah. stuff like that. But, but yeah, like early twenties. And that's the thing. Who was I talking to? I was talking to Ben Merkel, um, the, the president of New St. Andrews College, the, the, the college that they have in Moscow, Idaho, where Doug Wilson and oh, all yeah. those guys are. So I was talking to him, my podcast last week. And, you know, we were talking about just the corruption of higher education. And at some point in the conversation was sort of this realization hit like, no one has ever said that the years from 18 to 22 were the least important years of their lives, right? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's not only like, yes, people like kids go off to college and they get indoctrinated, but like those are actually hugely formative years for our brains. And you oh, send absolutely. kids, you know, like high school and those college years, you know, like zero to seven is important, but those years are begin forming the man. And so, oh, yeah. yeah. So like that you, it's like, no, no, no. My kids are not going to get the experience that I had. So that when I go to college, I, I have to learn how to learn. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's very strongly forward thinking um, way of looking at it from your own mistakes, right? Or mistakes made with you. I'm not sure how you'd phrase that. Yeah. yeah I think that's just the process I go through with everything, whether it was, you know, I've done that in business, I've done that in marriage, I've done that in a lot of things. It's like in the same way that you're fascinated, you know, with learning about masculinity, you know, like I can't, I'm just fascinated. My mind loves solving problems. Mm-hmm. Just, I have to almost be on guard against what problems I allow into my awareness, mm. because a lot of times I'll 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 end up spending hours solving problems that I don't even mind to solve. You know what I mean? Just yeah. because my my brain, <clears throat> I can't help it. You know, like if I'm aware of something that doesn't seem that that doesn't seem right or or seems clunky or inefficient, like I want I want to come up with solutions, whether it's operations in my business or, you know, making a presentation, you know, in a sales scenario or having a conversation with my wife or teaching my son how to throw a baseball or, or whatever, 
if there's anything about it that's inefficient, that's bumpy, then my mind immediately stops and says, how do I make this automatic? How do mm. I, how, how do I make it where, you know, one of the rules that I have in my business is, you know, our standard of communication is make it impossible to misunderstand. You know, a lot of people aren't good, aren't great communicators. And so they'll, they'll say something a certain way and it only works half of the time. And the other half of the time they, t- they say, Oh, the, those people are just stupid or, you know, they're, they're, too, they're too impatient to listen. It's like, no, it's your job to make it impossible mm-hmm. for someone to misunderstand what you're mm-hmm. trying to say. Mm-hmm. And if, they, if, they, if it's possible that they can misunderstand it, then you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. For a business, that's essential. It. Yeah. And so that's kind of just, I could, I could talk for hours about all the ways that I've applied that in my life, but I just have this, I don't know, this thing in my mind that just can't let problems go until everything is as as smooth and perfect as it, as I know as I know how to make it, mm-hmm. whether that's my fitness or sports or parenting or I mean everything. That's just I'm just wired that way. So if mm-hmm. I think I think that's helped me anticipate a lot of things that people that other people are just now coming to realizations about, you know, because I don't really care how things have been done before. I don't care what the rules are. I don't care what my parents said or what the society what society says or if it what conservatives say or what liberals say or what it's like, I don't care what anybody says. Nothing is so sacred that it can't be questioned. If we could do it, if we could start it perfectly from scratch with no influences, how would we do it? Mm-hmm. And let's do it that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be nice. Right. That's how I've, that's how I've run my whole life. That's mm-hmm. what I've done. I mean, you know, and people, people wonder, you know, People ask me, you know, how did you figure this out or how did you get to that point in your life or whatever? That's how, you know, what makes the most sense and actually like put your feet in concrete about it, plant your feet and live there, even if it's not popular, because it might end up being popular, Mm -hmm. like homeschooling. (laughs) Everybody Mm -hmm. thought I was crazy when I wanted to homeschool in 2008. Now everybody's like, now all of a sudden it's trendy. That's cool that it's trendy now. I would still be doing it either way. Yeah, because it doesn't make it any less true, yeah. right? Like, like that, and that's the, that's the part where a lot of these trends, you know, they they run the risk of being just that trends. Like, oh, you have your kids in public school. Like, oh, we homeschool. It's like, yeah. no, you don't hold your homeschooling over somebody else as some sort of status thing. That's the part yeah. that drives me nuts. It drives yeah. me absolutely crazy. Where it's like, oh, I've got the land and I've got the homeschool. It's like these things that you do. Like these are goods in themselves. They're not status symbols. And where these things get conflated with status symbols, it's like you're missing the entire point. It's all social proof, man. It's I mean, oh, it's, it, it, it's no different. It's no different than going back to like everybody wants to be the popular kid in high school, and they'll make themselves look like <laughs> idiots in order to maintain. They'll bully people to be popular. They'll tell me they'll, about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's nothing people won't do to be popular in high school. It's just part of, it's part of human nature. And I think there's very few people who are born with the type of personality that can withstand the appeal to that popularity that are just, you know, my oldest son is like that where he's just, he is who he is, man. And he, he didn't care mm-hmm. if it's popular, you know, like he's playing basketball, you know, where we live in Arkansas, they can play, we have the Tim Tebow law, so they can play public school sports even though we homeschool. What is the Tim Tebow law? Oh, that's okay. You just told me. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so he played, he plays basketball at the, at the local school with all the public school kids. And they're all on their phones on TikTok all the time. And one of the, one of the kids in his basketball team is in like eighth grade and he's got like 200,000 TikTok followers, you know? And so everybody thinks he's really cool. And Rowan comes home and he's just like, yeah, they're all idiots. Like we leave the house, like we got him a phone because he needs to be able to call us when he's on road trips because he does quiz bowl at the school and he does basketball. He does what? Uh, quiz bowl. I have no idea what that is. Quiz bowl. It's uh, it's basically like tri- like a trivia contest. Oh, um, okay, okay. It's like it's quiz bowl, not quiz ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quiz okay. bowl. Like okay, I was gonna say quiz ball. Like, what is that? Is like Calvin yeah. ball? <laughs> he's yeah, he's a professional. <laughs> okay. But like, he has a phone. But like, when we leave the house, he he just leaves it home. He just has no attachment to it at all. He doesn't care if he's not popular. He'll sit in the bleachers by himself. Everybody else is looking at TikTok, and he'll just watch the girls' basketball game. He's just happy as you know, happy as a clam, mm-hmm. and so he was just born that way, you know. Whereas the other son, he's a lot more impressionable. You know, mm-hmm. if he went to a public school, he he would want to be popular so bad he'd be the kid that would do anything to be popular, unless mm-hmm. it was morally wrong. He's he's got strong moral yeah, yeah, values. Yeah. He would be the class clown. You know, he would be the one that he would pretend like, you know, he didn't care about grades so that people think he's cool. And you know what I mean, like. Um, and so I think I think there's a, a small subset of people that are that are wired, especially at a young age, that are wired to withstand that and say, "No, this is who I am, and it doesn't matter to me if I'm popular or not. If it's popular, I like it. I don't mm-hmm. mind being popular, mm-hmm. but I'm fine without it too. I don't need to be." And I think that's that's a really hard challenge, especially. Now that, you know, but even if now that we've got social media, you know, it's very intoxicating to want to seek that popularity. But man, you go back and you read, you know, reading the biography of Harry Truman right now, you know, and it's, it's funny. So many of the things that we, we complain about as new problems that people use social media for, like, dude, back in the 1890s, all the women in town would sit on somebody's front porch and gossip all day. And like nothing's changed. It's not, sure. you know, we have a, we have a medium to do it now that makes it bigger, but it's not like people back then were any more advanced or morally superior. Like right. <laughs> they would right. sit and judge people and gossip. And I mean, you know, so human nature hasn't changed. Yeah. It's easy to think in the modern day that it's worse than it's ever been. And in a lot of ways it legitimately is, but in terms of like moral values, like, People weren't always that great back in the day either. We just weren't aware of it. <laughs> Whereas now it's very, uh, the moral decay is on display for the world to see in a way that it never has been. Yeah. It's celebrated. There's, yeah. It's celebrated. Yeah. yeah. There's no, people always say that, oh, they, they think back to simpler times, right? That always is the, that's the idea, right? Like 50 years ago, hundred years ago, was simpler times. And I, I don't know whether it's, I don't know whether it's true that the times were simpler. I think everyone, everyone for all of history has said, oh, it was simpler times a hundred years ago, right? Yeah. I think, excuse me, but I think the, the problems that we're dealing with right now, they're, they're so complex and they're so in your face and you just can't escape them, right? Like, That's like, and, why and I had to start writing. I couldn't mm-hmm. sit by and let these things continue and not try to do something about it. Same. That's why I, I started the Renaissance it. of Men. I was like, I, I thought I was going to be a psychotherapist. I was, that's what I wanted to do is I wanted to be a therapist and I wanted to work with men. And then the world melted down in 2020. And I was like, why would I 
why would I spend three years in school, first of all, plus two years of supervisory time to become a therapist and work only in a physical office in, in Phoenix, Arizona, mm. when I can when I can coach men around the world? Yeah. Like and, and and like why would I why would I do that? Because the need is so extreme. Absolutely. You know, because people because then it's just there. Like if I have something to share, why do I need to wait for a piece of paper from a degree granting yeah. organization to say like congratulations you can and now what's nice is that there's more opportunity for that now than ever yeah. you can make more you can make more money as a coach online and I, I don't coach much but the few people that i have coached they only had to pay me once yeah. you just they talk for 20 minutes and, and, like, like, and uh, for real i like you know there's a the two or three people that I coach, you know, they, they messaged me back and said, you know, I, man, I'm not trying to not pay you again, but I just don't need anything else. I'm like, that's the idea, mm-hmm. you know, but that's the problem is, you know, I have a big problem with therapy because I like the idea behind therapy, but what I'm there for somebody that knows more than me to tell me what to do. I'm not, I don't want to pay you to help me figure it out. Well, a therapist doesn't... To... go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Well, a therapist actually never tells you what to do. Exactly. Like a, coach, yes. a coach will tell you what to do, but a therapist, yeah. a therapist will help you arrive at, a good therapist will help you arrive at the reasons what, behind why you do the things that you do. And, and help that's you a problem. Begin. I don't, I don't okay. care why I'm doing it. Just tell me how to stop doing it. It doesn't matter to me. I don't sure. need to know how you made the food. I want to chew it and it's delicious. And that's all <laughs> I care about. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, when I go to the restaurant, I don't want a tour of the kitchen. I don't want mm-hmm. you to come show me how the, I want to sit here and enjoy talking to my wife and have a drink while you right. make the food. I want to chew it and eat it and have it be delicious and pay you and leave. I have no desire to take a tour of the restaurant or climb up <laughs> on the roof and see how the, you know, how the heating system works. Sure. I'm yeah. not going to pay. I'm not paying you for that. I'm paying you to feed me delicious food. Do that and we'll, and we'll be good. That's all I need. And that's why people like coaching better than therapy. Yeah. It's like, bro, I, I don't have time to spend three years trying to figure this out. My marriage is screwed up right now. I don't right. have 45 minutes a week for the next six years to figure this out. Like, give me practical tools that I can take home right now to make my marriage better. Yes. And that's, that's the, that's the, that's, that's the job. Of a, that's the job of a coach. That's, that is, that is yeah. absolutely the job of a coach is to give actionable, practical things that modify behavior. But, yeah. but, but there are, but there are problems that we experience that are rooted more deeply than, than just our behavior that a therapist needs to get to. Now, I don't think everyone who goes to therapy needs therapy, but I think as a man who's been very benefited by therapy because the problems were deeper than behavioral, I think it has a role, but I, but this gets back to the point that I make is like, most men don't actually need therapy. They need masculinity, but, yeah. right. That's, that's really what they need. There mm-hmm. are men that do need therapy. But I think, but I think yeah. in the same way the word the word trauma gets thrown around, like oh, it's traumatic. It's like we need to we need to reevaluate our use of that word. We need to reevaluate yeah. the use of therapy and understand what it's really useful for, and what coaching is useful for, and what just like solid advice and skillful living is for. All of these things are mm-hmm. so mixed up together, and I can think of lots of reasons why that might be. But yeah, I think most men like just tell me how to fix this problem. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that and works. I'm not going to get mad at you. I'm not going to get mad at you if what you tell me doesn't work. Right. Like sometimes it's just trial and error. 
mm-hmm. right? Like nobody knows perfectly. Like if somebody comes to me with marital problems, I'm not always going to know 100%. Hey, do this and it'll fix everything. Here's something to try. Here's something practical that you can go home and try. And we'll triangulate from there, you know? And I, I think of it, one of the analogies that I use a lot is like sighting in a gun. You know, like you get a new gun, put a new scope on, you know, you take a few shots and see if what you're aiming at lines up or if, it, or if it's off a little bit. And then mm-hmm. you, you take a few shots and then you dial it in and you dial it in. And it's just a continual process of trial and error until the target lines up with the bullseye. And then, you know, when you pull the trigger, it's going to go where you want it to go every time. But the mm-hmm. process of sighting in that scope, it doesn't matter how good a shooter you are, how much experience you have. Like every shooter still has to sight in the scope. You have to go through the process of just putting a bullet down range and seeing what happens. You mm-hmm. can't just sit and fiddle with the scope forever because you want your very first shot to be a bullseye. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. Nobody mm-hmm. does things that way. You have to just, you get as close as you can and you take a shot and then you measure it and you adjust and you take another shot and you gradually work your way in until those two things are correlated to where every time you pull the trigger, the bullet goes where you want it to go. But mm-hmm. that's a, that's a, that's a constant process. And I think a lot of, a lot of men have the mistaken impression that somebody like me or you that seems to have it all together, like, Oh, you could just hand me a gun and a scope and I can just immediately like shoot from the hip and just bullseye it from a mile away. It's like, bro, no, Mm-mm. I would still have to go through the same process you'd have to go through of trial and error. The only difference is I would iterate on that, on that cycle much more quickly because I wouldn't stop and think in between every shot. Oh, I'm such a bad shooter. Why is it because my dad didn't love me that I'm this bad at shooting? It's like, no, it's perfectly normal for you to have to go through this process of, of trying things until you figure out what works. Nobody escapes that process, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of people get so worked up and so discouraged that their first shot or their third shot isn't lined up that they think, oh, if, that, if the wisdom of King's guy was doing this, he would have figured this out a long time ago. Clearly. Like, no, I would have figured it out a long, a long time ago because I would have, I would have immediately sat down and taken two shots, measured where they were at, made an adjustment, took two more shots. I would never at any point in time even thought about how this reflects on my own ability or my own confidence. It's just an objective, detached process of trial and error. Mm-hmm. And I trust that by the time I dial it all in, when I pull the trigger, it'll hit the bullseye every time. So I'm in a hurry to iterate through that process. And I have 100% confidence when I say, I'm going to bullseye that and I'm going to bullseye it 100 times in a row. It's because I know by the time I iterate through that process over and over and over again, I'm in complete control of that shot from then on out. I think there's a yes and here because it's possible that, um, that there could be a young man who, whose father was physically abusive and said, you're a piece of shit and you're never going to amount to anything. And I fucking wish I never had you. And it's yeah. like, every time he gets up to take the shot, then he's like, he, he misses. And he's like, and what replays in his mind is, is on some level, the feeling of abuse, of uselessness, of lack of self-worth that was taught yeah. to him because of his inability to do something at age five that a 15 year old would have struggled with. And yeah. so like, yeah. and yeah. And so that's the, that's the level where it's like there, there, cause someone, someone wrote to me 
uh, last week. And he, he's, he's going through, as many of us are, this evolutionary moment in our life and in, in life. And, um, and he said, is it usual to feel this degree of depression and sadness as I grow? And I said, well, it depends. Maybe he didn't say depression. Maybe he said anxiety, something like that. I said, well, it depends on what's causing the, um, the depression or anxiety and, and the sadness, right? It, like if, if, um, if the sadness is because you're grieving over mistakes you've made in the past, you know, that's, that's one thing. Or if the anxiety is, is or the depression is, is related to the way that you've disappointed yourself, that's one thing. But if it's this thing that's dragging you down, this deep-seated terror about approaching your life, and, and, um, and if you're just, and there's something that's just weighing on you that you can't identify the root of, that's a very different thing. And yeah. so like behaviorism, you know, like modifying, changing, upgrading behaviors can go really, really far. And then there's a point at which you have to start getting to beliefs where the people's yeah. beliefs about themselves. And, and that's, that's yeah. where I think therapy and therapy and coaching can work together because this is what I tell, this is exactly what I do in, in my coaching. Like, is that, is that a therapist will work with your inner reality, but not do anything with your outer life. Like versus a coach will only work with your outer life and, and not with your inner reality. But there's a mm. case, there's a case for both of them for different kinds of men, right? Yeah. For, you know, who, who didn't necessarily have, and the point that I wanted to make is that like, so you, you wrote that great post about mothers and sons. There are plenty of boys out there that have their boundaries demolished by their mothers and still live with their mothers. Like their mothers have their claws in them. They're still, they're yeah. adults and they're enmeshed in their mothers. And it's like, that's, that's not a behavioral thing. Like to begin pulling those claws out is, is something that's more therapeutic in nature. So there's a place yeah. for it, but it's like when to know how to apply it. Right. Yeah. And that's where I feel very, very blessed. And I really don't even have a good explanation. Because, you know, what I said earlier about that process of, you know, sighting in the gun, it really is that simple. There's not extra stuff to it. It, it, Well, and for anybody, it is that simple. It's just not always easy. It's like running a marathon, you know, like it's not, there's nothing complicated about how to run a marathon. You just got to keep running. It doesn't mean it's easy to do. (laughs) There's nothing hard about, just don't stop running. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yes, yes, yes. And so that's kind of for me. I feel very fortunate because I, I've, I don't have a lot to offer those men when they ask me like sure. those questions, like you're talking about, because I've never had had to deal with any of that stuff. Yeah. And that's why I feel very blessed because for me, I don't have to. It's like so many men have to spend the vast majority of their time just getting out of their own way before they can even start doing the process of the work of actually sighting in the gun. If they have the poison out of the system yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. They have to get all that. And I, and so I feel very fortunate because I've just, I feel like I haven't had anything to get out of the way. So it's always been that simple for me. Now it hasn't always been easy. It takes a lot of reps. It takes a lot of repetition and, and perseverance and all that, all that stuff, you know, but I haven't ever had to get out of my own way first, which is, which is, mm-hmm. I'm, I feel very fortunate, you know, and mm-hmm. I feel like God's given me a, a lot of grace in my life to where so many of the issues that I, that I hear men having to overcome and deal with are just things that I never had, I never had to personally overcome. And, I, and, and when, when young guys ask me, 
you know, what to do about it. I don't really, I don't have a good answer. That's why I think men like you are so important, you know, and it kind of goes back to what you said about how there's, there can't just be one type of masculinity or one man that represents masculinity because I can speak to some, to some men and, and give them a path. But for men that had overbearing mothers, I don't, I have, I'm shooting nerf darts at that. I have nothing to offer you. Yeah. You know, like, I would never let my mom do that. Like if my mom tried to pull that with me, I'd be like, you need to understand something. You need to mind your place or I'll never talk to you for the rest of my life. I don't, I don't care either way. Yeah. But that's you, that's you no as an control. adult. You have, yeah. As an adult right now, if my yeah. mom had tra- tried to encroach upon my life, if she, if she criticized how Lauren was raising the boys, it would be one conversation. <laughs> you need to understand something. You don't criticize her about how we're raising our kids. Yeah. You got a problem with it? You come to me, and if I, if I if it needs to be addressed, I'll address it. But if you meddle, you will never see your grandsons again for the rest of your life. So you need to make a decision about how you want to handle yourself, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And and I mean it. I would never see her yeah. again for the rest of my life, and I would be just fine. I can do that. I love her, but it's very easy for me to just say, "I draw the line." Mm-hmm. You know, I can't relate to not being able to do that. Yeah. I don't know what to tell a guy that can't do that. Like, well, what if she starts crying? I feel nothing. What if she tries to make you feel guilty? I feel nothing. Yeah. I, I can choose. I'm not going to let her. I'm not going to be manipulated like that. If I have mm-hmm. something to genuinely feel sorry about, then I'll feel sorry and I'll apologize. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be manipulated just because my mom starts crying. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm right. You're wrong, and I'm sticking to that. Yeah, I mean, so many boys, you know, myself, myself included, never would have gotten the chance to say anything like that from infancy. Like that's how old the claw. That's how that's how early the claws get in. You know, mm. to the point where it's like, it's not the guys wake up at some point in their lives, twenties, thirties, who knows? And like someone has to explain to them like that treat that way that your mother is treating you is not right. And but for them, like mm. it was for me, it's all I ever yeah. knew. You don't have anything that, yeah, yeah, you don't have anything and, to compare it to. Yeah, and and that's why I really love that you did that post because, I, you know, the 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 men's movement, whatever you want to call it, um, call it the Renaissance, uh, is really good at talking about absent fathers, abusive fathers, abdicating fathers who just weren't there. You know, bad fathers. It's really really good at talking about that because it had mm-hmm. a lot of time. It's not good at talking about mothers and their failure. It's really not good at doing that. And, and yeah. even the Mankind Project, an organization that I was a part of where I started really discovering the men's movement properly, like you couldn't mention women, like you couldn't mm-hmm. mention mothers. You couldn't even suggest that your mother had done anything wrong. It was very, it was, and, and, yeah. and when I'm, I'm grateful that we're starting to get to the point where a post, you can make a post like that. Now, I don't know, did you get, did you get flack for that? Because, you know, like, oh, Dr. Warren Farrell who I've had on the podcast, a very popular author. He tried to start, he was part of a committee to start the White House Council on Men and Boys. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, yeah, and so that was, that was uh, he, he presented it to the Trump administration and the Trump administration said no, because um, we're afraid of blowback from si- single mothers. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and obviously the, the Biden administration doesn't acknowledge that men and boys exist probably. So yeah. it's, that's not, you know, but I mean, but, but, you know, to be able to speak into that and be like, Hey, mothers, like you got to be aware yeah, of this. 
it's just like kind of what I said earlier, you know, and this is something that I haven't written about it yet. So my thoughts are kind of fluid, but you know, kind of what I said about quote you on all of it, (laughs) you know, what I said earlier about how we're kind of the oldest generation where everybody went to college. So we're the only ones that can speak to these 16 year old kids and say, you shouldn't just mindlessly go to college, right? Like, I think what we're seeing right now is that we're in a really unique inflection point. And that's why I think I feel such a strong sense of urgency to speak at this moment, because I feel like right now there are a lot of beliefs and ideas that people are willing to entertain and open their minds about that they wouldn't have been willing to think about in the past Mm. because it was too sacred. Amen. And or it wasn't broken. Yeah, I feel a strong sense of responsibility and a lot of urgency <clears throat> as someone that has actually, like we've, like I've said, like a lot of the people that are experimenting with this lifestyle, with becoming a man, with starting a business, with homeschooling their kids, and tr- having a wife stay home, they're experimenting with this, right? And you're, and we're re-exploring this idea of a, a, a wife submitting to a husband and a husband leading the home. And there's a lot more women that are open to that now than there were 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. That's why I think it's so, for me, as somebody who's actually, not just my own life, but I grew up in it, I think it's really important, and you and I have talked about this analogy in the past, where right now the pendulum is swinging back towards these traditional values. And what I feel a sense of urgency to speak to is to make sure we stop that pendulum in the middle. Mm-hmm. and not let these patterns repeat themselves, right? And so I think right now, as far as pushback on that post about mothers, right now we're at a really unique point in time because we've got a lot of women. There's two 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 things. We've, number one, we've got a lot of women that read that post and they've experienced being in a relationship with a man whose mother was like that. And Maybe, they've, yes. they've been on the receiving end of it that 10 years ago, those women that had, that had, women hadn't tried to date that guy with an overbearing mother yet. Or they, or they. It wasn't as common yet. They weren't even, they probably weren't even attracted to him in the first place. Yeah. Right. Like, like he was the I mean, nice guy that they avoided. Right. Yeah. And so we've got that where a lot of women have experienced it for themselves now. Mm. And you also have a lot of women around our age, mid thirties, forties, late twenties. But now they're having sons and all of a sudden, you know, 10 years ago they were in college and they would have probably leaned more towards being a hardcore defensive, you know, feminist, you know, single mother and, you know, but all of a sudden now with these women that have sons, like the messages that I got on that post for all of them were, I'm so thankful that you talked about this. Now my kids are, my son is five. Mm-hmm. And I don't want him to be a mama's boy. And I would have done this the wrong way if you hadn't brought this up. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, and I think there's a lot of topics that have been taboo in the past that are now we've got a small, I hope it's not small, but I'm worried that it's a small window of time where a lot of people are trying these beliefs on and seeing how they fit, whether mm-hmm. it's being a submissive wife or letting a husband lead or homeschooling their children or, you know, these traditional gender roles or whatever the case may be. I think it's really important that we get the right tools in the right, that we, that we get the right tools in people's hands for how to do these things in a way that's sustainable. Mm-hmm. 
so that the pendulum because there is there is a there is a dark right now we're seeing the dark side of a lot of the postmodern ideas you know we've mm-hmm. seen feminism get taken too far and we've seen what happens when we have no structure in society of like firm foundations of like here is right and here is wrong and if you violate these concepts it's disastrous for society and we're seeing that so a lot of people have seen the dark side of these postmodernist ideas and say oh the dark side of those ideas is very obvious right now it's all over tiktok it's all over everything yeah, yeah. what people aren't seeing yet is that there's a dark side to these traditional values too that can be taken too far. But they know about it because the the, the strength of the dark side of feminism is drawn from it. They, they're aware harping. of it. I think they're aware of it, but they don't know how to actually implement these values without unintentionally sliding, putting a sliding towards that dark side. You know, and and like a lot of the women that I've commented on that post about motherhood is like you know. I would have made these mistakes where I overmothered him, but I would have done it unintentionally, right? So it's not that they're trying to to make their kids a mama's boy, or they're trying to have their claws sunk into their sons. The ones that were commenting on my on my post, mm-hmm. um, it's that they just yeah. If it what if it hadn't been pointed out, they wouldn't have known any better. You know. Yeah, and and I and I get that, and and um. The reason, and the, and the reason why they didn't know any better is because it's the father's job to make sure that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like it's the father's job to be there, to be like, to have a sense. And that's why initiation exists because the fathers mm-hmm. and the elders are there always watching the mothers with the sons, you know, making sure that, you know, when the time comes, the boy is going to be taken away from the yeah. mother into the forest and be put through a trial of initiation to make sure that the boy, the boy is prepared for that. Happening. That's why, that's why men that. like you and I, that's why men like you and I have to be speaking in these moments about these topics so that there's some sort of structure because a lot of men are aware like, Oh, if you tell them, Hey, you need to make sure to initiate your son. You need to make sure not to let your mom, not, not to let their mom spoil them. They're like, okay, great. Yes. I, I'm all in. How do I do that? And there's right, right. crickets because everybody's too busy posting reels about hard times create strong men. <laughs> Dude, come on. Like everybody's listening. Yeah. Everybody's well, listening. So offer okay. solutions and they will be absolutely lashed onto. And then this is, but okay. So this is where Jordan Peterson comes back into the conversation <sighs> because, because the solutions aren't that easy. And, and it's, I mean, they're, they're, they're simple, but they're not easy because the demolition of masculinity in Western culture has been so thorough that the, we, we don't even, like you and I in our conversations and me and all my reading is just beginning to discover that like every day I discover just what has been taken. Like it, it keeps like it's bottomless. It's literally bottomless. And so to say like, what can I do? Like, and this is the angle that I take is like a woman asks, what can I do to keep from overmothering my, my son? Right. And what she might go to you for is, is like practical advice. Like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. Completely valid and, and fair. For, and my approach is like, the first thing is you have to recognize all these really bad ideas that you're carrying about men, about boys and about women and about mothers. And like those, that's like the conceptual yeah. level. And that's Jordan, what Jordan Peterson does is he's flying at like the 80,000 foot view and beginning to articulate like, 
this is how bad masculinity, he doesn't use these terms, this is how bad value and other people do have been de- demolished in our society. And so it's like this complete reconstruction. Like we're like, we don't actually realize the, how bad the wreckage is. Right. And, and so like, there's the, there's the behavioral level, like do these concrete things, but then there's the higher level up, up top where it's like, these are the bad ideas that we're all living inside yeah. that we just take for granted. Yeah. Like the like the cows yeah. that you mentioned. I think for me, you know, you know, and you and I have talked a lot about this, you know, you think, you think about all these issues at a really high level like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't help it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think for me, I don't think, I personally don't think those issues are solvable. I think they're too deep. I think they're too ingrained. I think what is the saying, you know, um, you know, a man plants trees knowing that he'll never sit in the shade of the trees he's planted. Yeah. There's a quote that somebody's, yeah. you know, for me, I think our generation's job, our generation's role to play is whether we understand the problems or not, whether we fix ourselves or not, our job is to plant seeds so that these trees, so that our, so the future generations won't have to, won't have to deal with this. I think you know, trying to trying to get a forty a thirty eight year old guy that's been doing it wrong his whole life, trying to put the pieces of that together and teach him how to be a man. That's too much for me. I would have to climb inside their brain and drive their whole life around like like a go kart. Like I, mm-hmm. I, there's too much. Like you're going to have to go do a lot of work to fix it, like you've done in your personal journey. But not every mm-hmm. man's going to put in that work. Right. What I can do is I can give parents practical tips. And give young guys practical tips that they can apply, and future generations are going to benefit from from them putting those things into practice. For me, I feel like those, you know, when I look at the depth of the problems that you're talking about and how ingrained everything is, it's like a, it's like a cancer that's been allowed to grow for decades. But it's, <laughs> yes. so, it's centuries. Like, yeah, and yeah. it's like we can't kill that cancer without killing the patient. Like there's no scenario. And so for me, it's yeah. like, that's, that's a problem. Somebody else is going to have to solve somebody that's a brain, that's, that's a brain surgeon that can actually go have a chance yeah. of, of taking that cancer out without killing the patient. I don't personally think that, that it's possible, nor do I think if it is possible, I'm not the guy to fix it. It's too big for me. What mm-hmm. I can do is I can plant seeds that will grow into trees that other people are going to benefit from mm-hmm. um, because that's practical and that's possible. And that's, you know, that doesn't necessarily, I don't think we're going to see the benefits of a lot of the work that we're doing for decades or if ever, mm-hmm. but we have to do it anyway, because that's, that's the, there's nobody else. There's just oh, nobody yeah. else, you know, 55 year old guys can't speak to the stuff that's going on. It's hard enough for me as a 38 year old guy to keep up with all the new terminology and like, I mean, it's a lot, right? Like, no cap. And so I think, there, I think there's nobody else. I can't believe know, I like, just said that. What'd you say? I said no cap. And I'm like, I can't believe I just said that. See, I don't know what that means. That's, uh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but it, you know, I think there's just nobody else and it's, it's the cross we have to bear. And 
I don't know that men will ever be appreciated in, in, in public, you know, like we're probably never going to get back to a point in time where there's movies like Rocky anymore, you know, like not in our lifetime. And, and I've come to, and I've made peace with it. You know, it's just, it's beyond something that I can influence and I'm just going to do the best that I can to plant those seeds, you know, and, and, and give, give masculinity a good name, teach men how to be good men, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's just, there's been too many bad examples. The, The other side that's demonizing masculinity, they just have too much ammunition. Too much what? And too much ammunition to invalidate their claims. I mean, there's enough ammunition to validate what they're saying, even if it's not true. Well, I mean, like, if you're going to lie, you have endless ammunition, right? But like, your lies, and this is, this is, this is, I think I wanted to say something like this earlier. Like, if people want to test you personally, Ryan, on your ideas, you're like, well, look at my life. Like, these, these ideas are, are practical. And I think that's the, that's the argument that the people on the left or the ones that hate masculinity don't have. Like, well, let's yeah. look at your life. Yeah. Like, don't try well, and tell, like, well, yeah, look at any, look at, look at the inner workings of a city like San Francisco that's had all these, you know, liberal policies and put in tell place. Me about it. Like, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Like we're not guessing about what happens when you put look, when you put far left, ideologies into practice go to go to mm-hmm. go to the cities that are doing it and ask yourself if you want to live there you yeah. don't even even yeah. i lived in san francisco for years like it was like what everyone is seeing now is like it's an a, a, a really worse evolution of how it's been but it was pretty yeah. bad and you no, try to point it like people didn't want to hear it What's funny about me is, like I said earlier, you know, nothing's sacred. So I always play devil's advocate in every conversation. I can't help it. I'm like always doing the opposite. So when I'm around my conservative friends, they think I'm liberal because I challenge their ideas. I'm like, well, what about this? Like, you know, and I've had, them try, I've, had, I've had conservative friends sit me down for like an intervention and be like, bro, we're really concerned that you're liberal. That's like, sweet. That's really, that's really what? touching. <laughs> what? No, man. Just because I don't agree with everything conservatives say doesn't make me a liberal. I'm just, I challenge everything Mm because I think it's healthy. I think it's important, you know? So, and then when I talk to liberals, they think I'm conservative, you know? So nobody really ever knows what to make of me. Like, I don't have any skin in the game on being right. Like if liberal policies work, if they're actually better, then I'll change and I'll do them. Let's look at what, let's look at this, look at what happens. And if you're right, I'm all about it. Like I don't, I don't want people to be poor and hungry. I don't get any joy and satisfaction out of people being homeless. You know, like I don't have any, I don't have any skin in the game. Let's, let's look at your, what your policies do put when they're put into practice. And if you're right, then I'll do that. Mm-hmm. We've seen what happens when those policies are put in place. The, uh, the, the evidence is indisputable. Mm-hmm. So I really yeah. don't understand where, you know, what really frustrates me is people move to the South where I live and they move from California because it's so bad. But then they vote for the same things that they voted for in California. It's like, oh, guys, can there be nowhere safe that we can just be the way we are here? Like the whole reason you want to be here is because we're not like that. Right. Yeah. I'm wondering at yeah. what point it becomes like, there's like personal interventions where it's like you show up at someone's door, like, you know, 
like I'm not advocating anybody do this, but it would be it would really make the point if like you ring the doorbell for your new neighbor with their Biden sign on their front lawn. Yeah, they just moved from California and you have a pie and you're holding a pie, big smile. And there's like 20 men standing in the yard behind you like, hey, we just wanted to welcome you to the neighborhood. Like they're all smiling. Like everyone's like, it's all men. It's all men. Like we just wanted to welcome you to the neighborhood. Thank you. Here, take this pie. It's like it makes the point like you're not, you know, there's nothing, there's no threatening or anything going on. No one's armed or anything like that. So making the point that, you know, you're in a new place now. This is not, yeah. this is not the world where women run everything or, or men can be controlled with guilt and shame. It's like, no, mm-hmm. we, we work with our hands. We work with our bodies. We know what it is to, to succeed and achieve. And we don't, you know, we don't bend the knee to political ideologies that tell us that we're terrible because we know ourselves too, too well for that. And to really yeah. make the point, right? Like, I, I, I yeah. wonder, you know, if it'll get to that point. Like, obviously, I live in Phoenix, and Phoenix is one of the fastest growing cities in America right now. And uh, it has been for a while because it's the closest place for people to flee from Southern California and go to an urban area, you know? And that's why there was all this controversy with the 2020 election here because so many blue, blue you know, it's not as obvious because it's still a big city, but, you know, someplace where you're going to, like Fort Smith, you know, someone like that would stick out like a, like a sore thumb, sore thumb almost where it's yeah. like, you don't, you can't just import your bad ideas to a new landscape and think that somehow you're going to do them better this time. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, I mean, it's, it's, well, I think what we're not doing, you know, again, I, that's why conservatives are, are not good at persuasion. They're not good at, at making it, at making a case for why their things are, they're, they're, reactive and defensive and they never take the initiative, you know? And so what we do, like, for instance, you know, I I was in healthcare when Obamacare passed. And one of the things that I did, I campaigned for that. I'm sorry. Well, one of the things that I did was, um, I was at the time I was doing insurance plans for, um, big companies. Okay. And what, and what's funny is that, you know, People have been complaining about healthcare for decades. They still are, right? But my problem with conservatives is that there's these obvious problems that eventually, sooner or later, if, if we don't do anything about them, enough Democrats are going to get elected that they're going to pass legislation over it that you're going to have no input on. We've seen it happen over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And conservatives don't offer an alternative. Like there's an alternative to healthcare that we could use that's used in the private sector right now that would cut costs by 20%. Mm-hmm. Why don't conservatives offer that legislation? Cause they're, they're bought and paid for. Exactly. Like, and that's, that's, so that's my, that's my problem with conservatives is conservatives all, they don't actually propose ideas. They don't actually promote anything new. They don't encourage an alternative lifestyle. Like, you know, actual values. Work, yeah, people they, people look at my life on Instagram and like, hey, that looks like a pretty great life. How'd you do that? Well, I use these values. Awesome. I'm going to do that same thing. It's not that hard. Why is nobody making a sales pitch? Why is nobody conservative making, a, instead of arguing with liberals, why is nobody just saying, hey, y'all do whatever you want. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to do it. And here's how it's going to work. And if you like this idea better, you should come join our team you, instead wanna- of fighting. One of the true answer to that question, as far as I can tell. Yeah. The true answer to that question, why conservatives don't make that sales pitch is because the only place that there's two places that you can root why you would do that. 
One of them is power because men are more, because men should be more powerful, right? And the other is Christianity. There's no other place. There's no other way to root your values in, right? Because Mm -hmm. the liberals are making this case around guilt and shame. Oh, we have to take care of all these poor suffering people. Like, oh, you know, pour your heart out for them. And it's like, no, we're not going to do that because, and then the answer is because why? Like, because I said so. That's answer mm-hmm. one. That's power. And the op- mm-hmm. and, and the only other answer for why is because, because this is what it says in the Bible. This mm-hmm. is how we're supposed to treat the poor in the Bible. Not that we're supposed to have um, generosity forced upon us by a third-party government, but that we as Christians mm-hmm. are supposed to show individual generosity. Not that government yeah. is supposed to compel us through taxation to do it. But conservatives... Yeah have divorced themselves from, from biblical values over the past mm-hmm. however many generations, I couldn't even say. And now, they're, and now they're libertarian, and they don't want to actually put themselves squarely in a place that will hold them accountable. And that's why I think a lot of people, it's like, you know, actual Christian values hold people accountable to a higher standard. And a lot of people, they want the higher standard without the accountability because they can, that's just because I said so. And that's not a compelling, that's not a compelling argument. And this fits and right into the, that's the whole feminism thing too, by the way. Dude, that's, that's what, that's why so many living in the South, like, so I, I know a lot of kids whose dads had that kind of authority who had that patriarchal authority with, because, because I, said, I so? said so, you know, yeah. and it's like, we're going to go to this church. And even if the wife said, I don't like this church. I don't want to go there, whatever. It's like, you don't get to say so. I'm the man. I made the decision. I'm the leader. This is where we're going to church. And there's no, and there's no, there's no pushback. Right. And so that whole, because I said so thing that, that again, when we, when we look at a minute ago, we applied this to San Francisco, right? Like that doesn't work. Okay. Mm -hmm. The, because I said so, the, because I said so thing Mm -hmm. doesn't work. It doesn't work as a dad. How many kids have obeyed their parents when their parents said, because I said so? Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to sneak out of the house and go get drunk. I don't care right. because you said so. If you'll talk to me like an adult and right. you treat me with respect, I'll listen. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never used that phrase with my kids. And I grew up in the South, and that was a thing, man. Like, mom and dad, because I said so, where I'm at, like, every 100% of people my age, if I went to a bar and wanted to, randomly connect with a stranger i could make a joke about because i said so and 100 percent of the people in that bar would get that joke it's that it's that much of a cultural norm we all yeah. grew up in it and all of us rebelled like people do not do sure. what they're told just because they don't do it with the government anymore they don't do it with doctors they don't do it with the school system they don't do it they, they people do not do what they're told because i said so i'm in and favor of all that and if, and if, but absolutely, yeah. but men need to understand that too. Like yeah. going to these traditional values, don't think that just because you're the man and the wife is told to submit, that gives you the, the authority to be a tyrant and say, mm-hmm. we're doing this because I said so. Mm-hmm. It didn't work in the sixties. It created a lot of feminists and it's not going to work now. Mm-hmm. If you'll be a grown up, if, you, if you'll <clears throat> actually communicate and be a good leader and learn real leadership skills. Then a, then a woman won't have any problem following your authority. Yep. Your children won't rebel yeah. because you treat them like adults. But conservatives have got to get away from this whole "because I said so" thing, or mm-hmm. we're going to keep or we're going to keep losing ground day in, day out, 
because nobody responds to that. When you, it, like if me and you went and worked for Google tomorrow and we had a boss that made us do something that didn't make any sense and their justification was because I said so, would we do it? I mean, prob- probably. <laughs> it's your workplace. Well, I mean, it's I your wouldn't. workplace. Well, I'm you know, not going to do what I'm told. I'm too rebellious. <laughs> not going to work at Google I'm very long. Gonna, but in, in general and work, yeah. You I know, know what, what I'm you, saying. I know, I know exactly but what you're If saying, I yeah. do it, I'll do the minimum possible amount yes. that I can with yes. the least amount of effort required. Like, yeah. pe- like you and I do not, would not respond to that. So that's why right, would our right. wives? Yeah, why right. would our kids? Why would, why would we as constituents respond to a politician that tell me a situation where the because I said so tactic has ever worked? You know what the response to because I said so is? Make me, right? Yeah. And then it becomes a power struggle, right? Yeah. And then it's like- If a, a you power- can't explain it better than that, then it's probably not a good reason. Right. Like, I have no respect for it. Like, why should I do that? What, what does the Bible tell us? Always be ready to defend the faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the hope. It doesn't that's say, it. yeah, it doesn't say to walk around and say, believe in Jesus because I said so. <laughs> That's a really short gospel. <laughs> you know, yeah. it tells us to be armed with a good reason for why the gospel is true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You I know, agree. How, how does that not apply to if we want to share our values as, as having traditional values? You need to be ready with a compelling reason for why you believe in the values you believe in beyond just because the Bible says so. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. You know, as a, too many Christians aren't prepared on how to have a conversation with someone who doesn't believe the Bible. They use the yes. Bible as the proof of their argument to somebody that doesn't even believe in the Bible in the first place. And it's like, how, how open would you, would you be to being persuaded by a new idea if somebody used the Quran as their, as their proof? It's like, well, the, I'm right because of the Quran. So you can't use the Quran against me if I don't believe in the Quran. You know, Paul talks about this in First Corinthians. It's like when I came to you, I use worldly speech when I'm with spiritual people. I use spiritual language because they understand right. being spiritual. But when yeah. I came to you, I used the language of the world because you don't know how to relate to spiritual things. But yeah. everything I see Christians saying on on Facebook is like, "Oh, they, you just need Jesus." It's like, I know a lot of like I know a lot of people that were on drugs that went down on Sunday morning for an altar call. And they said the prayer and then nobody discipled them and nobody took it, took any time to invest in their lives and like put their arm around them and showed them a different way to be. And just knowing, going and doing an altar call and then leaving and not having anybody actually mentor you didn't do anything to help that person. I've personally seen it. So until you're ready to get your hands dirty, keep your mouth shut instead of saying, oh, all you need is Jesus. No, like there's a lot to that beyond just here's a Bible, you know, like the new Testament Gideon's Bible is in every motel six in America and it hasn't kept a lot of drugs from being done. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Like, yeah. yeah. So it's a big problem that, I, that Christians have is, you know, they forget Jesus spent every day for three years with the disciples before he unleashed them on the world. He didn't just say, Hey, I'm Jesus. Nice to meet you. High five. And then walk off. Yeah. Why don't you know me? <laughs> right. you know? Because I said so. Yeah. Because yeah. I said so. And and that's where, you know, conservatives have that's where we've gotten our asses kicked. It's because mm-hmm. we, we haven't been able to to vigorously, articulately defend the Bible. We haven't been able to vigor and I don't mean too many people let the pastor do all the work. They're mm-hmm. not prepared. 
for when they're in the workplace and somebody spouts off about Christianity, like they're not prepared to witness in that moment mm-hmm. on the, on how to defend the faith and right. giving their testimony on being able to biblically back up what they believe because they're just drones that they just do whatever the pastor says, but they don't actually apply it in their daily life. Mm-hmm. And one of the best Christian men I know, he's never been a pastor, but he's like, I don't even, it would blow your mind to know how many people he's led to Christ. Mm-hmm. But he did it in, in, in his work. He was a liquor salesman. So he had a lot of opportunities to witness. I, to bet. People, I bet. Right. But you listen to the stories where he, he had a lot of sensitivity. He was looking for every opportunity he could to share his testimony with people. If he, if he was around somebody, he could tell something was wrong and say, Hey, what's going on with you? Where, why are you feeling down lately? I can tell something's going on. And he'd listen to their story. He had the boldness, right? Be bold as lions. He had the boldness to ask. Had the boldness to speak. I can tell something's wrong with you because he wanted to create that opening to say, here's my testimony. Here's how God's changed my life. But he also ran a discipleship group for 40 years where he, he had a whole curriculum that every, every man that he led to Christ, he had a system that he would go to breakfast with them twice a week for six months and walk them through an entire curriculum on what it actually means. He explained sanctification to them. He explained you know, all of it, everything about the gospel, how to share it, how to give your testimony. You know, the, the, all, there was a whole process for it. And that to me is the, the thing that I'm most frustrated by when I observe my own upbringing, my own culture, whether even now in the modern political arena, whatever, conservative, conservatives and Christians are absolutely terrible at making a persuasive case for why to be a, why being a Christian is important to, to being able to explain what Jesus has done in their life because you know what Jesus hasn't done much in their life because they haven't actually done much other than show up on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. They don't spend time in prayer. They don't spend time reflecting. They don't spend time dealing with, you know, I'm being a bad father, you know, or I'm being, I need to stop drinking or, you know, I'm, I I have, I have problems with my anger and I need God to heal me from that. I'm going to pray every day for God to heal me from my issues with anger. You don't mm-hmm. see men doing that. They go through the motions. I'm not saying all Christians, but too many. They show sure. up on Sundays and go through the motions, and they have no testimony to share with other people about what God's done in their life because they haven't asked God to do anything in their life. They just yeah. want to show up and not do anything, you know. And so I, I have a, that's that's one of the reasons I decided to speak up with my pages. We've got to start making a persuasive, compelling case for traditional values, for Christianity, for conservatism. That's not an attack on somebody else. That's not a, in defense mode, but and a true alternative, which is why I'm so excited about the documentary you're making, because it's, it's not reactive. It's not fighting back. It's not negative. It's not smart alecky. It's not, you know, it's, it's inspirational. It's motivational. Mm-hmm. It's here is an alternative to a lifestyle that could lead to a life that you had always wanted, you know, mm-hmm. like Alison Armstrong said, you know, what if you, you know, what if, I don't remember her exact quote, but what if you could have everything you ever, mm-hmm. what if everything you ever learned was the opposite of everything you ever wanted, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Would you no, be willing uh, to entertain a new idea that you've never been open to 
if it gave you the life you always wanted, you know, and that's what we've got to do a better job of as Christians, as conservatives, mm-hmm. as traditional values, all that stuff is it's got to, we've got to be better than just because I said so, because you're morally wrong, because you're, because you, you know, that's, that's degrading or that's repulsive or like just offer an alternative and let people make their own decision about which one is aspirational and which one is, de- is detrimental. Mm-hmm. Because if you do it well, it'll be pretty obvious which one leads to better outcomes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Conservatism speaks for itself if you let it. If, if it's pro- properly managed, properly yeah. led, properly surfaced, instead of what we call conservatives now, like what yeah. actual conservatism is, yes, a thousand percent. But yeah. like what, what you and I are talking about right now is conservatism. And we're like, you're living it. But like, as far as everyone else is being is concerned, it's like being discovered. Because what we've had is not conservatism or Christianity, right? For the past however long. We've had something wearing the skin suit of it. Like, look, I'm a Christian. You know, it's like no heart, no spine, right? Yeah. And you need both. You need both, right? You need a, yeah. a brain, a heart, and a spine. And, yeah. and, so, and, and so you and I have talked about this before. And, you know, it's, it's, what's funny is that my experience with, um, my experience with Christians has, has over the past seven years, seven years, right? Since I met that group at Spirit Dream has only been like, oh my God, these people are amazing. But not like in this kind of idol, idolatrous kind of way, but like the people who really embody the values yeah. that Christianity is. Like, of course, like I grew up and I knew people who were Christians, but it didn't mean anything to me. I went to a Catholic high school, a Jesuit high school. Like, yeah, yeah. I kind of get this Christianity thing, but I was too young to really care. And then I was in the whole new age world for a while. But then I went out to Burning Man and I met the Spirit Dream people. And they are, as, as those listening have heard, the warmest, most loving and kind oh, yeah. and caring, compassionate Christians ever. And then when I finally come to Christ, then where do I go? I go to Apologia here in Phoenix, which is like, other than Moscow, Idaho, Christchurch is like one of the spots, you know? Yeah. And so that's been my experience of Christians is like the yeah. best of the best, the, the, you know, the elite SEAL team that goes out and mm-hmm. saves souls at Burning Man. And then the, and the and and so what and so my experience of the kind of Christians that you're talking about, the ones who um, I guess are more plastic with it, like plastic Christians, well, has I been think, much more limited. I think the distinction. But I hear is it. Like some of the best Christians are the ones. Some of the best and biggest growing and most impactful Christians are the ones that are in places like New York City, in California, in mm-hmm. in liberal areas, because you got to really be a Christian to go fight those battles. You know, yeah, in areas where it's just kind of part of the culture, mm-hmm. it's very much. And these are the Christians that give people such a bad name. When you've grown up in it, mm-hmm. it's very easy to get judgmental and look down your nose and take it for granted and go through the motions and, go- and and gossip and all that stuff. And so like a lot of the a lot of the. Uh, I get very, I get mad at Christians because as a Christian, they make me look bad in a lot of cases. Not the ones that go to Burning Man. Like those dudes are on fire for being a Christian. Like those, I've been around people like that. Those people are life changing. Yeah. When you're a true Christian, you can feel the presence coming off of them. Yeah. Like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But what's really sad is that living in the Bible Belt, there might be two men or two people in a church of 2000 that are like that. 
where when you meet them at a restaurant yeah. afterwards, you can tell, oh, that person's a Christian. Yeah, real deal. Yeah. Everybody in that restaurant after church, everybody in that restaurant, if you go to a restaurant on a Sunday at 1230, every one of them just left church. But if you know what you're looking for, there's going to be one couple in there like, oh, they're Christians. The, mm-hmm. I would know they were Christians if it was a Friday night and everybody else was drunk. No matter where they go, I could mm-hmm. tell that mm-hmm. they're Christians because it's changed them. There's something mm-hmm. different inside of them. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of people that you met at Burning Man. Mm-hmm. But all yeah. the rest of the people in there just left church too. And there's nothing different about them. Yeah. I, I feel like I feel like there needs to be like two different words, you know, like because like it's like there's Christians. Like ever, like there are cultural Christians, you know, people who kind of grew up with it and don't really know what they've been given. Maybe they weren't raised or pastored correctly. And then there are people who are like, no, like this is the stuff. Like me, I went around the world and I studied religion for 30 years. And I'm like, no, you guys don't understand. This is, this is the thing. And it's like, that's a very different thing from the people that are at the restaurant on Sunday who would call themselves Christian or might even say they're more Christian than me if they've been born into it or whatever. It's like, Maybe we're yeah. talking about two different things and, and uh, you know, the lack of language to describe those two different things is what, is what mixes them all up together. Cause you don't yeah. want to say like, I'm not, I'm not one of those, you know, cause that's not. Well, and that's where you talk about having a spine, you know, yeah. there hasn't been nearly enough accountability within the church with the church. You know, yes. you have a yes. lot, you have a lot a of Christians you have a lot of Christians that point out, you know, the sin of the world. And I don't dispute that the world is sinful, you Mm -hmm. know, but it's like, we'll talk about how, you know, don't associate with a homosexual, you know, well, that's in the Bible, but right next to that sentence is don't, don't associate, don't allow a homosexual in the church is what it says. Mm. Right after that, it says, or the greedy, or such and such. There's like four four descriptors on that sentence. You know, all the Christians love talking about how you know, oh, homosexuals can't be in here, but they're but they're but they don't they don't tithe because they're greedy. They just skip that part, mm-hmm. and the pastors don't say anything about it because they have an agenda. If they call somebody out for being greedy, it's like, oh, the pastor just wants my money. Of course, you. It's like so nobody can call out other Christians. Gross. On on, on certain aspects of. of biblical behavior. And so it's gotten to where it's really easy for a pastor to get up there. Just like social media, it's very easy to get a whole bunch of likes by saying strong men create hard times. It's a slam. It's a layup. Yeah. It's an engagement layup. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, pastors have, have layups. They have layups that there's messages they can get up there and preach and everybody's going to rah, rah and say, hallelujah. And they're going to pay their tithe because the pastor's talking bad about Joe Biden and it's a hoorah, you know, but guess what happens if the pastor gets up there and starts calling out the members of the congregation for being greedy, oh, yeah, 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 for, yeah, yeah. for being, for being envious. You talk about envy. You think you talk about don't covet. I mean, the whole church, the whole church is just a big performance half the time. Of who's got the nicer car. And who, if you're not wearing the right clothes then no, then the clicky popular people at church won't talk to you. Like I've, I've grown up in it. And yeah. anybody that grew up in an, in an environment, where it was highly Christian knows exactly the dynamics of what I'm talking about. It, it's, mm-hmm. and it's really frustrating because those same people are the ones that are the most vocally Christian on social media about, Oh, if you just need Jesus, it's like, you don't even have Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus isn't living inside you because if he was, you wouldn't be acting the way you're acting. I've seen people mm-hmm. 
like the people you met at Burning Man, who Jesus came into their life and changed them. Mm-hmm. From one mm-hmm. minute to another, mm-hmm. they are a new creation, and that's biblical. Yeah. You're a new creation. And it's like, dude, I know a whole bunch of people. They're the same person they used to be before they met Jesus. They have, And I've been in churches, and that's not talked about in church because it can't be. Yeah. Because people would leave. And, that, and that's where we've lost our spine, is as Christians, we're not holding other Christians to account for their own behavior. And pastors mm-hmm. can't. And, I, and to, a, to like an extent— They can. They can. They don't. <laughs> they, it would cause— it's asking a lot of pastors. How many of us would be willing to speak those messages if it meant we wouldn't have an income? Me. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying there's not any. New Life Muscular Christian Church coming soon. Pastor I, I mean, I, it's, it's a lot to ask a pastor, a pastor to do, especially when, as fellow Christians, we can call out those behaviors. I can call, I can call out a Christian's behavior it doesn't, it's not a threat to my livelihood. It's not a threat to my family eating this week mm-hmm. in a way that, uh, in a way that a pastor can't. And that's where that spine has to come in is that we've got to, we've got to expect more out of, out of fellow Christians. If we're going to be Christian, just like as men, right? We talk about masculinity. If we have a man out there who's proclaiming masculinity and he's, and he's doing it in a way that makes us look bad, that's immoral, that's wrong, that's sleazy. We have an obligation. Yeah, but we have an obligation to to offer an alternative. We don't have to go along with that and be like, "Yeah, he's a man, so rah rah." It's like, no, right? And there's a lot of that. And as Christians, we have an obligation to step up and say, "You know what? You are not representing the Christianity that I believe in. You are not. That is not what the Bible calls us to do. That is not the way the Bible calls us to conduct ourselves. And if you're going to publicly be a Christian, I expect you to do it biblically." Mm-hmm. And not keep giving us a bad name, mm-hmm. and that's something that all of us as Christians can't have the ability to do. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's, I, it's it's easy to point out the sin in the world, you know, and that, and that's popular. That's a layup, but there's plenty of sin within the church that needs to be called out, that needs mm-hmm. to be addressed, that nobody that nobody is addressing. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know, I. I just as one example, and I could list a hundred, but I, I know a family that the husband literally would be eating dinner and he would just tap on the glass. And, his, and, he, and that was a sign, a signal to, to his wife to get up and go get him a refill. That's and if she didn't, there was, there was consequences to pay, right? And it's Fine. like, can you imagine? Like, and his defense of that, was the Bible says that the wife is to submit to the husband. It's like, well, I I agree, Mm -hmm. but that happened a lot. I mean, you talk to people around here, but like my, like my grandparents, one of my, it's hard for me to give all the examples without calling people out that are still alive, but I'll just say, Yeah, yeah, I get it. I have access to five sets of grandparents that grew up in that environment. Mm Mm-hmm. Only one of them did not beat his wife. Mm. So 80%. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so nobody calls that man out 
say, you know, the last thing Jesus, if anybody, the Bible says we're supposed to treat our wives as, as Christ treats the church. And I don't remember at the Last Supper, Jesus making the disciples wash his feet. It was the other way around. For you to sit there and tap on your glass so you, for your wife to get up and go get you a refill is wrong. You're mm -hmm. distorting and, and polluting what the Bible says to benefit yourself. That's not just unbiblical. That's evil. And I have mm -hmm. a big time as a man. I have a big, huge problem with you behaving that way. And if you acted that way in front of me, I'd throw your ass out the front door. Because mm -hmm. who the hell do you think you are? There's no excuse for that as a man, as a, as a, as a man that I am now. I have a wife. I have kids. I am in that position. There's no excuse for using what the Bible says to treat your wife that way. Mm -hmm. I don't care what it says about her being submissive. You need, to, you need to forget what the Bible's telling her, and you need to read the part that's written for you. What's written for us as men is treat your wife as Christ treated the church. Die for her. Sacrifice for her. That's what we're called to do. You don't even, you don't even need to be thinking about what the Bible tells women to do. Let women worry about that. You worry about treating her like Christ treated the church, and let the chips fall where they may and see what happens. Because I, I promise, if you treat your wife as Christ, as Christ treats the church, she won't have any problem submitting. Mm -hmm. Period. But the, but the number of men that have abused that to treat women that way, I have a big problem with it. Because here's why I have a problem. It's not virtue signaling. I have a major problem with it because now men like you and I are having to pay the price for that bullshit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's I why know. I have a problem with it. We're living with the consequences of the, of the men my dad's age and my grandpa's age that actually did treat women that way. Now we have to be tarnished with that brush of, oh, men are all misogynistic patriarchs. You know, if you, if you want to stay at home with your, your wife to stay home, it's all a power trip. It's like now I get labeled with all these bad names and all this stuff because of the bad behavior of men absolutely distorting the Bible for their own uses. And that's, I have a big problem with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're not thinking about the consequences of any of their decisions, right? No, yeah. they don't have to. They're the man. The Bible says you got to submit to me, do what I say because I said, why? Because the Bible says so. Right. It's like you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't quote five Bible verses for a million dollars. You couldn't, if, if I took away John three sixteen, you couldn't, you couldn't quote four. <laughs> you don't even you don't get to use the Bible as a defense when you don't even know what the Bible says. No, right. keep the Bible out of your mouth. If you're not going to read it and know what it actually says, then keep it out your mouth and stop using it to take advantage of people. Mm -hmm. That's evil. Mm -hmm. I agree. Sorry, no, I got that's a, fine. I got a big problem with all this stuff because I've seen too much of it. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I I hear all that, and um, you know that what's What's, and the men like you, met, like you met at Burning Man, he doesn't treat his wife that way. Guarantee you, he doesn't treat his wife that way. Oh, uh, from Spirit Dream? Yeah, no way. Yeah, no, no not way. a million years. No, no. no. And if I mean, more that's... Christians actually were like that, then Christianity would not be viewed the way that it is. It, 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 can you imagine? Take take the people that you met at Spirit Dream. What if there were a hundred million Christians like that in America? You think we'd be where we're at today? <laughs> I can't even imagine where we'd be at with something like that. But there's a hundred million people in America who call themselves Christians, aren't there? Mm, is that it? Yeah. There's yeah. a disconnect somewhere. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really, um, that's a really striking image to imagine, you know, what, like the, the gap between my friends at spirit dream, um, and, uh, and what most people consider Christians, like I, my friends are, you know, they're high achieving Christians, let's say, but certainly, sure. um, but everyone could, could afford to do a whole lot, a whole lot better. And you know, what's, what's funny is that, um, I, I you know, I, I hear you, you say all things and, and my experience was so with parents and grandparents was so totally different. It was, it was, it was the opposite. It was like really? women just run. Yeah. Just running over the men. Right. And again, like, I don't want to, you know, it, just to, to have seen that everywhere I go to have never to not once and to think of all my entire life growing up to have ever seen a situation where the man wasn't absolutely castrated by the woman. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and so, and so it's so strange that we're describing two things that are obviously very accurate and very real and very yeah. interconnected, but like, man, it was so totally, it was so totally different for me. And that's, and I'm going to spend, be spending a lot of time sitting with that fact alone um, because I, because I hear both, you know, yeah. I, I hear so many, um, so many women and so many men talking about their fathers or grandfathers or, you know, or stepfathers or whatever, and talking about what an absolutely unholy terror their parents were Christian or not. Right. Like I hear yeah. that. And I know that that's real. And I know that we're absolutely living in the aftermath of that behavior, whether or not it's tied to men who got absolutely broken in half in every possible way in World War One and Two is another matter. Like maybe that's yeah. the case, but we can't say that. What we can say is that the behavior was real and happened. And on the other side, there are so many men that grew up with absolutely just shattered dads, you know, from mothers just mm-hmm. ruling the roost with an iron fist. And it's like, what is what is going on? And, and my mind is like, these two things have to be related somehow. How are they related? I can think of some ideas, but we you know the why is less important than the just the real shocking just the real shocking state that most people are in in their families whether you whether you have a dominating a domineering mother or a domineering father or whatever it's just like people just you you were talking earlier about how do we make a case for traditional values right traditional christian christian or not traditional values like you make the case because here's the two ways that families are broken yeah. You know, and here's a way to arrange them so they're not broken. Like, and everyone loses yeah. something, right? Everyone has to lose everyone, everyone, like the notion of biblical submission, which we're talking about only works if the husband is fully submitted to Christ. So he knows what it's like to submit. Otherwise yeah. he becomes a tyrant unless you yourself are submitted to elders, to, to discipline, to discipleship and to Christ, you must yourself submit because it's uncomfortable and you struggle with it and it's painful. Right. And mm-hmm. then you know what it's like for a wife to submit. And then you're, 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 you give grace and you give mercy as you have received. Otherwise, men become a tyrant. So the men that you're talking about, they were themselves not submitted to anything. That's why, that's why we have to be, be really careful, you know, because there's like, so for me, I, you know, you talk about your upbringing, like my upbringing is so polar opposite. I mean, like, so, so my parents met in church and I was born in, on November 28th. And so the Christmas play was like December 20th. And I played baby Jesus in the Christmas play when I was like three weeks old. I think you told so me that. My, my, mom, my mom was so proud because I was super quiet the whole time. And everybody thought I was a baby doll. And this <laughs> woman was singing while they're holding me. And then like three quarters of the way through the song, I've always had a flair for the, for the dramatic. I raised my arm up 
during the middle of the song and the whole crowd went <gasps> because they thought I was a baby doll the whole time. And so I've been, I've been a boss <laughs> since I was like three weeks old like that. Um, but no, he had a full beard at the time, I'm sure too. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but, but no, like I, you know, I, and then I grew up going to church every, every, you know, every Sunday, and then I grew, you know, and I even went to Christian school and then, mm. you know, and then even where I live, just living in, you know, the South, you just, I, I certainly live in and live, I've never gotten exposed to a lot of what you're talking about, you know, yeah. and, and that's one thing that's been interesting to me. And again, it just goes back to why we need all these different voices speaking about masculinity, because for me, I, I'd, I'd heard of a few cases of like the overbearing mother. But it was like a mythical creature, like a unicorn, you know, like I, did, I don't know anybody whose yeah. life was actually like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of, I know a lot of families with, with dads who were, I mean, one of my former boss, like his dad was an alcoholic mm-hmm. and he was the oldest son and his dad would come home and he'd take the belt off. And when he was drunk, he would use the belt buckle. And as soon as, as soon as my, my, he, this is a man that's one of my best friends in life. He was, he was my mentor. He was a boss that really had a big impact on my life. You know, he, it was him and his mom and he had a, a younger brother and a younger sister. And it was basically his job to wear dad out before he could beat anybody else. Ugh. And when he got old enough to, and when he got old enough to handle it and it didn't hurt, his dad started using the buckle. Mm-hmm. And like that was his role until he was 20 was he had to protect his family from his own dad because his dad was an alcoholic. And he came to Christ when he was at like, when he was like 22 and you talk about a Christian that, that has a really impact, you know, that man's a real Christian, you know, yeah. that man, Jesus changed his life, but you know, but he grew up in Chicago. He, I mean, he, he didn't grow up in the South, you know, I mean, it's a real thing. I think that's why it's important again, why, why we had, different voices talking about these things because we're coming at it from different angles. A lot of the tone with what I write is very critical of the hyper-masculine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot, a lot of the people in the space are telling women to submit, submit, submit. You know, my first really, really popular post was called men submit Too," mm-hmm. And it was basically talking about how, you know, there's a difference between submission and obedience and a lot of men are expecting their wives to be obedient because they yes. do it to do what they're told. It's like yes. that's not what the Bible says. Submission yes. is a voluntary is a voluntary thing that you do out of respect. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know the Bible says you know women should submit as if they're as if to Christ. I get all that, but they're human. W- women are human beings. If you're an absolute, if you're an absolute tyrannical asshole. Mm-hmm. There's not a woman in the world that's going to keep submitting to that for 30 years of her life. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That's asking yeah. too much of a woman to keep submitting to a man just because the Bible says so. Like you right. need to earn it. You need to, you need to, but you need to lead her as a sacred responsibility, not as a tyrant. Mm-hmm. That was one of my first major posts. I didn't know at the time that that went against what everybody in the space is, is saying. They're all saying like, Oh, you know, you can't earn a, a woman's submission. It's like, you should try. Doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Right. Doesn't mean that you, you know, and that's, and that's the really frustrating thing for me about it. You know, it's like that I can get pretty harsh with a lot of men because you should, you know, 
You should. It's like the men, men do hard the things, most... dude. Men, okay. men do well, hard here. things, bro. Fuck but your I'll, feelings, right? That's, that's what we hear I'll all go, day, right? We all go there, okay? Like, here's the deal. Any man that has to be a tyrant at home because his wife submits, that just tells me that you've got a pencil dick and you don't have any power in the real world because you've submitted to men before too. Mm. As, as men, we've had to submit to our parents. We've had to submit to teachers. We've had to submit to coaches. We've had to submit to bosses. We've had to submit to all kinds of people in our lives. And there's a certain type of person that we respond to when we're on the receiving end of having to submit. And we don't respond to coaches that were tyrants and that looked down on us and treated us like shit. So if you, if you, you, so you've experienced as a man what it's like to be led by a man who is a good teacher or a good coach or a good boss. You'd walk through fire. If anybody, anybody that's had a mentor or a boss or a coach that actually led them well, mm-hmm. we would walk through fire for those men. I mean, you look at men like Alexander the Great, like dudes literally died because he was like, I want that, I want to cross that river and own that land over there. And men would literally go throw themselves in front of swords to die for Alexander the Great because they wanted to help him conquer what he wanted to conquer. Like mm-hmm. that's that's leadership. And as men, we have all experienced the good cup. Co- and responded to the, a certain type of leadership. So when you go home and you act like that entitled boss that didn't deserve the promotion and he knows he doesn't deserve it, so he insists on exercising his tiny amount of power as much as possible because it's the only place in the world he has any, yep. it's just a blatant sign of you having no, no confidence whatsoever. If you need to go home and exercise that much power over a woman, it's because your pathetic little life you have no power anywhere else. So the one place you have some, you abuse it. And I have a big problem with that. Absolutely agreed. Absolutely agreed. The notions of the notion of people needing to exert power over each other. Like earlier you said, you know, everyone wants to be the cool kid in high school still. And, you know, I've certainly seen that dynamic play out enough to, you know, be really over it. But I think that just comes down to people feel powerless in their lives and um, they want to exert power over someone else, whether that's just power of status or power of money. And certainly that shows up for a lot of men as well, where it's like, you, you know, know, what we I'll, call that. What do we call that? Bullies. Bullies. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I have no tolerance for, sure. for bullies. No. Oh, yeah. and, no so, and no moral man of integrity should have any tolerance for bullies. That's our that's job sure. as a man. But no, that's what our strength is for. Right. Or that's what it's, it's, that's what is for, to protect against bullies. Yeah. 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 And there, and that, that's one of the hardest things that I've discovered during my time in the men's movement is just how many bullies there are. Yeah. Right. And some, and, and not only that, how many men like being bullied? That's the thing that trips me out is like that there are so many bullied? bullies in the space. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that surprises me. They like, they, they, they don't perceive it as being bullied. They don't know how to orient themselves towards a, a vision of masculinity that isn't constantly berating them in some way, that isn't making them feel small. That's the thing that I've observed. And that, that's what I think is behind a lot of the cults of personality that develop, is they actually enjoy. Well, we had that, that was a lot of what our only exposure to real men was like. You know, they're football coaches. Right. You know, for a lot of men, the only exposure they had to a man that pushed them, that helped them become better than what they were, was a football coach who griped them out, who, you know, emasculated them in order to make them 
stand up. And there's certainly an element of that that's real. That's not bullying. You know, like when I talk about bullies, I talk more about like in the context of what I was just saying is like, because you have no power in real life then you're going to go home and bully your wife who can't stand up and you're going to use the Bible saying submission as your defense against it. No, that's being bullied. I think, I think when it comes to man to man conversations, I think there's a place for a little bit of emasculation and a little bit of calling out and saying, step up and be a man, dig deep. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to dig deeper and find a new level of toughness. There's no excuse for at a certain point, the whining has to stop and you've got it and you got to step up and figure it out. And I think there's a, a lot of it can easily turn into reprimanding and calling names and, you know, and say, Oh, don't be a pussy. And I'm not a fan of that. I think that's too far. And as a grown man, that doesn't do anything for me, but another man that I respect saying, Hey bro, you need to dig deeper. You're leaving, you're leaving way too much out there. You're giving yourself too easy of an out Mm -hmm. and you need to step up and, and, and learn some, some mental toughness. Mm -hmm. Like there's a place for sure. It's not bullying. Yeah. And that's, that's not, that's, that what what the difference between what you're saying and and I think what we're talking about with bullying is that what you're saying there has a has a has a degree of like and I'm going to help you get there right it's not like it's not just like pushing and shoving like you suck you're you're a piece of shit that's bullying like where if you say something like you know you need to you need to step up to the level of the group there's an invitation in there Right. And, and that's a, I think that's what men are looking for. I think that's what men really respond to of all kinds. That's leadership, right? To make the invitation yeah. to step into whatever the better version of yourself or the man that you know that, or that I see in you versus like the constant accusing, the constant accusing, like that's, that's hustle and grind set, right? That whole, that whole mindset yeah. is, is it, it's not overtly bullying, but it's constantly saying, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Look at how much stuff I have. Look at how hard I work. Look at all the, I'm up at 4.30. Oh, yeah, well, I'm up at 4.15. Oh, yeah, well, I don't sleep. You know and what I that, mean? That, to me, is the trick, right? There, right. Is comparing them to you. Right. Saying, because I did it, you should be. Exactly. That, to me, is where it turns into bullying. Yes. Yes. You know, because everybody's situation is different. Everybody's, like, time is different. Like, like for instance, you know, there's a lot of people in the men's, in the men's movement that really talk down to men that aren't in good shape. Yeah. You know, and I get the spirit of what they're trying to say, but at the same time, I know a lot of guys that they work blue collar jobs as electricians or as roofers. And they are physically worn out. Sure. They have no capacity to go to the gym. Like just them coming home after, you know, my dad was a roofer. And a construction worker and he would work in the summers on, on roofs and he'd come home and like it just him being upright and having dinner with me is heroic mm-hmm. you know and so i think just bl- blindly spewing that and saying every dad should be in great shape it's like you know what if you're a dad that's busting his ass and then you come home and you're present with your kids i know a lot of guys that are overweight and they're in, not in great shape they're great dads. They're not, they don't have time to go to the gym because they work 60 hours a week. And when they're done working, they're coaching their son's baseball team three nights a week. And on the weekends they're taking them fishing. And like they're, they don't, they're, they're investing every, every 
free minute they have into pouring into their kids, should they not coach the baseball team so they get so they have time to go to the yes. gym? Yes, they should. They should not coach the baseball team. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because if okay, if you're not, what difference does it make that you coached your son's baseball team if you die of a heart attack five years later, or if you die, or if you get type two di- type type two diabetes, or you develop all these kinds of problems with no, I get yeah. That. I mean, so it's like so it's like yes, in in a sense, you are being a great well, dad, so- but in a sense, you have a you you're abdicating your responsibility to your uh to your your children to your wife and and to yourself like and and if and i and i and ideally if you have the time i don't dispute that but i do i do think it's a problem if you're taking time that you would have and coaching the baseball team isn't the point the point is being involved in your kid's life Right, but if you have to choose between the gym and being involved in your kid's life, your kid's better off with you being involved in their life. And 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 am I not being there at all and being at the gym? Well, I'm, and then I might push back on that a little bit and say, you know, a man can do remarkable things with his fitness in like six to nine months, right? And so it's like, yeah. so if you were to take six to nine months off from, you know, to say, kids. I I love you for the next six to nine months. Dad is going to get in. It doesn't, you don't have to get in like, you know, six pack, you know, like veins popping, you know what I mean? But if you've got an obesity problem, it's like dad's going to take six to nine months and sort that out. It's going to be really difficult for the family. I really need your support in it. I'm really sorry that I let it get to this point, you know, by, by being lazy and now all I'm making all of you pay for it. And I promise I'll make it up to you by being a better dad on the back end. I think that's totally sure. valid. Now that doesn't mean that you need to get to the stands of the solar sphere where it's like, here's another, here's Ronnie Coleman or here's, you know, here's like, yeah. you don't need to do that. Hey, I mean, you know, I'm in, you know, I'm in shape. I'm not opposed Flex. to being in shape. <laughs> you know, you I'm know. in shape. <laughs> it was, it was really no, annoying when we went to the gym and you like just looked at the weights and they just levitated. I've never seen anyone, never seen anyone. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's a weird, I'm a Jedi like that, bro. <laughs> yes. No, you know, it's like, um, I don't dispute being in shape. I don't think there's anything wrong with being in shape. I just, I think, I think that there's a, it's, it could be a lot worse. You, you're griping about absentee fathers. There's a lot of guys that grew up with absentee fathers that they're just trying to, they're doing the best they can and they're showing for up. sure. Yeah. And I don't mean to take yeah. anything away from and, that. And in, in an ideal aspirational scenario, of course that man's going to needs to go to the gym and get in shape and show, show his kids how to do something better and not have a heart attack. Like there's no argument to be made there. Like that's indisputable, but in the big scheme of things, we still need to celebrate the dads that aren't even showing up at all because there's a lot right. of people that could be doing way, way worse. And so for me, Every, any and every dad in the country that's showing up day in and day out and trying to be present in his kid's life and do better than the dad that he had, that that man needs to be at least be given a pat on the back and say, "Hey, good job, dad." Yes, a thousand percent. Now let's work on. Now let's work on some advanced level stuff, yeah. you know, like AP fatherhood. Huh. Yeah, but bro, you're getting. I just want you to know, you're getting an A plus in in fatherhood 101 because you're showing up you're trying to change the standard 
you know, you're working your ass off and yeah, you've got a few extra hours every day that, yeah, you probably need to be focusing more on what you 45 eat. 45 minutes. And maybe at least go, go, go throw some weights around for 45 minutes or go take a, take walk, a walk through the neighborhood with your wife, yeah. whatever, right? Like do something. Of course, there's always room for improvement, but I think my, my problem is the idea that, you know, this, this idea of like, it's almost condescending for a lot of these social media personalities to talk down to the dads that aren't in great shape. Yeah. And it's like, man, do you know what some of these guys' lives are like in real life? Like that dude is a mechanic and he's working underneath a car in Ar- where I live in Arkansas. It's a heat index of like 130 all summer long. Like I wouldn't be able to walk upright if I, if I was working that right. job. There's no way I could go to the gym afterwards. Like, need to factor that in for some real life guys. And that, that, that dude's just showing up at home and being at every one of his kids' soccer games and every one of you know his daughter's dance recitals or whatever. Like, dude, we could have it a whole lot worse as a society than dads who are doing that to show That's up. That's right. That's right. It is, it is really easy. It is really easy to pick on men in all kinds of ways, but particularly in weight. It's really easy. It's really easy to pick on men and, and, um, who, who are overweight and, and to overlook their other, their other contributions. Like, and, and that's, it's, it's really low hanging fruit. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, um, it's low resolution thinking and, and all of that. And, and yet I will continue. And it's hard to, and it's hard to thread that needle too, of like congratulating that guy for being a good dad while also encouraging him to elevate his standard to also go get healthy and get in shape. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the challenge with, with all social media is that nuance, you know, like I can, we can talk about it in a way that makes sense in this, in a podcast like this to say, Hey, in the big scheme of things, fatherlessness and absentee fathers is a huge freaking problem in America. So I'm grateful for any and every dad that shows up and just isn't an asshole. That's not present. That's just trying to be a good dad yeah. and doing the like, if nothing else, if you do nothing else as a man, thank you. Thank you for pulling your end of the, of the bargain that we all need to be pulling to be contributing to, the, to our children. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're doing that, we're on the same team. Right. Period. Right. Now, are there things that I'm going to code that I, in an ideal world, if I, if I have an opportunity to speak to you to help you take it another level up? Well, of course, that get in better shape and eat right, set a good example for your kids and all that. But that's not an option for a lot of dads. There's a lot of dudes that aren't very smart. That's, that's that, another thing. You know, they're not, they don't, they don't make $200,000 a year. Yeah. They're, they're day laborers, man. And the, the, maybe the best that dude can do is show up and cheer for his son at a soccer yeah. game. And if that's the best he can do, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shame him for that. Yeah. I agree. That's, that's real. I agree. That's real. You know, and it, and you could do worse. You could be, at home drinking beer while your kid's playing soccer and your kid grows up to have issues. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there needs to be room at the table for both, you know, and I think it's hard to, it's hard for, it's hard to give that, to get that man to sit down at the table with us. If his first interaction with us is to tell him that he's not doing enough because he's not in shape. Yes. You know, Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of justifiable reasons why, like I wasn't in great shape when I was building my business, bro. I was working 90 hours a week. Right. There's no way I could have gone to the gym. And, I, and if I had it to do over again, I'd do the same damn thing. There's a path I had to take. It's not always on the table. 
to prioritize your health. Well, there's a di- I mean, I would say that there's an important difference between being like you were, which was really skinny versus being like overweight. Like one of those, one of those is a significant, you know, risk factor for many different, you know, avoidable health conditions that will severely impact your ability to be there for your kids in the long term. Oh, and the other is just, is just, you just being, uh, just being weak, dude. <laughs> hey, we're all weak sometimes. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, like, and this is the thing and, and in the, in the, in the talking about masculinity. What I wish I what I wish I would have known. Sorry, That's let me good. add something real quick. What I wish I would have known and what I wish a lot of men knew about is the world of these coaches like like Arthur Blood and Rain that specialize in like 45-minute workouts that can really get you results. Is that, is that what he does? Mine are a little bit longer. Well, I just saw him post about that yeah, recently yeah, yeah, for like busy professionals, you know, like, I didn't know a lot of programs like that existed, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like, and so if there was one thing I could tell, I could tell a lot of those men who are in that position is like, Hey, it's, it doesn't have to be that complicated. There's stuff out there that has done all the legwork for you where here's a list of workouts you just go do this thing. Boom, 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 boom. Make it simple. Like that's the caveat I would add is that it's easier than a lot of men think, but only if they've got a resource like, what Arthur's doing mm-hmm. where it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it because you know there's a there's a steep learning curve for a lot of dads that don't have a lot of time. Right. Well and and, and they grow up in a broken society, right? That didn't teach them how to take care of their bodies. Right. And that and that um and I mean this goes back to you know and then Tanner Guzzi was talking about this on Twitter. He was saying that like if you look at photos of men from the 1950s or the 1940s, even the 1960s and 70s, like actors, like Charles Bronson, it was mm-hmm. the example he was using. You know, Charles Bronson was a lean looking dude. He, he's what we would consider in shape today. But like Tanner was like, this dude wasn't counting macros. He wasn't, you know, doing meal timings. You know what? Like, why was it that men not that long ago were just able to not take as great care of their bodies? And yet, and yet be in great shape versus now it's a constant uphill. It's a constant uphill effort. Well, yeah. why, why is it that so many more men are addicted to pornography now than they were in the sixties? Well, I mean, cause it exists. First of all, like it was, it was not easy to get easier porn- to access. What's that? Easier access. Well, I mean like the, the pornography yeah, industry I mean, didn't even exist in the beginnings of the form that we understand it today, really until the seventies. But you, but you know what I mean? Like, I think, I mean, part of the reason, like I've, I'm guilty of it too. Like we have the option now of not eating healthy. You know, we right. have weekends where, you know, my, where, you know, my son's playing, playing baseball out of town and we're just flying by the seat of our pants. We go, we're hungry. So we go through the drive through McDonald's and, you know, on the way home, like we stop and eat out somewhere. Like we don't, we don't go through the process of meal planning and cooking and doing all those things, you know, should we? Yeah. But there's a lot of things all of us should be doing right. that we don't do. We're human beings, you know, whereas, you know, 60 years ago, fast food just wasn't there. Or it wasn't garbage. It yeah. wasn't literal trash. Right? Wasn't garbage, yeah. you know? so I think part of the, part of the reason is like, dude, those dudes in the sixties would be, wouldn't be any better than if they were all born right now, they'd be just like us. They just didn't have a choice. It's true. They, they had better options. Yeah. 
but yeah. but it's for that or they didn't have or they didn't have the option just like porn, just like pornography it's it, it wouldn't be hard it wouldn't have been hard in the 70s not to have a pornography <laughs> that's I mean, even, true even for us when we, when we were teenagers you had to really tr- go really out of your way to get your hands on on a playboy it was not just easy like you know like you had to go to a buddy's house that had like a secret video stash that he found from his stepdad oh did to get access to to get access to porn. Well, there was a giant adult yeah. adult yeah. store down the street from like around the corner from my high school. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, for 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 us, it's like you know, it was easy not to be a teenager addicted to porn sure. in the nineties, in the you know, in the two thousands before it was on a smartphone. It was you know, Ugh. the the fact that you had to put forth so much effort to get it usually gave you the time to talk yourself out of it. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know. What I mean? Whereas, you know, now it's, it's, it's really hard to maintain a healthy diet when you're driving down the street and all it takes is three minute moment of weakness to be in the drive through at Burger King. For sure. You know, I mean, so we, we're dealing with a level of temptation that frankly, we're not adapted to, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think our kids are going to hopefully be better adapted to being able to say no, but like for somebody like us that we grew up, you know, where we have no, like as soon as pornography became easily available, we had no defenses built against that fighting that mental fight. All of a sudden yeah. it was two seconds away in our pocket. Yeah. Where, whereas our whole lives we had this, this natural, if you want to use evolutionary, ev- evolutionary terms, you know, we'd, we'd, have, we'd have had evolved this defense mechanism where if we were trying not to, if we were trying to abstain from pornography, if I had to take the time to drive to the adult video store to buy a Playboy, right. I had time to talk myself to talk sense into myself. Right. You know, whereas now all of a sudden I used to have this fifteen minute time frame that I could adapt to it. Now all of a sudden, if I'm have a thirty second moment of weakness, it's too late. Yeah. I don't know that we've that we've adapted to that yet. Whereas uh, hopefully our kids that have grown up with easy access to fast food and easy access to pornography. They're going to be used to fighting the fighting and hopefully winning those mental battles that our generation just all of a sudden got thrown into the deep end without knowing how to swim. Mm-hmm. And now we're, we're desperately learning how to swim like on the fly. But we have we have there's a lot of stuff that we haven't had adequate time to adapt to yet mm-hmm. as a society. And I think junk food and pornography and so many of these vices that we see all fall into that category of, you know, it's easy to sit and judge it and compare it to the sixties and all that. But I mean, good grief, these things are brand new. I mean, in the big scheme of things, the level of pornography that's available in the modern, in the modern world is brand new. It's an eye blink of time in the big scheme of things. And to expect men to have mastered that temptation, like dude, Dudes in like t- dudes two thousand years ago took the time to draw titties on the side of a cave wall. Like we've been trying <laughs> yeah, to invent drawing to do it. Yeah, I want to see titties. You know, I'm going to draw them in this charcoal. Cave wall. Gonna, <laughs> you know, yeah, with charcoal. You know, like <laughs> dudes used to draw. You know, women's with their boobs out on the side of the bombers in World yeah. War Two. They took the time to paint titties <laughs> on the side of their airplane. You know, that's like, actually minutes, that's minutes, true. Minutes, Men have always 
been drawn to yeah. it, you know. So to sit and say like, oh, to have this high and mighty idea about like pornography in the modern day, like, bro, we have had zero time to adapt to this yet. Yeah, none. And we need to while we need to put our foot down about maintaining these standards, we also need to not lose touch with what it, the reality is like for the average guy out on the street somewhere that doesn't have eight hours a day to sit and think about self improvement because he's busy surviving. You know, I think we, we, you know, when we started off this conversation, we talked about having, you know, more men that have a seat at the table. Like, I think we're doing a lot of things that alienate and a lot of, a lot of the men from feeling like they're welcome at the table of masculinity because mm-hmm. we've lost touch with what their at what their actual real life is like, and point. so we've got to figure out how to speak to those concepts and those principles in a truthful, honest, objective way that calls them to a higher standard, but doesn't make them feel like such a failure from the very beginning that they don't even try to come sit at the table with us. Because there's a lot of men that want to be at that table, but it feels like the type of masculinity that's being promoted is so far out of reach for them that it's not even worth pursuing. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good idea. The Greek mathematician Archimedes famously said, give me a solid point on which to stand and I will move the earth. I've loved this quote for years. When it comes to my most meaningful decisions, I find solid ground within myself to act from. Once I find that firm foundation, I know that I can plant my feet and push with my whole effort. And guess what? That you're listening right now is proof that the earth will move. But again, my first step is finding solid ground, not in the world, but within myself and my faith. And that has been a lifelong process of confronting my habits and my beliefs about myself, my past, and my future. Because, as the author Orson Scott Card said, we question all our beliefs except for the ones that we really believe in, and those we never think to question. So what if that solid ground is tied to our beliefs about ourselves, including things we've never thought to question? And what if by asking the right questions, we could find out what was true? And what if by finding the truth about ourselves, we find the solid ground we're searching for at last? Because that is my new Renaissance Mentorship Program. 12 weeks of me and you finding the truth about yourself, asking the questions you've never thought to, and beginning to push back. What would you do with 12 conversations with me? What would you want to talk about? What truths would you want to discover? And once you had them, what would you do with them? Could you build the life you've always wanted? A happy home, a thriving family, and a vibrant faith? If you had solid ground to stand on, could you move the earth? Email me at info at renofmen.com if you're ready to find out, because my Renaissance Mentorship Program is where I take everything I talk about on this podcast, all the wisdom, experience, and insight of my guests, and make it real in your life. It doesn't happen by magic, though. It happens through effort and courage to ask the hard questions and then live out the true answers. That is the other half, support, because what you know is meaningless if you don't do and none of us can do it alone. And I'm a good guy to have on your side. If this sounds like you or the man you want to be, solid ground is waiting in you. Email me at info at and let's get started. 
because we've got an earth to move. You know, it's funny. Um, there's a, a leader in the men's space who's been around for a long time. His name is Paul Elam. And uh, he was featured in the documentary, The Red Pill by Cassie J. And um, his, his, uh, his, his YouTube channel and website used to be a voice for men. And, um, and now it's the XY crew. And he and I have, have talked about this and he is really resistant to coming up with any fixed definition of what masculinity is. And the reason why is because who, he, this, is, this is his, this is what he says. He says, the reason why is because as whoever defines what masculinity is, is able to wield shaming power to say masculinity is this set of things. And so if you don't have this set of things, you are not masculine. And so then I'm going to have the ability to shame you as a man. And shame is very debilitating for men, which is a whole other conversation. And so, and so he and I have gone back and forth talking about that, but it really speaks to, and, you know, and I, I've spoken to, um, done a private Zoom call with him and about 30 of his guys and his XY crew. And it really speaks to a lot of these guys are, like you said, they want a seat at the table, but like if your standard for masculinity is you know, 220, you know, with muscles and, you know, a million dollars and, and, and whatever, you know what I mean? Fast car picket, you know, whoever, right? Like, that's not who these guys are. It's like, do we get to be men too? Yeah. Men too? Like, yeah. right. Exactly. And that's, that's really yeah. difficult because. And, and, here, and here's the thing that I really want to take a chance to emphasize right now as someone that has a small voice in, in this space is, I I want those men at the table. I need every man at the table that I can get because yeah. it's going to take far more than just me and you. We're vocal, yeah. but if we want to turn the tide, we've got to have every man possible Thank you. that's stepping up. Every single, I don't care if, if you're a little overweight, that's okay. We need you being a good dad. We need you being a good husband. We need you pulling over on the side of the road to help somebody with a flat tire. We need you giving masculinity a good name. We need you to be honorable. We need you to have integrity. We need you to be humble. We need you to be generous. Yeah. We need your contribution to the world. We have to have it. I, what I'm trying to do, what you're trying to do, I cannot do it by myself. I might talk about it on social media. I might be a face of it. I needed, I want and need desperately as many men possible helping women carry groceries out to their car, helping walk a woman to her car in a, on a dark, in a dark alley. Mm -hmm. I mean, we need every man we can get that's contributing to being a solution to so many of the problems, that, you know, so many of the labels that are being put on men right now. The only way we're going to change those labels is, is as men, we live differently and we prove that wrong. Mm -hmm. And so if a man's a little overweight, but he's willing to, to step up and do the best he can to help somebody unload their groceries or pick up a flat tire or run into a burning building or show up at his kid's soccer game, then damn it, I, I need you. Yeah. We all need that. And, that it, it, and to me, what I, what I love about what Jack Donovan said is, you know, masculinity in the ideal is aspirational. It's not attainable. Mm -hmm. The whole point of it is that we've got to say, like, 
the men that we've always admired, whether it's modern dudes like Captain America or ancient dudes like Achilles, like none of us, I can't be Captain America. It's not appealing to me because it's realistic. Mm -hmm. It's a a myth, Mm -hmm. but it gives me something to aim at. It gives me something that's bigger than me. It gives me a target that I won't actually hit, but it'll make me better. The process of trying to hit that target Mm -hmm. will make me better. And so the whole point of putting a definition on masculinity isn't to exclude anyone. It's to make a definition of masculinity that's aspirational, but that none of us are ever going to actually live up to, that none of us are ever going to be on a day-in, day-out basis. But the pursuit of something that's bigger than anything we can actually do is what helps us grow and become more in in the effort of trying to reach that goal. Mm -hmm. Our heroes have never been realistic, and that's a good thing. Right. And and the and and the real world heroes are often so unrealistic. Meaning, like you think about, you know, the the, the dudes yes. on the like you. I think you, I see the book Endurance. You have endurance behind you on the shelf. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. the stuff that Captain America does doesn't even compare to what the dudes of Endurance did. You know what I mean? It's that's like that's we have. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so okay. So now I want to I want to try something. Because here's the thing, I think like there, there is this strain of bullying, which is like, I'm more of a man. I'm not saying that either, this is either something that either of us do, but we see it. I see it all the time. I'm more of a man than you because X, right? Like I, I'm in better shape than you. I have more money than you. I have, I have more of this or whatever. Like men just have this tendency to say, I'm more of a man than you. And it might be like instinctive. Like it might even be like, they're not running some numbers in their head and they evaluate. They just say, they just get a sense like, no, that's not, that guy's not man enough. Okay. So the thing is to do the thing that we're talking about where we need all men on board, men need to get past that. Men need to get past this instinct to say like, I look at you and I think you're not man enough. So I'm not going to take you seriously. Like that happens all the time. So like what causes that? And how do we shut that off? Because I agree with you is that men need to be able to look at other kinds of men and say like, you know what, you're a different kind of man than me, but I still see something manly about you. And and I'm not just going to dismiss you because you don't meet my personal standards of what a man is or what my dad's standards were or what my book says. Like, how do we get men past that? Because one of the advantages that that women have, and this is something that that I've worked hard to understand, is women more naturally come together as a cohesive whole and see solidarity with each other as women than men see solidarity yeah. with men because women have always had to live on you know in some sense in relationship to men so women will naturally call feel themselves to be more of a bond of sisters like two random women sure. than two random men will feel themselves to be brothers but we have to break that because men's natural tendency to judge belittle bully it, you know it is what's keeping us apart and it's this well, divided state right and so this is the thing that I grapple with so I'll have to explore that out loud. Yeah, that's the, that's the way I mean, kick it around. They're going to kick the soccer ball around the field. Yeah, so having sons, I find it interesting mm. that from the time, especially my younger one that's the, is the baseball player, um, it's very interesting how even from the time they're like eight years old, all the boys are jockeying for position on the hierarchy. You know, who's the alpha? Mm. Who's the tallest? Who's the fastest? And yeah. You don't have, whether you teach them or not, it doesn't matter how much I tell, I tell my son, it doesn't matter. He's always like, I'm taller than Reese now. Or I'm t-, like, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's 
always this measuring yeah. thing, you know, which, so I think, I think to a certain point it's normal, but the other thing that I think when, when I hear that is hypothetically, just to make the math easy, it's hard to spend more than about $500,000 a year. It depends on what your if tastes you're making, are. If you're making, if you're making that consistent. Right. Month, year in and year out for the rest of your life. You can have the house, you can have really nice cars, you can have the land, you can go on three or four vacations. Like, and every, and I'm not saying the $500,000 a year should be wherever, but, but like these men that are making 10 million a year and it's still not enough, that's a psychological problem. I agree. That's you compensating for something. Like, there's something deep down inside of you that if you healed it, you wouldn't feel the need to continue proving yourself anymore. And I'm not judging or looking down on that, but at a certain point, it's when you have more money than you, than you know what to do with, if you still feel that need to make more, then there's something missing that you need to fill that money is never going to fill. Mm -hmm. And that's not my opinion. Men have been saying this, saying this for thousands of years. Solomon said it in Ecclesiastes. Yep, exactly. Vanity, yeah. Every, you know, philosophers have said it. Every religion has probably said it, haven't studied all of them, but like, at what point are we going to listen to every wise person that's ever lived and hear them when they say that money is never going to fill the hole that you're feeling inside of yourself? When will men hear that and, and, and accept it? Probably never. Because I, I listen, right? And so yeah, like I listen, I'm happy. I have everything that I need. I don't need any more money. If right. I make more money, great but I have what I need to take care of my life. And if I made more money than I make right now, I would just give it away because I have no use. for it. And that's just, I'm not telling anybody else they need to be that way, but you're asking at what point do men start giving back and the men start, stop comparing and stop talking down. I think the biggest thing is men need to understand themselves well enough to know, like at what point are you going to feel whole, whether it's money or manliness or how much weight you can lift because sooner or later, if you don't figure that out, you're going to hit a brick wall because at some point you're not going to be able to lift as much weight as you. You're going to go over a hill where you can't lift as much weight as you used to. I've been you saying- can't make as much money as you used yes. to. You, you're, you, have a, you have limits. And if everything about your identity is tied up in external accomplishments at some point, you're going to reach a level that you can no longer hit the target that you're aiming at. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much of a badass you think you are. Yeah. You are a human being. You can't dunk a basketball goal. You can't, you can't dunk a basketball on a goal that's 20 feet high. Like even, even LeBron James, can't, even Michael Jordan couldn't dunk if the goal was 17 feet in the air. Right. Some point, I don't care how manly you are, you're going to reach a limit that you cannot keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. And if everything about your identity is tied up and all those external accomplishments, which is what every man is telling other men to do, you're going to hit a wall. So what's the solution to your, your question? At some point, every man needs to look inside and answer for himself. At what point will you be satisfied that you are man enough? Where's the line? Know when it is. Know when you hit the target so that you can stop trying to fill a hole that you'll never end up filling. Yeah. At what point are you going to look around and say, you know what? I've done enough. 
You know, the, the movie The Greatest Showman. I don't know if you've watched that movie. A lot of people didn't yes. watch it because it had a little yes. bit of liberalism in it. But man, I love that movie. I love it. The end of that movie. Yeah. The end of that movie when he's looking at his wife and he and he realizes he screwed his whole wife his whole life up and his wife looks at him and said, "All I ever wanted was you." Yeah. You didn't have to yeah. do all this stuff for us. You didn't have to be famous. You didn't have to go on a worldwide tour and become, you know, richer than every man in New York because they didn't take you seriously and all. You didn't have to do all that. All I ever wanted was you. And he finally comes to the realization that chasing other things and having validation from external things wasn't the answer, you know, and how many movies need to be made? How many books need to be written? How many men have to say it before other men will listen? Like the rules apply to you too. Every, every man that's writing on the internet, every famous man, everything we're talking about, these rules are like gravity. You don't get to have be the exception. These rules apply to every man listening. External accomplishments, money, women, weights, muscles, all of it. At some point, you have to know when, when, at what point will you say, I am man enough and stop chasing it because it's not just me saying it. It's not just you saying it. It's been the theme of how many movies. Solomon said it 3,000 years ago. And I use that as an example, but I'm sure Marcus Aurelius said the same damn thing. How many men have to say it before you're going to, you're going to listen? There are, you don't get to be the exception. Oh, if I was, if I was Michael Jordan, I could dunk on a 27 foot goal. No, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. Gravity has rules that that people can bend, but not break. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the reason men do what they do. Like, Boys, little boys do the I'm better than you game. A man that knows he's man enough has no need to point out how unmanly other men are. There's nothing to gain for me. I have nothing to prove by telling another man, hey, I'm more manly than you. The only time I pull that card is when somebody threatens me and tries to come on and troll me and be like, you don't know what you're talking about, bro. I'm like, okay, if you need Thanks, me to Instagram go there. Instagram, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you need me to pull my dick out, I will. Shut up and go away. Unless you know better, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. That's the only time that I go there. I don't walk around telling other men that are trying, that are just saying, hey, I'm trying. I, w- I want to be a better dad. Like, no. like, Bro, I, w- I wasn't always a great dad either. I wasn't always in shape. I used to be poor too. I used to not have money. I used to have anger problems. I used to have no discipline. Like, I've been where you're at. And every man that's telling the truth has been there too, because none of none of us were born just with a beard. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. We've all we've all failed. We've all been through times where we got knocked on our ass, and that's what really breaks my heart the most is the messages I get from these young guys that sit, tell that say, you know, I'm I just I feel like I'm a bitch. I have no I have oh, no discipline. I can't do what you that. do and all this stuff. And it's just like. I mean, it makes me so mad because it's like, bro, if, if you think that I haven't had times where I've been a bitch, where I've not had discipline, where I've failed my family, where I took the easy way out, where I took shortcuts, where I disappointed myself, let myself down, like you have been paying attention, man. I've been trying to say it. And any man, any man that's actually, that's actually been there and done the thing has had 
way more moments than he cares to admit where he's been a bitch. If that's all it takes to quote unquote be a bitch is to, to get down. You know, this particular guy that sent me this message, you know, it's like his dad died. Mm. And, um, His dad died like six months ago. Mm. And every night since his dad had died, he'd had to drink to go to sleep. Because mm. he just needed somebody to talk to. He said, I'm just a, you know, I said, he said, I'm a bitch because nobody, you know, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't need that, you know. And we talked that night, and that was the first night that he didn't have to talk, that he didn't have to get drunk to go to sleep. And all I needed was somebody to talk to. Yeah. And the fact that he looks at somebody like me and thinks that he's a bitch, it just hurts. And um, so I told him, I said, man, I'll talk to you every night if you need me to. You're not a bitch. I've been there. And I feel really grateful that I get to be in those positions. But it also frustrates me that so many men are posing and are given so many other, you know, and this guy, and he's working two jobs to take care of his, of his, his mom is on drugs. He's got three younger brothers and sisters that are still at home. He's like 19. He's working two jobs to feed his mother, his, his little brother, his, his brothers and sisters. So, dude, you're, you're more of a man than I've ever been, dude. I don't know what you're talking about. But what you're doing, man, that that is that is peak masculinity, dude. And there's no there's no shame in you having to drink because you don't have anybody to talk to since your dad died, and you're and you're carrying a burden for your whole damn family at 19 that most grown men can't handle. Mm -hmm. And you're doing it, man. You're doing the thing. That's the manliest thing. I'm one of the manliest things I've ever heard. And you're sitting, and he's sitting here thinking he's a bitch. That's such a problem. That is such a problem with this whole world of masculinity, man. It's like the fact that that kid doing that still thinks it's not enough. That's wrong. It makes me really mad. <clears throat> oh, it makes me furious because there's all these men that are posing and pretending like they've never struggled. And it's like, dude, if you're going to be that much of a poser, you're a liar. You need to sit your ass down and keep your mouth shut. Because you know good and damn well that you struggled and that, you're, that, you, that you failed and that you've done foolish things that if anybody knew the real you, you'd be ashamed of some of the shit that you've pulled. And the fact that you're pretending like you haven't dealt with that and, and making other men that are doing shit like this kid's doing, making him feel like a bitch, shame on you. Yeah. Shame on you for using the position you're in to pretend instead of being a real human being. and, and all it takes is a little bit of vulnerability and authenticity and honesty mm -hmm. to admit I've had problems. I've dealt with hard things. And you know how much hope that gives to guys like that? Yeah. That that kid, as far as I know, hasn't drank again since we started, since we talked. All it took was a couple conversations. Man, I just, I didn't know I was, that was so manly. I said, anyway. We just need, we need men. We've got to have men stop judging each other 
And like, at, at what point you said something about women having solidarity, like at what point are men going to realize that we need, we need some damn solidarity? Yeah. How bad do things have to get before we as men stand up and say, you know what? We're all, if, if, if we don't stand together, then we're going to get picked off one by one. It's already happening. What's, what's it going to take? Yeah. And you want to sit and make, make comparison about who has a Ferrari or a Bugatti? Yeah. Dude, you, you sound like a fucking 12-year-old talking about Hot Wheels cars. Who gives a shit yeah. what car you have? Why are you competing against me of all the people? I'm not competing against any. There's not a man out there I'm competing against. I promise you that. There's plenty of enemies coming after me for me to like that dude is not not my enemy Mm -hmm. we're on the same team and you're sitting here trying to outdo me somehow like why there's people that actually are trying to to, to, trying to undermine our lives that really truly want to undermine our lives and you want to sit and argue with me about who can deadlift more yeah really that's we des- as men, we deserve to be undermined if we can't if we can't get our head out of our asses better than that. I agree. I agree a thousand percent. You know, right. it's 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 like I God, I have so much I could say about this. I mean, I've 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 witnessed all of this over the past year, and some like I've watched I've witnessed it firsthand, up close and, and personal. I've witnessed you know men who have more more money then they're good. They're set. You know what I mean? Be more focused on how can I add a zero instead of like, how can I burn it all down trying to save as many men as possible? Right? Like you're, you arrive at the top of the mountain, mm. right? And it's like, mm. congratulations, you made it. You are now a king of the world. It's like, no, no, no. There's a bigger mountain. It's like, there are people that need you right? That need more from you than just like, well, you know, and, and that's the thing. Even, that- even more, even more than that. I, I agree with that. The problem with that is it's like, oh, it's like virtue signaling. Oh, you're telling me how to live or, you know, fair enough. You don't have to have the same value. Exactly. You don't have to. That's fine. And but let me, let me, ask, <laughs> let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. What makes you think you know better than Solomon? But this, okay, so, so okay, this is... What makes you think, like, do you think that what you're saying about the next mountain and the next zero, do you think that every man that's ever lived hasn't dealt with that? Do you, do you not remember when Alexander the Great conquered his last kingdom? He cried because there were no more kingdoms to conquer. Well, they're like, How many men have to waste their lives chasing zeros and, in, and at the end of their life, they feel nothing? How many men have to do it before you realize that you are not the exception to the rule? I don't care if you're Elon Musk or Bill Gates or whoever example you want to use, like every man that I could name. Guess what, buddy? You're not better than Alexander the Great. Same thing happened to him. He cried when there was nothing left to accomplish because he had nothing else. Solomon said the same things. If you if you spent two hours researching all the great men throughout history that went down that path and regretted it, we could spend a, you could spend a year making a film about all the men who have done it. And universally, one hundred percent of the time, they've said, "Well, that was a waste of time." Why? Why? Why do you think that you somehow are going to be the one that finds the pot, the, the pot of gold at the end of the magical rainbow? You delusional asshole. You're a delusional asshole who's eaten up 
to the who's rotten to the core with pride and deep down, here's what it really is. You have some sort of issue that you're compensating for, period. Mm-hmm. End of sentence. I don't care if you're a billionaire. I don't care if you have three, billion, 3 million followers on Instagram and you see this podcast and you're going to be like, oh, I know better than that guy. No, I'm right and you're wrong. Period. You know why I know I'm right? Because what I'm saying aligns with every, what every wise man who has ever lived has said. And what you're saying goes against everything. No, no man has ever been like, you know what? I'm glad I chased that extra zero. Yeah. Nope, nobody. Nobody. How, how many men on their deathbeds have to scream out, stop chasing, stop chasing the money. It's a, it's a trap. How many men on their deathbeds have to say it? And then along comes some 30-year-old guy. He's like, oh, oh, those guys are beta. It's still beta, bro. So beta. Yeah. Okay, pal. Yeah. Keep, uh, all right, kiddo. Like, I don't care who it is. I don't, if they can be 60 and billionaires. As soon as they say that, that's what I think. I'm like, all right, kiddo. Mm-hmm. You lost all credibility with me. If you think you know better, because in the big scheme of things compared to Solomon, you're a kiddo. Yeah, I agree. And I, I only use Solomon as the example because he's, that's the biblical example. I mean, every, every damn biography I read, well, some version of that lesson that's what, comes up from an older man with experience saying, hey, don't go down that path. There's nothing at the end of that path. There's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's a trap. That's what the movie Citizen Kane was about. I mean, like if you don't, I mean, the biblical citizen Kane is all about a a man who became this, I mean, a billionaire in in his day, like adjusted for inflation. Right. And all he wanted was to go back to, you know, Rosebud, his sled. You want to go back, right? A Christmas Carol. Charles Dickens, a Christmas Carol. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, these are, these are time that not only like, these are timeless truths. They've been around for thousands of years and dudes on Instagram are still trying to be like, oh, we can beat the system. No, you can't. No, you can't. Right. No. Right. And this, this is the this part. Is yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is, and this is the part that, that, that I push for, for a lot of men that they really, that they really don't like, especially men that don't like Christianity because they, they look at Christ and they see someone weak, beta, soft as a dog's ear. I've heard that one too. And, and it's like, here, here's what you don't understand. Christ was the most powerful man to ever live. And what did he do? He sacrificed himself for the good of everybody. That's what you do with power. You, he rejected the, the three temptations, right, from, from Satan, right? He could have used his power to increase and be Lord over all the earth in a particularly I don't, materialistic I don't way. Think, I don't think that's, I think that part of what Jesus did, men, even non-Christian men do admire. I think what may, what gives men that impression about Jesus is out of context stories of where he says, you know, turn the other cheek. Of course, yeah, of course. I think that, I think that's where I think that's where that that falsehood comes into play that Jesus was was baited. It's, you know, if you if you don't really think through the with with a lot of depth and insight into what he into in some of the things he says, it can come across as as weakness when it says, you know, turn the other cheek, don't fight back. Right, right, but but the, but the point, but but to the point, of, uh, it, and that's absolutely true. And to the point about um, what the proper use for power is, is that you see so many men that become masters of the universe or whatever they become a billionaire. Like you mentioned, Elon Musk. Elon Musk is a great example. 
Elon Musk is like, I got more money than God now, so let's go to Mars. Meanwhile, you have James Cameron, the former film director, like, I got more money than God, let's go to the bottom of the ocean. And it's this like billionaire dick measuring contest, like who can do the coolest thing? And they're showing off like the, the yachts, because I've been sailing before. And when you see the giant mega yachts, like that they, and, and, and I have friends who are like professional sailors and they're like, no, here's the thing you don't know about these mega yachts. These mega yachts are crew, are, have crew year round. These people only's yeah. job is to be crew for this mega yacht. And the billionaire who owns the yacht will use the yacht maybe one to two weeks out of the year, right? And, and the only time he ever uses it is to fly people in to do some big showy thing like we're going to hang out on my yacht. And then he leaves. And it's like, and, and it's, it's this total emptiness. And so what men don't recognize is when they achieve this power, that what is the proper use of power? The proper use of power is not the self-serving end. The proper use of power is self-sacrifice. And some men just can't get there. They cannot get there because they're not comfortable enough in themselves, right? That's the standard answer. Like, I think it's probably true, but they're not comfortable enough in themselves. Like, yeah, I will absolutely sacrifice myself if it means that, you know, thousands of people will eat. But, you know, again, the Bible has something to say about that too. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get Mm. into heaven. Like die and follow me is not something that rich men do, right? No, I've got, I've got, I can run up the high score, bro. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and I, and one one thing I would add, you know, that, that that's um, that I've personally found to be challenging. You know, you asked me what it was like when we started, uh, you know, being on Instagram and being public. You know, I think I'm sure I'm sure you can put a fancier word on it than than what I'm than what I'm saying. You know, but the Elon Musk and James Cam James Cameron type of billionaires. They're the ones we know about, right? You know, like there's a lot, there's a lot of billionaires. Here we go. There's a lot of billionaires that aren't doing that. Mm. We just don't know about it. Right. And so I think there are people that are more than billionaires. Yeah. 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 And so I think the challenge in the modern day and one of the things that I struggle with, you know, is like part of the reason I spoke up and shared my own story and I do that stuff on Instagram is because somebody has to has to offer an alternative to that flashy lifestyle. Yeah. And the challenge is like it's like anybody that's that you know who the best president would be of the of, of the United States? Mm. Somebody that didn't want to be. Like if somebody yeah. tried to give me the job of being president of the United States, it'd be like, "Hell no, I'm not equipped for that." Mm-hmm. And so like anybody that sees that job and thinks, "Yeah, I could do that job." should immediately be disqualified from it. Or that, lusts, they're, they're, that lusts for the job. They're a sociopath. Like if you yeah. think that you can do that job well, then you probably don't have the humility that we actually need <laughs> yeah. in, the, in that job, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of this catch-22 of being in the public eye that I feel like I hate being in the public. I hate it. I've never even promoted myself locally. Like most mm. of the people around where I live, I don't even sponsor like the local baseball team and get like a banner of my company on the fence because I don't want people paying attention to me. Mm. Like I'd rather just be anonymous. I don't want, I don't want to be flashy. I've never promoted myself. Like if you go back to my Facebook, like I don't promote myself. Most people didn't even know I I own my own business and had money until that we moved into the house that we live in now and people come over and they're like, wow, 
your business must be doing pretty well. It's like, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think the problem is the only people promoting themselves are the ones that should be immediately disqualified from it because their egos are like, hey, look at me. You know, and that's kind of the challenging thing that I find with promoting myself. It's like I feel an obligation to be an alternative to what's out there right now. Mm-hmm. Because if not, if there's nothing else to glorify but the guy with the yacht, then a lot of a lot of young men that don't have a better target, that's the only target they know to aim at, they're gonna aim at it. Whereas for mm-hmm. me, I try I try to say, hey, here's the target I aimed at. Here's how I've lived my life. If if this appeals to you, there's more to life than chasing money. Yeah. Help people, do something good with it, you know. And that's not going to appeal to everybody. There's going to be a lot of men that say, you know what? I like that version of manhood better than the one where yeah. it's yachts and Bugattis. There's a lot of there's a lot of men with values and morals that they that they want that yeah. right. And so it's a weird spot to be in to to promote yourself and offer that alternative without also feeling really strange because I, it's hard to promote yourself as like, you should listen to me while also being like, don't I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm totally, I'm totally making it up as I go along. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a weird, it's a, it's, it's strange, you know, but I think people that if we want to set a different standard than the rich guy with the yacht, then average dudes, average humble, unassuming guys need to step up and say, Hey, here's how I've lived my life. I'm a, I'm a billionaire and I've given most of my money away, you know, but that's the problem is that there's, you know, the guy that founded Walmart, Sam Walton, you know, like Warren Buffett, great example. He's a billionaire. He doesn't flash it. He lives in the same house that he grew up, that he lived in when he was 20 years old. He eats at McDonald's every day. Like, He's an unassuming guy. I don't think he has a yacht or a Camaro or a Camaro, a Bugatti or any of that stuff. You know, Camaro. Like, come on, Grandpa. No, no. <laughs> you are an elder. For real. I know. He, he he doesn't have any of that stuff. It probably know? does. But nobody. But I mean, like, but I'm like, pretty, he doesn't. He doesn't. I'm sure, he doesn't. He does. Well, I, I don't know, but he probably doesn't tie his identity to it. You know, like, and that's the thing is a lot of guys will flash the success markers, right? Of like, look. I've got, I've got this fancy car and this expensive watch. You should listen to me about life. Like, well, should I? Yeah. And, you know, cause what we're talking about is a very different, is a very values based kind of way of living, which is like, no, no, no. It's not about the material success markers. Like, sure. Yeah. Have those, but like, don't take them. That's not the end of the story. And that's the part yeah. where I think a lot of men get really, really lost as they see the guy with the muscles. I'm going to do, a, I have a whole post I'm working on about this. They see the guy with the muscles or they see the guy you know, with the tattoos or they see the guy with the motorcycle or the, or the, you know, or the gun or whatever. And it's like, okay, that guy, that's, that's, that's the guy, that's a real man. One of those guys has got to be a real man. So I'll pick one. It's like, no, a a real man can have those things, but it's, there's something deeper about it that you can't necessarily see with your eyes that that makes a real man. But we live in such a, I mean, I don't want to even want to write it off to this, but it's such a hyper-visual culture. It's like, well, I mean, I, I don't have this inner sight, this insight to be able to evaluate a man's character. So because I can't evaluate his character, I'm going to evaluate what I can measure, which is his, his bank account, or what I can measure is his, his body fat percentage. And that's how I determine what a man is, because I lack the ability to even model what a virtuous man looks like. 
you know, we don't even want to have that anymore. Like I was, I was writing, um, I was writing a blog post. This would have been years ago. And I was like, and I was saying that any notion of what a real, of what a good man looks like has been removed from our culture. We can't even, we can't like the closest thing maybe in popular culture is like Stephen Curry. Maybe, you know what I mean? And even he's not all the way there. So we lack the imagination to even picture there's, what it is. Some men can't see it. There's a guy. There's a guy named Giannis Antetokounmpo in the NBA. That, that oh, okay. He's a Greek. He's a Greek guy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he grew up having to share shoes with his brother. He was so poor. Mm-hmm. So he grew up and he grew up in Greece. That um, he's real humble. He's a real humble guy. He's a good dude. There's a lot, and and, and they get they get celebrated. You know. Um, I I think I want to. I want to shift shift the notion of what we're talking about away from the no, of the notion of giving money away to giving self away because I think that's I think that's the bigger thing is like yes you can you can climb to the top of the mountain and get all this money and give all the money away but like how much of yourself are you actually giving how much of yourself like maybe this is where the word vulnerable it's like no like giving yourself is a risk like it's easy to stand and be like you should be like this and a man does this and men do hard things and you know I lose you again you're back he gets up to move and yeah, okay you're back you know can you hear me yeah okay so it's easy to get up there and then get some success doing that and then and then to continue doing that and to continue doing this bullying aggressive kind of thing versus like yeah no i'm gonna come down to the level of, of the men that i work with i'm that i'm around and wash their feet right yeah. and say like you know what like like it's 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 risky for me to engage not me, me personally, but like for someone who gets that status to come down and be like, you know what? No, man, I'm going to talk on the phone with you and, and make sure you don't drink yourself to sleep tonight. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily view it as a risk. This is something I've been kind of thinking about. I view, so like if you picture, picture an escalator, you know, and at the top yeah. there's an 80 year old man and at the bottom of the escalator, there's like a five year old man. And like, as the escalator is going up, the 80 year old man dies off and a, and a new young man is born. And like, there's this yeah. constant rotation, right? Yeah. I think one of the things I've noticed is that I think, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's plenty of young men that want to be mentored. There's a wealth of men who want, Hey, I want to be mentored. They have the humility to reach out to somebody like me or whoever say, Hey, mentor me. Well, it's because mm-hmm. there's something in it for them to be mentored. There's something to be learned. There's something to be had. You know, there's not quite as many people that are that are that want brothers because it's like there's not really much in it for me out of being brotherhood and living life next to somebody. I want I want a mentor because I can I can take from them. Mm-hmm. You know, I can I can I can I can take something from them to make my life better. There's very few people that want to be on the step with you on that escalator that want brotherhood, yes. right? Yeah. But then there's almost nobody that's on the step of he- step ahead of you that's willing to look backwards. And I think the Thank ideal God. scenario is that every man needs to have one of each. You need to have a person, you need to have a man above you who's mentoring you. Mm-hmm. You need to have men that are on the same step doing life with you that can hold you accountable and pick you up when you're down and can relate. And then you need to have somebody below you. And here's the thing is 
that's really when you ascend to like the highest level of a man, of manhood is when you when you become a mentor because the process of teaching what you've learned to the, to the, to the men who are below you on that escalator. What it's done for me personally, as a man, since I started writing on Instagram is beyond my ability to articulate, you know, I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. I'm a better man. Like I'm taking things that I would, that I just kind of did instinctually and that I did occasionally. Oh, I accidentally got that right today. Mm-hmm. I now have taken the, the the process of teaching it to other people and writing it down has helped me solidify those ideas. And you hear that all the time. Like if you really want to learn something, teach it. Like men are missing missing out on so much growth and improvement in themselves by not mentoring because they don't get anything mm-hmm. out of that. They don't think. Everybody wants a mentor because they get a lot out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't get much out of brotherhood because it's like, what do I need from you? You're in the same boat I'm in. I don't need anything from you. So there's nothing in it for them to have brothers until they stumble, until they fall, until they break. Yeah. Until, and right. then all of a sudden they're like, where are my brothers at? Well, you, you weren't interested until you needed something. Again, it's selfishness. Right. Or and you took off when you, when you took off when you, when you thought that the people around you had nothing more to give you. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the case I would make when you talk about persuasion the case I would make is that even if you're a selfish prick and you don't have anything to, and you don't want to give back because it's a waste of time, my argument to that, my argument would be try it and see how much you learn and how much it may, how much better it makes you when you teach other, when you teach a younger man, try it and see what happens. You think there's nothing in it. You think it's a waste of time. Well, let, let me admit, let me change your mind. Mm-hmm. mentor this young kid and and have him tell you that you talking to him is the only thing that kept him from having to get drunk to go to sleep and tell me it doesn't change you into a better man because it does mm-hmm. i can promise you whether you think that or not you can't have the experiences and you've mentored men you know how rewarding it is any man that's had a taste of the 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 fulfillment and satisfaction you get by by helping someone out it's a it's a drug it's a better drug than anything money can buy just if mm-hmm. it, just purely selfishly. I mean, disregard yeah. the morality of it. This literally just if you're just chasing a high, I can promise you, being in a position to help another young man, like like the one I used as an example, <laughs> that feels way better than anything money's ever bought me. Yeah. I mean, straight up. Yeah, I agree. You know, I love I love uh you know, the, the work that I do on Instagram and I love the work that I do on Twitter and I love the, my podcasts and my YouTube videos, but the stuff that I really love the most. And the reason why I got into this in the first place was to work one-on-one with men was to get into their lives and help them. And like, that's, that's, that's one of the things that, um, that really keeps me going is the, is the knowledge that like, I got my clients and I've seen so many of them thrive and I'm so proud of so many of them. Like I could, if, if I could, I would list their names. Yeah. And, and it's like, and just the reminder of, um, you know, when I, when I get subject to bullying or dismissal <laughs> or whatever, and it's like, you know what, I know who I am because I go around and I turn around and I sit and I, and I talk to whoever new client, old client, doesn't matter. And I see where they get in their life and they, they thank me for helping them. I'm like, thank you for doing, 
Thank you for doing the work. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for changing. Thank you for coming a new man, for becoming a new man. And like, that's the most, it's the most rewarding thing to do that level of one-on-one work and to be in the weeds with somebody and to feel them change. And it makes it all real in a way that other, in a way that just content can't necessarily, can't do. Like, yes, everyone's like, I read your book and it changed my life. It's like, yes, okay. Yes, probably, maybe, who knows, right? But when you get in the weeds with somebody and you're in the weeds with them week after week and you see them grow and change and like a big, like a client in particular, it's like, hits a real stumbling block and it's like to help push them over that. And they get over the hill and they start, you know, on this like free flowing downhill. It's like, and they arrive in this totally different place. Like, how did I get here? It's like, because I knew you could do it. Like, well, that's, I mean, that's the renaissance for just me. Ask, I mean, for me, I'm always thinking of things in terms of persuasion. You know, go read yeah. John Wooden's book about coaching. You know, the famous basketball coach for UCLA, you know. Mm-hmm. Go go listen to men like Mike Shashevsky talk about this same thing. Like coaches, coaches that we admire as men, you know, co- professional and college sports coaches are some of the most famous, highly highly valued men in America. You know, Nick Sa- Nick Saban, yeah. Bill Belichick, right? Like, talk to those men about what it's like. You know, Tom Tom Izzo is a head basketball coach for Michigan State. And he talks about the effect that, you know, he's had on some of the men that are, that are now in the NBA. And those men will talk about how, you know, Tom Izzo changed their life and taught them how to be mm-hmm. a man and all that stuff. Like, we're not guessing about this. Like, a lot of dudes right. on the internet that don't know what they're talking about are like, oh, that's gay or whatever. It's like, you, you have no life experience. Like, you, you just don't have any life. Like, that, that, it has nothing to do with feelings. It has nothing. Like, it, this isn't some warm and fuzzy thing. Like, there are men who are manly, manly dudes who like, as a man, what could be more valuable than seeing a, a, a pro, an NBA pro basketball player saying, yeah, Tom Izzo taught me what it means to be a man. I wouldn't be who I am without him. Yeah. Like that's a, that's real stuff. Like, like football coaches, basketball coaches, like they'll, they'll tear up. They can't even talk about it in press conferences without crying. I don't care what man mm-hmm. you are. Those dudes break down in tears every time they they get reminded of the impact they've had on the other men's lives, and so these yeah. these young anonymous idiot boys they're like, "Oh, that's gay, bro!" Like, you're just not paying attention. This isn't about my opinion versus your opinion. There's ample proof of this. Yeah, this isn't something that you get to that you that you get to weigh in on and disagree. <laughs> with. Sure, this is not this is not something we're we're figuring out in the public sphere. This is a fact. Mm-hmm. You know, and you talk to men that have that have played professional sports, you know, or even men like me that play college sports. Like the thing you miss the most isn't the sport, right? It's the camaraderie with with the men who are in the who are battling with you, who are fighting and overcoming adversity with you. You know, and having somebody that like when you're going through marriage problems, like everybody in the clubhouse knows that that's going on, and they got your back, and they. They pick you up and they take you out to dinner and like you've got brothers that are living life with you and those dudes lose those relationships in pro, in pro sports and they go out into the real world like yeah. some of those pro some of those pro sports guys you you talk to them in real life and they're some of the most or at least the baseball guys that I'm aware of a lot of those guys are some of the most well adjusted healthy men you're going to find 
because they've had a lot of really good male relationships. They know who they are as men. They've, they've, they've been, you know, when you play major league baseball, you play 162 games a year. You I mean, you live with those dudes three quarters of the year, all day long, every day. And so if you're depressed, you can't hide it. Every one of them has seen each other be depressed. Every one of them has seen each other get, go through divorces and have, you know, like there's no, there's no pretentiousness that you can have in a situation like that. And so when yeah. those guys get out of that, you don't see a whole lot of lingering issues. Like most of those guys are, when they, when they're done playing ball, they have, you know, they have successful careers after the fact they have successful marriages. They're good dads. Like you don't see a lot of, a lot of like depression and like isolation and pretend pretentiousness with those guys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a movie that I saw a couple of weeks ago. It's um, it's just come out. It's called MVP merging vets and players. It's by this guy, Nate Boyer. And um, he, it's a, it's a film about uh, combat veterans and MF NFL football players who, you know, when combat veterans leave the leave battle and they come home, you know, they, they have all kinds of things that they're dealing with partially mm -hmm. related to the lack of camaraderie, you know, the loss of their identity being so associated with something so high adrenaline that has you so mm -hmm. high focused. And then you have the same thing, you know, with football players as well, when they leave the game under whatever circumstances, retirement's like, who am I now and what do I do? And so, um, and so this organization, MVP, it's a, it's a real world organization. Um, and uh, the director made a, made a film about it. It's a fiction film. Really excellent film. I was really surprised. And I told him, he, he probably didn't take me seriously, but I, and I meant it. It was as good as Top Gun Maverick. Different, different. Mm. You know, like, because <clears throat> Top Gun Maverick is, a, is an authentic film. Why it succeeded was a, it's an authentic film about men and masculinity. Doesn't shame men. Doesn't put women down. Doesn't, doesn't put men down. It's like we all walked away feeling great. Like everybody wins. Yeah. Hooray. You know, and we don't even have to see a bad guy die. You know, we don't actually even see the face of a bad guy. It's just like they're machines mm -hmm. that blow up. Right. And so everybody wins. And I said, this movie is as good as Top Gun Maverick, even though the budget is like a, like a hundredth the size, because it shows men relating authentically to each other. And I think what's difficult is that when it, these environments that you're talking about, locker rooms, men being on the road together, these things happen in private. And so, they yeah. and and they and I don't and I think they should happen in private, but because they happen in private to the public dialogue, it's like they don't happen at all, yeah. right? It's like no, 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 like men's relationship is so complicated the way that we relate to each other, and yet it gets so boiled down to you know these really concrete like in the gym or shared interests or whatever. It's like the actual depth of a male of true male friendship is incredibly profound. But like you said, guys don't want to talk about because like, oh, that's gay, bro. Feelings are gay, bro. Well, yeah. I think here's I felt something once and I was gay. <laughs> I think I think male relationships are formed around activities. Yes. I kind of have this theory. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of men, when they think about male friendships, they think it's just like sitting around talking. And when they try that, it's awkward and weird, you know, but it's like, yeah. no, what you need to do is like, as you're outside throwing a football around, that's when you talk about how your marriage has not been doing great lately. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you have to, you, you have to kind of not so many good male, like the dudes don't pro athletes don't show up for the camaraderie. They show up for the ball. Right. Camaraderie is just like 
a, a byproduct of it that they end up appreciating more than the sport itself. You know, but if there was no game and it was just them sitting around in the locker room, they wouldn't even show up. Be like, oh, I'm not going to go talk to y'all about my marriage. <laughs> you know, but they'll talk mm-hmm. about their marriage before the game, getting ready. You know, so with men, I think you have to kind of you have to build relationships and opportunities for friendships around activities. And I think that's the challenge for a lot of men is like once we get out of school, whether it's college and our fraternities or, you know, sports that we played or like, even for me, like there were jobs that I had where I worked with other people and those are my friends. The people I worked with were my friends. You know, it got really lonely for me when I started my own business because all of a sudden I couldn't be friends with anybody. Yeah. The people that, and so I didn't have a lot of friendships because all my, all my friendships in my life were geared around what activities I was doing. So, you know, most of my guy friends in, in real life now are guys whose kids play sports with my my kids. And so we're mm-hmm. at ball games together. We go, we go spend the weekend. They, they're the ones that come over for birthday parties. And like they're, it's always geared around activities. And so I think for a lot of men that are lonely, it's like go find an activity of some kind. Like go intramural basketball or chess club or like literally whatever your interests are. Like go go find an activity and, and do the activity and make friends as, a, as like an accidental side effect of it. Because yeah. that's, I think that's the most practical way most masculine friendships come about is when nobody realizes like there's no pressure of like, we're here to be friends. Right. That doesn't work. That, that happens a lot though. Women try to do that with husbands. It's like, oh, oh yeah. I really like this girl. So they get, they have this girl to girl conversation. Be like, how, how cool would it be if our husbands were friends with each other? So they try to force it. And so y'all go out in a double date and the dudes just look at each other like, hey, man. And it's always 100% of the time awkward. Like, yeah. even if we have the same interests, it's like, I don't like this. Like, look, right. you want to go out in the garage and box? You got two sets yes. of boxing gloves. You want to go out in the garage and beat the shit out of each other? Sure. Yes. Literally anything. And I think that's one of the reasons why video games are so popular because it's just a really quick, easy way to get online and talk to other dudes and that's how you can connect and you're, you're, you're communicating around a shared interest, mm-hmm. you know, and well, it's hard to well, find it. It's hard to find a real, like if you took the video games away from a 20, let's say you got three dudes that are best friends and they're 25 and their typical way of interacting with each other is they'll talk about life and all that stuff while they're playing video games. Right. If you took the video games away, what would they go do together instead? Something. Or not. Or they would just not be friends anymore. Because oh, it would be awkward. I see. I see. I see what you mean. You see what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. If, if, if one of them likes football and one of them sucks at football and one of them would rather be swimming, then you take the video game away and that's the hub that they connect around. And what do they connect about with another activity? And so I think if I you see. want, I think you've got to, you've got to, build relationships around an activity of some kind because that's that's usually the bond that's that's the that's the that's what that's the honey that brings all the all the bees back to the hive or whatever Mm -hmm. you know it's like there's got to be something that's bigger than you or me you know for you and i we discuss the men's movement you know but if the men's Mm -hmm. movement was automatically solved tomorrow 
what would we talk about instead? Maybe something. Maybe something, but maybe nothing, and we wouldn't be as close to friends anymore. Maybe. like That happens a lot. There's dudes that I used to be friends with when we had common interests that we out, like, the guys that I'm friends with right now, once our kids stop playing baseball together, we probably won't talk anymore. Makes sense. I want to add a layer of nuance to this, because one of the things that I've observed is that when men get together and they get together and they do a thing and then they talk while they're doing the thing, you always run the risk of the talking not happening because the doing the thing is most important. So for example, a couple guys get together for a weekend to go hunting, let's say, right? And they, and usually every year when they go hunting, you know, they, that's, they get the chance to talk. Well, say that over the, like an overnight hunt, right? Like just a Saturday night or whatever. Say over the course of the hunt, the time in the process, which would usually be like maybe 18 hours in when they would normally be talking gets interrupted with actually like getting the deer or whatever. Right. And so they go and they get the deer and then they have to pack it out and all this stuff. And it's like, and they don't get the chance to talk. And so it's like, well, we, 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 we achieve, we achieve the goal. Yay. But I've got all this stuff going on in my life that I haven't been able to talk about. And now we have to wait until next year. And so what I try to suggest to men is that because men are, as Alison Armstrong says, men are single focus that in addition to like men should get together and do the hunting thing. But I think it's also possible to create really specific, really intentional environments for men to talk. Like that's what we are going to do. Now it doesn't have to be, we're going to sit around, excuse me, sit around and cry, you know, with a, with a, you know, but like I, 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 the tradition that I came from in the men's movement with the mankind project is like, it's very heavily ritualized where it's like, the men are going to go into this space and there are, there are very formal masculine processes for going into the space. And then when you're on the weekend, there are formal processes that all the men are doing together. And then there's a formal process for exiting the space. And then everything that takes place within the space is sacred and it's treated with reverence. And so you have a sense that while you're going into a space to talk, that the going into the space is the doing of the thing. And that men need those places as well where they're not going to run the risk of being distracted by the activity right? Where they can actually go in and confront the stuff that really hurts, that's really hard, that absolutely must be dealt with. And so like, I I don't know where the Mankind Project is at right now, but like, I do remember participating in that world and being like, for men to have that space to go into, it's like, everything is fair game to talk about here. And you're going to, and that's not just being told to you, that's being shown to you. Like, I think that can be very powerful for men if it's done in private, and it's oh, done yeah. in secret and in secret. And yeah. like the things that and I think men used to have that is they used to have these places that would go where they would they would engage in secret processes in order to deal with stuff that they can't deal with in the outside world. And then they come back and say, Hey, what happened on the weekend? Like, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. It's a secret, it's a secret masculine ritual that men went through. It's not like secret society stuff. It's not, it's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this notion that like there are things that men carry that are so old and hurt so badly that they can only be addressed properly in, in the right kind of environment. Almost like a, it's not, I don't want to call it an exorcism because I don't want to bring like ghosts and spiritism and that, but it's almost like there, there's something that hurts inside me real bad that I got to get out. Mm-hmm. And like, and I think men have that need. And I think, and, oh, and, and in addition to that's a, like, it's not an either or it's a both and thing. It's like, yeah, let's all get together and do stuff. But like the stuff that men carry is I, I've told this story many times like on a Mankind Project weekend, there was a particularly significant process and uh, I had to stand in because it's all men there. And so there was this, this act, play acting thing where different 
men in the circle had to take on roles from this older man's life. We'll call him Bob. So we took on various roles of Bob's life so he could reenact the scenario and get it out. I had to, t- I, I took on the role of his mother and he was like a five or seven or yeah. 10 or something like that. And something had happened in his life that his mother had, had, had mistreated him in some way in his room. And what he wanted to do to solve that problem was he wanted to shove his mother out of the room, right? So that she would go away. So he could like express the power and anger towards her as a man that he could never do as a boy because she had run over his boundaries, right? Okay. So in this, I took on the role of his mother. So this 75-year-old man, and I was like, I don't know how old I was, like 35 or something at the time, physically grabs hold of me, my shoulders, and I'm like, you know, six inches taller than him. And he pushes me out this door and throws me out the door and slams the door. And as the door is slamming, I see the, f- the rage, the fury in this dude's eyes. 70 years of pain in this dude's eyes, like broadcast right at me. Like, it's not about me. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm seeing the rage that he was never allowed to experience as a kid, yeah. like finally coming out. And I, after I saw that, I had to like really sit down and like, and have, and have, a bit of an emotional moment to witness the pain that men carry. And oh, like, yeah. that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about that needs to be, I'll just use the word exercised for men in a mm-hmm. way that, in the way that honors us, because I think that's what's so much of the root of the bullying. I think that's what's so much on the root of the insecurity, so much root of the tyranny that men exert over their oh, homes no and over question. each other. Yeah, no it's question. like, I never got the chance to experience power as a kid. My dad ran me over. My mom ran me over. The bullies ran me over or whatever. Yeah. It's like, so they shut, they shut themselves off or they let their power come out in these counterproductive ways. If they could just feel powerful in that one moment that they were stepped on, they would, that's, that's the healing of the wound. Right. And mm-hmm. so I believe very much in those kind of environments as well. Um, even at the risk of guys like, no, that stuff's you know, gay or I don't think it is. No, I think, I think it's a little, <clears throat> I think it's one of those things that a lot of men would be open to if they, if, if it was a gradual process. Right. You know, I think, I think showing them that part of the brochure on day one, is going to be like, Ooh, I, no, you, you don't, know. They, they don't know that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. That's a side of the men's work stuff that, I, that I, I've just been exposed to recently. You know, mm-hmm. that movie, the work that we've yeah, about, exactly. know, kind of talks about that. You, you see it come into play in that, in that scenario. Um, yeah, I definitely think when it comes to, you know, the group thing, you know, what 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 I'm reminded of is like we used to do like small groups with, mm-hmm. with our churches, you know, and it would be like everybody would show up and all the men would sit around awkwardly. The women would all be in the kitchen just chattering, chatting each other's ears off. And the men would all be kind of sitting in the living room looking around awkwardly. And then like somebody and I just learned from minute one. Like go outside and f- and find a basketball, and just start dribbling it, and everybody will come out there. But one one thing I would add, you know, is that for me, one of the things that I've found, and I'm not sure you you might you might be able to give me better feedback than than I would be able to give myself, but I found it to be really effective for me when I go first. Mm-hmm. When I'm when I'm talking, it's very easy for men. Everybody keeps it superficial, right? We keep yeah. it where we, where we joke around. We're very flippant with one another and we tease each other and we give each other shit, you know, and that's kind of normal, right? But somebody, 
But one, one thing I found is that as soon as I, as soon as I get real first and I, and I open up and I share something that's either hurtful or painful or whatever, I mean, it's like 100% of men just, just, oh, we can talk about real stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, and, I, and I think the fact that it just takes that somebody going first as a dude, just saying, man, I've been struggling. I don't know about you, but I've really been struggling with this lately. You know, have you ever, have you ever had times where you've been depressed or gotten knocked on your ass? Feel like you got the wind knocked out of you. And they're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, like, yeah. <clears throat> and so I don't know what that is. You know, I think that's, I don't know if that, if that, if that's just something that's unique to me, I've never not been me. I don't know if every man could do that. Um, but I've always found that it, when I've gone first and I've been, and I've been vocal about uh, stuff that I've struggled with, it's, it's shocking to me how quickly men that I wouldn't have expected to be more open to talking about those things or whatever. It's, it's really shocking to me how, how quickly men are eager to open up and either, and either give you advice or share that they're having their own struggles. Mm-hmm. And it's like, once that door has been opened in a relationship, man to man, it's like you, you have access to that from then, from then on. You guys have bonded. I think male bonding is really important. Where when you bond together over a shared experience, then you have a different level of relationship with the man than you do with dudes you haven't bonded over. Whether it was, but that's why sports are such a good bonding moment. Yeah. You know, guys that have been in the military. But in the same way, I think if you, as a man, if you're if you're struggling and you just open up in front of another man, and you got to have the discernment to know if it's somebody that's gonna that's gonna honor that. Um, but for me personally, I've always, I've always had remarkably good men around me when I, when I've, when I've gone first, yeah. um, it's been pretty easy to build those, those deep connections. Um, men are very eager to open up and have those deep conversations once it's like, oh, somebody has to be like, okay, we're, we're going to, we're going to have, have permission to, to go there. Yeah. Uh, and so that's one of the things that I tell a lot of guys that ask me, you know, it's like, use your discernment, look around in life, you know, if it's somebody at the gym, if it's somebody, I mean, I've had conversations with random dudes in the sauna that ended up going pretty, pretty, you know, in depth where they, you know, they'll, either they'll admit something or I'll admit something. And I really genuinely try to lead conversations to a place where it's really meaningful Partially that's selfish because I just have no patience for like sitting around and bullshitting with other dudes. Like I got my fill of that playing sports. Like I've, I've had five hour long bus rides of nothing but dudes talking shit to each other. Like right. if we're not going to talk about something real, then just I have no interest. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I'm tired of superficial yeah. conversations. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, that's, uh, that's the advice that I give a lot of men. You know, you'd be surprised how men respond if you just go first, because most of us are struggling silently. And as soon as, as soon as they know that they're not alone, man, dudes are desperate for anybody to, to lean on. I think that's the, that's the hard part about, about being, I was, I'll say the hard part about being a man today 
because I know it's true today. It may have been always, but I know it's true today, is that we have to find this really difficult balance between um, holding ourselves up as strong, confident, capable, and um, having our shit together, right? Yeah. And, and the other side of that truth is that we're figuring out as we go. We have things that hurt, whether in our, our heart or body, right? And that, and that we're struggling along like every, everyone else. And that both of those things can be true at the same time. Yeah. And, that's the, and having that balance and being able to articulate that is really tough. And in, 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 I'll just say in the creation of content, because it's very easy for guys to write content on one side of the men's movement, which is to say, look how tough I am. I have all my shit together. I have it all figured out. And there's a lot of that. Fine. Okay. And then it's very easy for guys to write on the other side of the men's movement because there is a whole other side of it that's like, hey, you know, I'm really sad. I'm really down, but I'm working through it, you know, or, or the more sensitive side, right? And you, yeah. see this, you see this split, right, that exists, at least in content creation, and that reflects a larger split in men. And, and it's, there's, it's tempting to fall off on one or either side of those. But I think it's, I think it's and I, I think some men have, the, one of the things that I always say is that those two different kinds of men have a lot to learn from each other. Like if you're a man that has your shit together, but isn't so good at opening up, you can learn from the guy who's good at opening up, but doesn't have a shit together. And you right. guys have a lot to teach each other. And like those two guys don't like each other at all. And that's a whole thing. But I think, I think even in the man who has the most of his, the most stuff together, the ability, the willingness to say like, Hey, yeah, I've got, I've got my shit squared away and I'm still struggling with stuff. And no matter who I, no matter where I will ever be in my life as a man, that will always be true. And to be able to hold that in a way where it's like, yeah, no, but that doesn't mean I have to give you back my man card. Right. And that's the level of dialogue that I think we're working to get to. Well, it's very difficult to get to. I think people need to, we just haven't had a whole lot of experience with someone being kind to us. I I like to, I like to, I like to think that I can somehow make a difference with that and people seeing my content and what I put out into the world because I try to be kind, you know, and, and I hope that by being treated kindly, it kind of brings a level of awareness to it, to, to the men and, and maybe, maybe the women. Um, like, you know what? I, I, that was really awesome that he was like that. I need to be like that. I'm going to pay it forward. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we just, I don't I don't think we have many, everything in life is very jaded. Movies are jaded. Everything's very dark, you know? So I think, yeah. I think part of it is just, just being a good role model of, of, being kind and once somebody has had the experience of receiving kindness i like to think that it increases the odds that they're going to give kindness back out at a, mm-hmm. at a higher percentage than they would have but to address what you said earlier about how you know modern men have it tougher you know maybe maybe than in the past i mean there's two things i would i would i think that are interesting to think about um you know first of all One of the things that makes modern life difficult is the mental aspect of life because we have way too, civilization has given us way too much free time on our hands and we don't know what to do with it. In the past, we were so busy surviving, we didn't have time to think about if our dad loved us or if our mom was nice to us or whatever. You know, like I think a lot of it goes, goes back to, you know, 
as human beings, we, if we have, if we have free time, we usually fill it with some sort of problem. And if there's not a real problem, we'll come up with one. And I'm guilty of that just as much as anybody. Like if we were busy, like to use an extreme example, like if we got airdropped into the Sahara, Sahara desert tomorrow after three days, we wouldn't have any, we wouldn't be thinking about like, Oh, this hurt my feelings or my mom was this or my dad. Like it would, all of our energy would just be on like getting out of the desert. And that's what, Mm -hmm. it wasn't that long ago that that's what life was like. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's easy for modern people to talk bad about like obesity being an issue. Like, yeah, we're not adapted to having an abundance of food for most of human history. It was a fight to not starve to death. Like, nobody's trained us for what to do with this much easy, easy access to this much really good tasting food that happens to be terrible for for us. Yeah. You know, like good tasting garbage. Yeah. Like you couldn't accidentally run across like a, like a tub of ice cream and just like Mm -hmm. lose control and eat the whole thing at any point in time. And other than like the last 60 years, like for all the rice. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so it's like, let's let's give people some time to adapt here guys like for most of human history it was a complete fight for to not starve right so i think as human beings we're there's a lot about modern society that our minds are not well suited for like having this much free time is not good it's just not you know and and that's something that i struggle and that's not me pointing my finger at anybody else like i struggle with that too I, i wouldn't i wouldn't have a lot of the issues that i have if i was just busy it's easy to not be busy anymore. And then the other thing, as far as the pretentiousness, you know, it's like I'm reminded of, you know, like a Native American village with, you know, living in like huts or teepees or whatever. Like you couldn't be pretentious. I think a lot of the pretentiousness right. with men is a function of like we mm-hmm. have the option of being a fake person out in public and then retreating into our house and taking the mask off and nobody ever knows what yes. we look like without the mask yes. off. Yes. You know, so I think that's a big, a big part of the modern world. Like you can very easily isolate yourself and put on an air of pretentiousness that nobody really has the ability to penetrate because you have this privacy, you know, that that's a new invention too. You know, like, I mean, whether it's, you know, hypothetically in, you know, the native Americans in, in a village or, you know, a tribe in Africa that's living in close proximity or, you know, wherever, you know, um, in every culture, we tended to live in very close proximity to one another. If you were yelling with your spouse, you know, you could hear it. You know, a lot of, a lot of times men lived with their wives and their children all in one room and the husband and wife would have, would have sex under the covers while the kids were like in the room, (laughs) you know, like, the level of privacy that we have now to be pretentious is really, is really unprecedented, unprecedented in the grand scheme of history, you know? And so I think, again, I think so much of what's going on in modern society is, is we're just, we're not adapted to a lot of what's going on. You know, we're social creatures, but we're not actually, we don't actually have permission to be fully social. Mm -hmm. We We have to be pretend, you know, whereas, you know, up until 50 years ago, 70 years ago, that was, that was never an issue. Like men didn't have the option of faking it. It's like, bro, we know if you're an alcoholic, (laughs) like everybody in town knows 
if you and yeah. your wife are cheating on you, if you and your wife are fighting, the whole town can hear you yelling at each other because right. our houses are right next door to each other. Like there's no secrets yeah. here, you know, whereas now a husband and wife can pretend like they've got it all, all put together and nobody knows that they're fighting. Like well, in the I'm, past, that wasn't like, that was not an option. Like go, go, uh, you know, I think about like, um, read like Ralph Waldo Emerson or something, you know, and like, I remember him writing something about how, you know, everybody in town knew when, when a certain married couple was fighting because the whole town could hear them screaming at each other, you know, like they couldn't walk out. They couldn't walk out and pretend like their marriage was awesome the next day. But it's like, (laughs) we we heard heard you all said to each other last night. Are you kidding me? So yeah, I definitely think, there's some there's some elements of modernity that lend themselves to a lot of behaviors that have never really been an option for human mm-hmm. beings. That's a really that's a really good point because not only like the the couple who's fighting like the the image that they have to manage is with their small town, but now we live more isolated from each other physically. Like, oh, yeah. like how many people actually know their neighbors, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to know my next door neighbor, you know, but like yeah. in general, like, I don't know my people don't and know. You, their next have, door even neighbors. if you live right next to each other, you at least have multiple brick walls between you as opposed to like yeah. a layer of, you know, deer hide. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you know but I mean? like, but, but now we don't have to manage our reputation with our neighbors because who cares? But we have to manage them with the, with our social, the social media network, which is so much bigger. Yeah. Right. And so like you can live completely out of integrity in your actual life because there's no one in your physical life that can hold you accountable. You but know, it's like, who cares? People, I mean, look at, I think, I think that's going to be one of the big growth markets in social media. If you want to be an influencer is people are going to be drawn Neighbors. to that authenticity. Well, no, that authenticity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, live feel next like to me. The, I feel like that's one of the reasons that people have, been attached and gravitated towards towards me and my page so much is that I'm yeah. I'm very intentional about just being very real. And I could probably do a, do a better job, you know, but everything I do is I try to be just very upfront like this is my life and here's what it is and I think there's a lot of growth you know as as those relationships and that authenticity becomes more and more rare for the people that do land on that and and have the confidence and the, and the comfort level to just live to just get naked just not hide anything and just be fully transparent i think those people are going to be are going to have the opportunity to be big time influencers and whatever comes whatever monetary you know compensation comes along with that because people are craving that you know and and, and you know it's like in in business you know everybody's trying to invent the new technology or whatever but there's a lot of people that don't want to be like self-serve, you know, like I don't want to go pick out my own car insurance. I don't know anything right. about it, you know? So there's always going to be a, a, a niche market of people that want that human experience. And I think there's, I think there's a lot of opportunities for people who, who are in a position to be influencers by being relatable and authentic and human and, and honest. Mm-hmm. I think that's some of Jordan Peterson's appeal. You know, I think some of the most viral things he's done are the times where he's allowed himself to cry. You know, I think that adds a a level of humanity. Now he's probably taken in a little, 
but done it a little too often. He had a time there where he was crying all the time, but I definitely mm-hmm. think there's a, there's a level of humanity that it adds to, to his, his approach. You know, he's always very moved to tears when, when he realizes the impact that he's had on people mm-hmm. being encouraged, you know, and <clears throat> I think he's, I think he's one of the ones that's doing a really good job of being vocal about helping others. Yes. Yes. He, he definitely puts himself, he puts himself out there to do it. And a lot of people don't like him and think he's a shill or whatever. It's like, I just don't see that in anything that he does, you know, I don't see how. And, <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, it's very obvious that he, he, for the, until he got on with the daily wire, it was very obvious how reluctant he was to even be in the position that he was in in the first place. And that's why he signed on to the daily wire in the first place. Cause the dude mm-hmm. was doing it on a lot. He was doing it his own, on his own. He needs he it alone. But he had, but now he has a whole organization behind him, right? So it's like before it was him running probably some sort of small business, and now it's like he's part of the Daily Wire, so he's got a whole team around him. So now he can he's being a lot more outspoken yeah. about a lot of things. And now he's got three videos a day coming out. It's like good grief, dude. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's something to be said also for you. You mentioned earlier, you know, men. An, an era where we didn't have, we couldn't worry. We didn't have that much time on our hands to worry about, you know, something that happened in our past. Did dad love me enough? Did mom love me enough? It's like, no, none of us really have time for that because we're struggling to survive. And I think that is one of the, one of the unavoidable um, aspects of modern life is that we don't have to struggle to survive anymore. And what makes it worse, I think, is that it's very difficult to find situations where you actually are like right up against indifferent nature. You know, that's something that I talked about with Douglas Gillette, the author of King Warrior, Magician Lover, is that, you know, men's initiations way back when used to be, you're going to take a boy, 13, you know, puberty, and you're going to put him in a situation where he's up against nature and nature is indifferent and he has to survive, whatever that looks like. And he gets this encounter like, the world does not care about you. This is not your mother's arms anymore. Mm-hmm. You're now, you know, and like, if you're a man today and you live in America and short of like going to war, which I don't think is a good option. I mean, for some guys, obviously, like that's what they feel called to be. But like, if you need to experience indifferent nature, I don't recommend going to war. You know, I don't recommend that for your initiation well, experience. I think, it's no, it, it's I think difficult for men to find that. I think beyond just the, the elemental nature thing, I mean, I think for me, you know, I learned that through baseball. Um, but not yeah. every, not everyone can learn that through baseball. I think for right. me, you have to be good at it. I was in positions where as a pitcher, I was under really, it was like high stakes, high pressure championship on the line, you know, all these kinds of things. And so mm-hmm. I was forced. And I think, and my, my point is, I think the key ingredient is being put in a situation where you have to dig, find a part of yourself and dig so deep. You have to be Mm -hmm. put in a situation where it's you versus something that's so difficult. Mm -hmm. You have to find a level of resolve that you didn't think you had. But once you've tapped into it, you can go there anytime you want to. Mm-hmm. It's like pulling the cork out of a wine bottle. Most people have never put in a situation where the cork got taken out by life 
And right. now they have access to this reserve that they didn't know was there. Yeah. And so that that is what I think you have you have to do as a man whether it's in a sport or whether it's in a head-to-head competition with another man or whether it's you against nature or whatever, you have to put yourself in a situation where the, the, it is anything other than you finding something inside of yourself that you didn't know you had will cause you to fail. You have to ha- you just have to have stakes. Yep. You have to, yep. you have to put yourself in a situation where the stakes are, are so high that you have to succeed or metaphorically die. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to, or live even life. literally, or even, or, but it doesn't have yeah. to be literally. It's well, you know, not like, today, but initiations yeah. used to be lit. You yeah. would literally die. If you're a little boy being covered in ants or whatever, like, you know, yeah. or whatever, or like if you failed the initiation, the elders would kill you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause, cause you can't think, be relied yeah. upon, to, you know, not that I'm you celebrating know, that, but like, yeah. 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 You know, I think what, the common thread really is really just that situation of like, all right, bro, you're up. Everybody (laughs) you've ever, everybody you've ever met is going to watch whether you succeed or fail right now. Right. And everybody out here is depending on you succeeding. You got to figure it out. You've got to (laughs) be put in that situation where failure is not an option. And even if you fail, you still had to tap into a part of yourself. And I think that, I think for me, I think what I would, what I would recommend to every man is to find something where you're in a situation that the stakes are so high that, that failure, I wouldn't say isn't an option, but it's just the thought of failure forces you to, it's like the mom that can suddenly lift the car off of her son. If he's trapped underneath it, you know, you hear these crazy stories of like, Oh, a kid is stuck underneath a car and mom lifts the whole damn car up. She, you know, that adrenaline rush, right? It's like, yeah. um, a mom normally never has access to that kind of strength, but in that situation, she right, Hulk. She, yeah. And so as a man, I think you have to art, you have to intentionally engineer a situation like that at least once in your life to where you have to uncork that bottle and pour everything you are out of that bottle onto, onto whatever that is. And one of my favorite lines yeah. is, is from, Mo, is from Moby Dick. And he says, yes, um, classic literature. Now, what does he say? He said he, and he piled upon the whale's white hump, a, a sum of all his rage and hate. If his, yeah. if his chest had been a cannon, he would have shot his heart upon the whale. Yeah. You know? And as a yeah. man, you need to, once you've been in a situation where you had to shoot your heart onto something like that, where it was everything you had, like, I'm 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 either going to win this game or they're going to have to peel me off yeah. of this field. Those are that I'm not walking off of this field unless I won or somebody drags me off and I'm unconscious. That's it. There will be nothing left of me mm-hmm. but that. Mm-hmm. And succeed or fail. Once you've emptied yourself like that, once you know what you're the depth of what you're capable of as a man, you'll never go back. Yeah, but it takes. I feel I have a friend that I was talking to about this with years ago, and he said, "You know, I feel very fortunate that life has put me in situations that forced me." And I want to make it very clear. I feel very fortunate that life put me in situations 
outside of myself that forced me to tap into what I was capable of. Mm-hmm. Not every yeah. man is that fortunate. Right. Not every man is that, and is that, is that fortunate that life put him into situations that he learned how much horsepower he really has. Cause most dudes are running around and they've only got the gas pedal pushed down 20% of the way, but because that's the furthest they've ever pushed it, they think that's all they've got. Yeah. When in reality, if there was a tornado behind you or a wildfire, you would push, you would try to push that pedal through the floor, right? Mm-hmm. Most guys have never been in a situation that required them to push the pedal all the way to the floor. Like, yeah, when, if you push that pedal all the way to the floor, you might lose control, bro. You might run off the road and do flips. You might die. But it's either that or there's a tornado chasing you. So you have no choice. You've got to put the pedal to the floor and figure it out. And if you crash, you crash. There's just, there's no other option, you know? And I think mm. most guys just haven't ever had that thing behind them chasing them that forced them to put the pedal to the floor. So they don't know that they don't know how much horsepower they've got. And it's easy as men to look at those dudes and like point our finger at them and look down on them for not being very manly until we realize like, Dude, what if the situations that made you put your put the gas pedal to the floor in your life hadn't happened? Where would you be? And it's easy Me? to look. Yeah, you're one of the few that sought that out on purpose, you know. But most guys, yeah. most guys, you know, aren't that don't want it or aren't aware of it or you know they 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 don't care or you know and they were and they run around their whole lives never realizing everything they're capable of. I feel very fortunate that sports put me in those positions to where I dealt and carried some heavy shit. And so by the, by the time I was out in the real world, I knew what I was, I knew who I was and what I was capable of. And so the thought of doubting myself just never even crossed my mind. I mean, just, and that's why in some ways it's hard. I'm not the best person to be an advisor for a lot of men because I, I haven't had to overcome a lot of the things that you've had to overcome. Like I've never, it's never crossed my mind to doubt myself. Like if tomorrow you're like, Hey, let's, let's go be pro bowlers. I'd be like, okay, I'll be a pro bowler. (laughs) Sure. I don't know how long it'll take me. You you don't doubt you can do it though. But there's, I have zero doubt that if if I just keep doing it, I will be a pro bowler. If that's Mm -hmm. what I decide I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say that for myself, you know, I, for whatever reason, ha- seem to be the kind of guy that throws myself off of things and figures it out on the way down. And I, and I would say those, like, that's exactly who I am. It's who I've always yeah. been. You that's know? What I, and, it's funny that you use that analogy because I, I, I explained that to my wife probably 10 years ago. And at the time she told me I was like an egomaniac. I said, literally, I don't know what no. I'm doing. I'm going to jump out <laughs> of the plane. Yeah. And, but I, but I don't know how to explain it, but I promise I'm going to jump out of the plane and I promise you, I don't care if you believe me or anybody else in the world believes me, I will build a parachute on the way down. Exactly. I, don't, I will find the material and it'll just show up. Yeah. And, and you know, you doubt me all you want. I'm still going to jump out of the plane. You can watch yeah. me or you can join me. What you do really doesn't matter to me, but I know what I'm about to do. Watch me do it. Watch me do it. Yeah. Same. Same. I mean, I don't have a wife, I don't have a wife, but it's like the number of times 
that I've just done objectively crazy things. Like I'll figure it out on the way down. Like for example, I was on, I'm, I'll, I've got a podcast coming out tomorrow that I was guest on called Cultish. It's a big international yep. podcast. And we're, we're talking about ayahuasca and ayahuasca is plant, the Amazonian plant drug. And that's a whole separate conversation. But the thing is most people will do ayahuasca like once or they'll do like three ceremonies in a row, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I went on a weekend on a retreat where I did seven ceremonies in 12 days. <laughs> like you cannot do more of that. You, like unless yeah. you're going to sign up to be a shaman and then you'll do it a lot longer than that. But like when I said it to the host, he like paused for a second. He's like, <laughs> he, he had to think about that. You know what I mean? It's like, but that's just, it's like, why did you do that? Did you want to see him? Like, I'm no, gonna it's do just, it. I'm going to do it with everything. <laughs> well, it's like, for me, it's like, yeah. And then, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Well, I want to figure like for me, I go really extreme when I do something because I want to figure out, I know where one side of the boundary is. It's where I'm at right now, knowing nothing. Right. I want to find out what the other extreme is. How far can I take it? The other extreme. <laughs> so I know where the other boundary is. Yeah. And now I have enough information to know where to find the middle. Yes. That's a good, that's a good way of looking at it. Uh, I like your, put your pedal to the metal because what I often tell guys is that I, I use the Arthurian pull the sword from the stone. I don't know if that's Arthur, but the sword of the stone. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, and like, cause guys wonder if I pull the sword from the stone, will I become a tyrant? They're afraid of their own power. Right. Cause they, like, but what I like your metaphor better, it's like, if I really push my foot down, will I lose control? I think that's probably a more visceral, Maybe. it's both right. Like you can say to a guy, if you pull the sword, like, who will I become if I really step into my power is a lot of the concern that I think a lot of men have because they've been subject to a tyrannical dad and they well, don't want to like, be like that. You, need, and, you but, need to do it to learn how much horsepower you have. Exactly. Exactly. You need to put the, put the pedal, put the, need to put the pedal down, right? That's why I like that metaphor. Some, at some point, you don't have to keep the pedal down forever, but you've got to, you've got to put yourself in a situation where... Jam it. Like, there's a tornado behind you. If you let off, you're going to get destroyed. It's either that or nothing and learn yeah. what you're capable of. Push the engine as hard as it'll go just so you see what you've got. And then once the storm passes, you don't have to keep going. You can slow down. You can get out of the car and take a walk. Yeah. You can take a nap. You can park on the side of the road. You can go half speed and go full. It's not a matter of like all or nothing. It's not like putting the gas pedal all the way to the floor, puts it on permanent cruise control for the rest of your life. That's insane. <laughs> Don't drive it through the floor. Yeah. But you need to know that if the shit hits the fan, how much can I handle? That's right. That's right. You got to know and that it, information. And, and listen, some people have a thousand horsepower and they have a motor that can go 200 miles an hour. Some people, they can only go 70 miles an hour. Some people can go right. 80. Some people can go 120. That's where talent comes into play. And none of us has any control over how fast the car can go top speed. Yep. There's going to be dudes that when they put their foot to the pedal, they can outrace me at my very best. But mm -hmm. you know what? I'm only ever going to be me. So my job is to get as much horsepower out of me as often as I can. And if somebody, and I'm not really worried about how, how everybody else is doing in the race. I can't do anything about that. Yeah. My car, when, it, I'm, when I'm done, I want my car to be empty and beat to hell and scratched up with flat tires. I want to have absolutely, when I get to the end of my life, I want to have absolutely nothing left. I want it to be, I want that car to be absolutely just 
fallen apart and worthless because I got every ounce of everything out of it that I could. There's no paint left. There's no rear view mirrors. The headlights are broken out. It's rolling on the rims. Like that dude drove that car for everything it's worth. <laughs> drove it like you stole it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, th- and that's it. Once you have that experience and maybe this is an experience, well, men's pride can even attach to that. But once you have that experience, like all I want, bro, is for you to have this experience. Sure. I want you to feel like what it's like to put your pedal down and work as hard as you can. And we've been talking about, you know, we need time to adapt to modernity. The point that I make to guys is like, you don't have time to adapt. The tornado oh, is coming. You yeah. know, the t- tornado is coming. Like you got to sort it out now. Put the pedal there down is, and go. Yeah, yeah there yeah. is an urgency. So it's like, I wish we had time to adapt to modernity, but I don't. Uh, you know, it's, there's there's an emergency to it, and, well, and, think, and then it's the both. There, I think the key there, if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna really get into that, is the distinction between you know putting the pedal to the metal and adapting to modernity. I think you've got to get real, really, really ruthless with triage. Yes, you got to triage what matters the most, and that's yeah. kind of what I mean when I say like alienating guys because they don't have big muscles or maybe they're overweight or maybe they don't have money or whatever. It's like, dude, any dude is willing to step up and be a man and say, you know what? I'm going to try to be the best husband I can be and the best dad I can be. And if I'm a little, if I'm a little pudgy along the way, that's fine, bro. Just get on, get, let's just get, let's just go. And as you're going, if you got, if you have time to start going to the gym and getting in better shape, then I'll encourage you. And here's Arthur and he can, and he can tell you how to do it in 45 minutes. You know, but let's just go. I'm not yeah. going to be picky about who, who I'm inviting. Like I need, we need every man that can, that's willing to pick up whatever. If, if you know, pick up a, a book, a, a book, and just carry. You don't have to carry a cross. Literally <laughs> carry just yourself. Just get started. Yeah. Like I'll, I, you know, I'm ready to carry a cross. You're ready to carry a cross. That's fine. If all you can carry is a backpack, that's fine too. Let's just go. Yeah. And as you go. Yeah then we'll add a little more in your backpack until you can carry more. It's fine. But we've got, you know, so we've got to, we've got to be ruthless with triaging. Like we can't have this impossible barrier to entry that the only men we're inviting along are the dudes that are like completely realized as grown ass men. It's like, we're going to be waiting for this. It's too urgent. I need every guy I know. Like I said, you know, like help, help, you know, defending a woman on the street like I, I hear these stories about women getting beat up in the middle of the street in new york city and we're like where are all the men Dude, right. women getting raped on subways in, in new york it's like where were the men where was a man that was that was willing to die to keep that from happening it's sickening like we like i don't care if you're a perfect guy i don't care if you're no martial arts or if you've never done martial arts or whatever like you better go die trying to get those keep those men from raping that woman because i'm tired of hearing stories about men being in a position where they should have done something they didn't fucking do anything i'm tired of it i'm tired of it and so i don't care any man that's willing to step up and and carry the mantle of what's what i what i expect from men which isn't a lot be honest be honorable protect be willing to sacrifice for people that aren't in a position to protect themselves like you can like be committed keep your word like basic shit that literally 100 percent of dudes knew to do 100 years ago i'm not 
notice I didn't say you better be able to bench press 250 or have a million dollars. Those are all controllable things. Like you can keep your word. I don't care if you're 20 years old and you got no experience. If you say you're going to do something, then don't let anything stop you from doing it. If you see somebody hurt, if you see a position to help an elderly woman or an elderly man carry their groceries out, look for opportunities to make an impact. You can do that as you, you can do that when you're 20. If you're a little overweight, that doesn't matter. Yeah. There's yeah. so many things that, that need to be done by men stepping up. Go co- coach a volunteer to coach a boys club team. Go coach a soccer team at the boys club and just pick a kid up and take him to soccer practice. It's never had a man ever. And just buy him a birthday present. Buy him a damn book for his birthday. He's never gotten a birthday. You know how low hanging fruit it is to make an impact? None of that requires being a millionaire or benching 250. It just requires you realizing like every man, you have a responsibility and an opportunity to change the, the direction of what's going on in the world and what people are saying and believing about men. Like you have the power to do something about that. And you don't have to wait until you're a jacked tan millionaire to do something. Do it tomorrow. There's nothing stopping you. And those are the men we've got to get activated. I agree. One of my one of my least popular opinions. So there's there's a, there's three channels on YouTube that cover pop culture and kind of, you know, video games and and movies and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, nerd culture. What is called nerd rotic? The other is Geeks and Gamers. And the third one is RK Art Outpost. And when I can't listen to sermons anymore, I put their stuff on and I listen to it while I'm doing the dishes or whatever. And they talk about stuff. They came to Phoenix and those three channels, the guys who run those three channels came to Phoenix and they did a, a get together at a, at a video game bar. And I went to this because I wanted to meet these guys because like I enjoy their content. Why not? And I was very surprised because the men who were also there, not the channel owners, but the men who were also there, they were... You know, these were guys, I t- could look, take one look at them. They were overweight. They, were ban- they had been abandoned by their fathers, nerdy, bullied, the whole thing, the whole thing. But then at the, at the very end, at the very end, as I was leaving, they all started chanting. I don't remember why. They all started chanting, let's go, Brandon, fuck Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, there, there, there was such an enthusiasm. There was such a grit in their voice. It, they were expressing something that was so... They were so passionate about it. It's like you wouldn't have expected all these nerdy guys to say this really like over anti-liberal political statement. And I, I stopped for a second and I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Like, and I realized that all these guys that w- would not be considered the most, they would be considered the least masculine men. What nerd culture really does is it takes, men take their, this masculinity that's within them and they project it outwards on these objects like Luke Skywalker Absolutely. or Captain America, and they never actually come into ownership of it of themselves because they never had a father or who knows what they lacked or did. But they had too the much ones of ones that are the most a- attracted and drawn to masculine ideals. Yes, their hearts and, and yet are, they tur- and that's that's why video games they are get so turned cool. away, and they get turned away by yeah. And I, I mean. It's hard to reach them, you know, like they're welcome at the table, you know, but if they walked into my house right now, I wouldn't know how to connect with them. I don't know what to talk about. That's what I could do. I don't know what to do, you know, like, so that's the challenge, you know, is, is, you know, how, how do, how do you, how do you build bridges between those two worlds, you know, because 
I would just, I would play video games with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's kind of defeats the purpose. Well, I mean, I think, I think it's less important than the how, yeah. you know, the how of, of how to build a bridge than just than the intention to build a bridge. Because I think that there are a lot of guys that'd be like, they would take one look at a lot of those dudes and like, that dude has no masculinity at all. I'm never going to talk to him and you're not good enough to hang out and sit with me at my table. Like, welcome back to high school. When, right. Can we, in we reality, past that yet? In reality, those guys probably think about what it would do for them if, if, if they did view you as a masculine guy, you know, like for me, I, a lot of times people will view me like that just because I'm just tall and people assume a certain thing about me based on, and your beard is pretty glorious. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And um, you have a deep voice and a Southern accent. I don't have a Southern accent. You have a you have a you have a southern accent. No, you don't not have a southern accent. I don't know where your accent's from, but it's not like California. If I wanted to have a southern accent, you'd know it, buddy. (laughs) Not your buddy. Not your buddy, pal. Don't don't (laughs) test me, boy. Anyway, um, those guys a lot of times are you know one word to a guy like that if they have me like on this pedestal and and I'm just and I'm just kind. I smile and talk to them about something they're interested in. And they just light up. They really yeah. do. And, and so for me, like you said, it's like we've got, to, we've, got, we've got to evolve. And maybe it's being a dad helps. Um, mm-hmm. But we've got to evolve as men past this high school juvenile way of viewing yes. the world. You know, it's like, I mean, I was like that when I was in high school. You know, like I wasn't a bully. Of course. But I was a typical kid. Like I, I was nicer than the average kid, I would say. But there's still guys that I was mean to. And in, and when I look back, I'm like, man, I shouldn't have been that way. But I was a kid. You're in high school. You know, but now it's like, I just can't imagine having a chance to like knowing some nerdy guys are look, you know, looking at me and being like, how much a word from me would mean. If I was yeah. just kind, and I can't imagine withholding that and looking down on them, like not from a virtue signaling standpoint, but from the standpoint of like, that just seems so high school to me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a grown man. I'm a dad. It's time for me to get past that whole, like, I, I don't feel the need to exert my superiority over some kid that plays video games. Like how pathetic is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of that, a lot of that, that goes on where it's like, why, like, why is men have, have so many of us not actually gone beyond that high school, you know, um, that high school kind of mentality where it's like, no, you don't get to sit at the cool kids table. Like, okay. Yeah, sure. That made sense in like fifth grade or sixth grade or eighth grade or whatever. But now with so much think, on the line, do you think it's just due to socialization? Like I've always had this theory. It's like, you meet these people that they, they think, and it doesn't happen as much anymore, but like a, up to about 10 years ago, I remember I would go, especially like going to church, you always, I would always see the guy that you can tell what year he graduated from high school by what he wears when he's trying to dress up. And so like uh-huh. he still has the same hairstyle that was popular yeah. in like 1996 and he still wears like the Tommy Hilfiger shirt. It's like, but it's time mm-hmm. to go out to dinner. He puts on the Tommy Hilfiger shirt. You know, it's like, do you think there's something too? like, it's almost like people stop being socialized once they're done with high school. 
Hey, thanks for listening this far. One of the bits that didn't get recorded was Ryan saying he didn't think that anyone would listen to a podcast this long. And I assured him that many of my listeners do listen to podcasts this long. So if you're hearing this part, go ahead and reach out to Ryan at Wisdom of Kings, send him your name and information. And I think he said something about doing a drawing. I don't know, there may have been like a chainsaw sculpture involved or something like that. You may have to remind him. So again, if you're listening this far, find Ryan on Instagram at Wisdom of Kings and send him a DM and let him know that you'd like to get in the drawing for the chainsaw sculpture. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.